The Whiskey Throttle Show, now available on the Spot Network, an independent standalone streaming platform live now on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Google Play, Android TV, most smart TVs, and all phones and tablets. Look for future live shows and specials only available on Spot Network. Download the app today on your favorite device. Coming to you from the Troy Lee Design Saloon in Corona, California, it's the Whiskey Throttle Show. Brought to you by Yamaha, the leaders in the power sports industry. Motocross bikes, street bikes, adventure bikes, generators, side-by-sides, quads, boats. Yamaha sets the standard. Yamaha revs your heart. Today's guest is presented by PowerDot, the world's smartest muscle recovery and performance tool. PowerDot takes proven electronic muscle stimulation technology and packs it into a sleek, lightweight, easy-to-use pod that is completely controlled from your smart device. Today's show brought to you in part by Method Race Wheels, the strongest, lightest, fastest wheels in off-road. Method dominates the off-road racing market, and they have wheels for your truck, spreader, SUV, Jeep, or van. Troy Lee Designs, built for the world's fastest racers. Troy Lee Designs blends elite level protection with a history of industry-leading style and performance. From motocross gear to custom paint to bicycle protection, Troy Lee Designs is waiting for you on the next level. This week on the Whiskey Throttle Show, Dave Arnold joins us in the studio. Dave was at the helm of Factory Honda during the HRC Dynasty, looking over champions like Marty Smith, David Bailey, Bob Hanna, Rick Johnson, JMB, Stanton, O'Mara, McGrath, and more. And now, here's the host of the Whiskey Throttle Show, David Pingree. March 5th, 2021. Thank you for joining us here at the Whiskey Throttle Show. I'm your host, David Pingree, and today we've got Dave Arnold on with us legendary Honda team manager. This guy has been around through the heyday of Honda, and we're, we're stoked to go through his story. Welcome. Thank you, Dave. It's really excited Good to, to have you. Good to see Ricky again. <laughs> and riding shotgun, I got my guy, RJ. So, so pumped to have you on. No, Thank I, you for taking the time. Well, it, honestly, it, what this guy meant to me in my career, I couldn't miss this for the world. And um, I just hope I don't grab a code red cup and <laughs> mix it up with my coffee today. So I think we'll be okay. GL's got some. He's got code red <laughs> buttons left under there from uh, all the Kettle One in the world. So yep. we'll try to keep you on just coffee today. Oh, whatever. You, okay. Uh, really excited to get to this. Let's jump right into our uh, front end chatter. Method Race Wheels bringing you this segment. The lightest, strongest, fastest wheels in off-road. You can attest to this, I right? I am absolutely. I'm a Method guy. I run them on my side-by-sides, run them on my personal trucks, and also on my trophy trucks. So I trust my life with Method. Yeah, I mean, they not only look rad, but these things actually work. The bead lock, the bead grip technology. They're across, across the board, I, I, I wouldn't run another wheel. There you go. Right from the, the guy who's actually used these things, not just pavement princesses like <laughs> I have, but a real off-road truck. Um, I want to pick your guys' brains, and you can both chip in on this. Top three advancements in motocross technology over the last 30 years. What would you say they'd be? Suspension travel, suspension progressivity, and uh, mass centralization, water cooling. Yeah, I was going to first. I was going to say water cooling because you might remember 80s. Did you ever run even an air cooled 80? One year, 84. Right, so, did, yeah. Now, did you do you remember how it would fade at the end of the yeah. race? Oh, so yeah. I remember when Cliff let. Built me that water, that thermal siphon. So he took a cil- he took a cylinder. So I wasn't water cooled on the head, just a cylinder. But the cylinders would get hot, expand, lose compression, and, and then you would go slower at the end of the day. And so Cliff took it, 
trimmed all the things off, built a water jacket, did it a thermal siphon so the hot water would always go up. No pump, nothing. And all of a sudden, at the end of the moto, my ass is dragging. I'm 14 years old on a Yamaha, and it's pulling me up the hill, and I'm like, unbelievable because the bike faded with the rider so you kind of you didn't really think that <laughs> yeah. much about it yeah. but then when that happened so that that that's one suspension absolutely um and i think one of the things that people aren't giving credit is the tires nowadays mm. the tires got so much better they, they really got pushed when bridgestone came on mm-hmm. with a really good hard pack tire then pirelli had the sand cross and you know the, the tire technology has changed quite a bit and now they're so fast and so twitchy and I think in some cases the performance is too good mm. because they, it, a lot of times when it works really good, it falls off really bad. Mm. But it looks like they're getting that figured out. So those are my three. What about brakes? I'm surprised <coughs> none of you said brakes. Because the old bikes I've ridden, yeah. I, I, I mean, you can't stop them. The old Makos even, going back, they had a, made a ton of power. But when the corner came up, you're like stomping down on the thing. and That's why you downshifted. Oh, that was how you did it. Okay. <laughs> I'm just doing it wrong. No, but I, I, think, I think that... Uh, uh, very good point. Um, I remember when we went to, to disc brakes, it was it was crazy. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, you weren't using four fingers or three fingers. You were and now nowadays, it's it's the norm. One finger. If yeah. you go more than one finger, you're wishing. Yeah. Time. What are you doing? Exactly. Yeah. yeah but the brakes came after. Um, I mean, the engine uh, after all the suspension and chassis innovations, and then uh, motors went to longer stroke, and then they went to power valves, more controllability, and then once they kind of got going fast down, then it was like, now we got to stop. Yeah, no, oh, so. shit, now we're going fast. How yeah. do we stop? Yeah. Well, I want to I talk more about that technology stuff. You had, obviously, a big hand in that with Honda and, and at your time there, so we'll talk more about that. Uh, but I want one more question. When's this electric bike taking over? What do you guys think? I gotta Is it coming? Never. Is that where we're going? You know, I know if you ask me, if I had my choice, I'd love to see us get two strokes back into the mix. I think that that's a, a cheap, easy way to get people started. And we've lost that. We, we've gone from being a very affordable blue collar sport to whatever we are now, where it's 10 grand for a yeah. new bike. I don't know if that's sustainable and it worries me. And I don't think electric will be cheaper, but I don't think the manufacturers or the government who's making the rules is going to ever allow that. So this I mean, is where we're going. I'm sure. I mean, Dave, you've been you've, you were on the inside of Honda, and, and I know how Honda projects. Not that you can tell us anything that's secret, but what's your feeling? Do you think electric is going to be the way of the future? I think there's a market, and you know, one thing is the regulation, and obviously, it's you know, there's a lot of people that talk about going back to a simpler time with two strokes, and and there is a niche there. There's still manufacturers selling and making two strokes, but uh, I think. There's an area for one thing that's gotten more challenging in motocross is how long does it take to get to a track and how far out of town and how much time do you have to take away from your family and work or whatever else. And so I'd almost like to see the electric thing. I I mean, of course, I don't see it automatically, you know, becoming into the forefront of professional racing and supercross or outdoor just for a bunch of different reasons. But I think there is a niche of kind of a hybrid between like where mountain bikes are at you can get mm-hmm. four or five different levels of mountain bikes with carbon frames and aluminum frames and less component and i'd almost think if they put park if they put tracks in some of the park systems or something like that people could just kind of go and do something that's like not full-blown professional motocross but then mm-hmm. you know go to a track that's 40 minutes 30 minutes away you know and not make a bunch of noise and dust so i think both are going to exist Yep. Interesting. I, and I, I think I've always thought, you know, back in the north side part of our country or the world where it's cold, the big barns that are big buildings that they yeah. have where you could build a track inside. Now you don't have to worry about exhaust, you know, getting that out of there. 
You don't have to worry about sound. You could be playing music. Mm-hmm. get video games over here, kids playing. I think there's a market for that. And like you're saying, maybe it's like mountain biking where there's cross-country guys wearing the rubber shorts and there's downhill guys yeah. and there's e-bike guys. Yeah. It's all mountain biking, but there's different levels of it. Yeah. Well, and I think getting just getting people to ride, and that's kind of where I'm going out with the stuff that I'm doing with the schools and that, is that right now the motorcycle industry is up 45%. I mean, it's crazy. You can't find bikes. <laughs> it's crazy. I know. Uh, you know, Honda had a bike. They're like, we need to get it back. We need to refurbish it and get it to the dealer. KTM was doing the same thing with their testing and all the different stuff. So right now, there's a whole bunch of new people. So that is great. Now you got the dad that, that was wanting to get away from everybody. So he went and bought a dual sport. Now he's riding. But now he's got a kid, and he's got two acres. I don't think that the motorcycle, especially the gas motorcycle community, should poo-poo electric. Because if I can get that kid riding donuts in his yard... That's where I started, yeah. you know, but it, we, we didn't care. I had, a, I had a, you know, a GT60 with two-stroke, you know, I was running it around. But now if we can get that and he's not pissing off his neighbors, what's he going to do? He's going to buy a bike. He's going to go yeah. race. And I think we could see a massive resurgence. But mm-hmm. the big thing stopping him going to the next level is the cost of four-strokes yeah. and to work on it. It used to be I, my dad and I, when I was little, he taught me how to do, do a top end. You mm-hmm. know, the biggest thing was don't bend the rod when you, when you knock the wrist pin out. Other than that, it, you know, it was pretty easy to do, and, and a father and son could do Don't it. Don't drop anything down into the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there. Yeah, that so, <clears throat> so with that, you know, that, that, that it gets expensive. You've got to go to the, you know, a, a good mechanic because they're doing valves and all the different stuff that go along with it. When a company like Honda says, we're done with two strokes, there, there's no going back, right? I mean, that was sort of, they were the ones that sort of put their foot down and said, this is the direction we're going. You know, all this stuff is kind of a reaction to regulation. It's yeah. not that Honda dreamt that up. It's that there was pressure, in the, you know, from regulatory bodies being at, you know, CARB or EPA or whatever, you know, Honda being the biggest. And, you know, they also got a broad, you know, product base. You know, they want to sell a Civic to your sister and the Accord to your mother. And, you know, so they kind of follow some of those uh, regulations by the letter of the law, you sure. know, and it was, you know, the carbon EPA go, we can't police all the people riding two strokes out in the desert. So you have to do it. Then Honda, you know, they kept a two stroke line for motocross and then a four stroke XR line for desert. Not that everybody followed that religiously, but that was the intent. And, but going away from two strokes, I think when you're looking at a, at a, at a product base like Honda, you know, they're probably not going to go back just because of, you know, a couple of 125s, but I've, I've had, yeah. I've had people from Honda, actually their media department asked me, um, Hey, you know, where are we, where do you think we're at with pricing? Is this is $10,000 the limit? Should we keep focusing on advancing the bike or try to keep the price in check? And I said, dude, mm. you can't go over 10 grand. Like no. it's getting crazy, you know? And so to your point, electric, if there was that little niche where, you know, cause in, in our day, all of our days, you could ride right from your house out yeah. and there was hills somewhere, right? And, and yeah. people didn't care back then. It didn't seem like they wouldn't complain. Now you start a weed whacker and they're, you know, what? calling yeah. their community association yeah. member, you know. But if you had electric for that kind of stuff, you know, close around stuff, two-stroke stuff, maybe even if it was just 125s for like entry level, keep the cost down, put cheap old parts on it like, you know, steel bars and Chengshen tires, you know, whatever. Just keep the cost down so someone could get into that. Mm-hmm. Then four strokes as sort of competitive racing. Is that, am I like a lunatic for even thinking that's. I think it's back to there's room for. I mean, it used to be I want the trickest thing, and every year it's the the technology evolved to where I want Ricky, that bike sitting over there. I want Ricky Johnson's racing. And 
I think now people are willing to relax. You know, all right, I'll get a new bike every five years, or it doesn't have to be a brand right. new bike. I just want to go and have fun. And, you know, why is it that the mountain bike industry, they've got a bike that's $12,000 or 10 or 9 or 8 or 7 that's or true. 6. Why? I still think there's room to just make something more affordable and a bit of fun. And, yes, maybe it isn't technically as advanced as what Kenny Roxon and Cooper Webb, you know, but it kind of doesn't have to be just to get out on the weekend and have fun. Sure. So you can have both. I agree. I've, I've always thought what would be a, an awesome deal is to make a bike, make a basic chassis, and – Whatever it might be, if it's that chassis or the Cowie chassis or whatever, just a basic chassis, and you put a motor in it, and you're going to say to everybody, all right, make this, and we're not going to change it ever. And yeah. that's your beginner class. Yeah. And you know what? I could ride the thing. If I take care of it for the next five years, I can sell it and not lose my ass completely. Yeah. But if I, have a, if I have a bike, you know, if I get a 20 now and I'm trying to sell it in 25, I'm losing my ass on it. Yeah. You know? So anyhow... I like that. And it is a perspective changer, right? When you think about the mountain bike world or bicycle world, because you go spend 10 grand on a bicycle, no problem, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. They're so expensive. So for the, the money, we're getting way more technology. We, we kind of lose perspective on that. I mean, I watch, you, you know, Supercross's Outdoor Nationals. It's one of the best shows on earth, right? You turn it on and you watch these guys do what they're doing. But then, okay, I want to get into it. I want to try it. It's the bike and it's the truck and it's the gear and it's $15,000. I mean, you don't need to bite that off. You know, there ought to be a simpler way yeah. just to, you know, you can progress to that. Yeah. So. Well, I think we've solved the world's problems then. I know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think if everyone just, we start a three-man board, we'll change the world. <laughs> Uh, all right. That's our Method Race Wheels front-end chatter. Get over to WhiskeyThrottleShow.com, you guys. You can check out uh, all the old shows. Our podcasts are posted up there. We've got photos from the guests. Uh, there's merchandise stuff on there you can buy. Check that out. Please buy something uh, to support us. We appreciate it. Uh, let's get to our guest stuff. This is brought to you by PowerDot. Dave Arnold today. Look at um, the notes you have on this wow. guy. Whoa. <laughs> I, I had to fight to keep this on one page. I'd say I did. You know, you keep going down on font. <laughs> I did. My, my page is blank, so I, I don't know if I prepared properly. You like Amy Cody Barrett over there? There's nothing. Uh, tell us where you started. Where'd you grow up? Where were you born here? Southern Cal. Uh, Southern California, right, right outskirts of uh, Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley, kind of in the foothills where we did have tracks and we could go three blocks away and ride in the canyon. We it was a Japanese flower garden, but we could had hill climbs and motocross track up there, and I grew up locally. A Japanese flower garden. Yeah, called. I don't want to say what we call it. It's it's not so. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I could enough with said. A enough said. All right. Uh, any siblings or anything, or how? We had a brother. You said who just recently passed. Yeah, I passed. came from Sorry a big family. That. Both my parents were from the Midwest, Minnesota and Iowa, and he came out for aerospace jobs, like a lot of you know, like a lot of people did. 40s and 50s and so then but he, they had a big family seven kids um my mom my, my grandmother was kind of getting out of my mom like you need a little bit of control here you know this is getting and <laughs> Get I, think, I think i think she actually uh held the seventh kid kind of a secret from my parents my grandparents even knowing that she had them for a few years and so she was ashamed that i got yeah, so many kids i can't tell them yeah <laughs> she thought it was irresponsible but it was a big family there was um but it, my my uh, my brothers and I, I mean, motorcycling became, I don't know, during that era, it was just so fascinating. Everybody rode motorcycles to go back and forth to work, and we used them for recreation. And the, the kids that were five years older than us, they were all into 
drag racing and quarter mile and chopping cars and making hot rods and we just we were into something a little simpler and the motocross thing was hugely appealing to us so so you came by the the technical stuff honestly right your dad was as an engineer probably at least intrigued you a little bit some of the things he was doing yeah it was that plus you know we didn't really go and buy brand new things we built things out of lawnmowers we built go-karts and mini bikes and it was just kind of the way we rolled yeah. you know we were just a very mechanical family and maybe maybe and everybody actually worked on their own cars back yeah. then as well so yeah that was that was something that i missed and i wish that i would have been exposed to that because i think guys from that generation if you said hey i need you to build a house you could figure it out the guys back then just out of necessity they learned they took their own motors out of their cars and figured out how to fix it and well and electrical it, and whatever like they could just do it well, in, in motorcycle racing, you would go, when I started, it was in 1973 was my first race, and there was guys there with pie plates on, on there were Enduros, there weren't motocross bikes. Yeah. So, so people yeah. took the headlight off, or they just put a pie, pl a pie plate, wrote the number on it, and uh, lineman boots and shoulder pads and bolting <laughs> shit on their helmets, and it was just, let's try this, let's try this, and that one was so cool. Yeah, everything was kind of a modified street bike of yeah. sorts, you know, desert racing was, I mean, you made a... I see Troy Lee's got in a 67 Triumph over yeah. there. I mean, things like that, they just stripped them down, like he yeah. was saying. And and even motocross was, it was more of a, when they made an enduro, people were trying to modify enduros into serious motocross bikes until, you know, Roger and Edison and Torstein and everybody brought real two-stroke motocross bikes to the States. Yeah. I think when we had Marty Smith on, he was telling us when he got knobby tires for his street, it was a street bike that he converted over. Yeah. And like, it was a big deal when he got knobby tires. He was like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm about to do it yeah. right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> got some new radio flyers. Yeah. Walked, yeah. You cuff your pants up. Uh, what, so what were you into as a kid? Were you riding early then? Yeah, I was riding early. We, we, we just played with, we built go-karts out of bed frames or anything, rope yeah. steering. I mean, as long as it had a motor and... And uh, then I started riding. I mean, my, my brother actually had a few bikes, and I would, one was a James. Probably haven't heard of that. It's an old English bike, mm -hmm. kind of like a Triumph Cub, but a cheap version. Okay. And then uh, then we started getting better bikes. I ended up getting a BSA 441 Victor and over time a CZ and started racing some of the lo local motocrosses. And, and what was open at that time? Was uh, Saddleback? Saddleback was open. Carlsbad was a stretch. I'd go down there occasionally, but Indian Dunes, Dunes Valley yeah. Cycle Park, you know, a okay. bunch, bunch of them up north, really. Hmm. Indian Dunes being, um, L.A. County opened up later, but mainly, okay. though. And then, so who first introduced you? Your dad? Did he ride? No, my parents, my dad had nothing to do with my riding. It was all what the kids wanted to do. And okay. if you were going to go race, you figured out and do it yourself. It's not like they were going to drive you there. So how do you make the transition from being a kid that obviously had dreams of being a racer, right? You, or, or did you kind of go, ah, I like this for fun. How do you go into being a mechanic? I just, I just liked it. I mean, I was the mechanic for kind of the neighborhood in a way. I mean, everybody was, but I worked on everybody's stuff. And then, you know, my, my, uh, my parents put a big value into education. Everybody had to go to a four-year academic college. And I kind of wasn't that guy. I was more of a, you know, I think I hands saw on. an ad. Hands-on. I think I saw an ad in, in the cycle news, and it said something about a trade school for motorcycles. It was LA Trade Tech had a motorcycle mechanics. You went there. It was an AS degree, two years. And that was, it helped me more with the foundation of actually how to use measurement tools and chase electrical systems and primary drives and some of the proper ways of maintaining. And, and then it was shortly after that, I worked in a whole bunch of Honda shops. Back then, motorcycle sales were just going crazy, yeah. you know, in the early 70s. Mm -hmm. And then 
think I worked at, um, I don't know, probably four different Honda shops. And then I got hired by American Honda. They were just, it was a newly formed race team and they just needed a shop guy. So I signed up for that. So what year was that? That was, was in 74. Wow. So right, that was, that right. was right when the Elseworlds first came right out. Right when they came out. I mean, Yamaha, it was, of course, one of the, they also had a team, but it was a little more refined and solidified because Yamaha did dirt track, you know, was big at the time. Yeah. Kenny Roberts and Rick Hawking and those guys. And, uh, but Honda kind of missed the dirt track thing and they just, they just started, they had road racing going on in Europe with the Isle of Man and stuff with the six cylinders, but that wasn't really American Honda. They just started off looking for people to, you know, for their motocross team. So That's your awesome. first job there was a shop guy, just, <coughs> just a shop guy. We got to help just, with whatever. And, and the, the team wasn't even in town. You know, the team was off on some national circuit, which I had very little knowledge about. And, uh, but... You know, there was a, I remember there was this uh, plywood blue uh, shelving with all these blown up CR 125 and 250 and some works motors. I mean, there was stuff everywhere and it was like, and a solvent tank and some tools and you could order any parts you wanted and just fix everything. So was that, was, were you like, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. Uh, it's or? a job. Yeah, it yeah. was fun. D way different. I mean, it was yeah. all, yeah. At the time, so w was, you know, like RJ said, did you have aspirations of being a pro? There wasn't really... People weren't really making a career out of that. No, right? I know they weren't, but I did. I I did want to you be did a want racer. To, okay. I rode a lot, and I just trained. I was pretty decent intermediate, like let's say an Indian Dunes guy I could win some of the series. Or if the uh, De La Torre, there was a couple guys that raced out of a CZ, Mid Valley CZ. Yeah, De La would, Torre. Yeah, De La Torre. Yeah. So then they'd give me a hard. They were pretty polished, so it'd be yeah. us, myself, and those two guys. But yeah, I mean, even working in a race team, I'm like, I think I could do this, you know. But anyway, I never. Who, I, didn't, I didn't have the, the, the gumption to really make that transition. So. Who were the guys you looked up to, the top racers at that time? Was it um, DeCoster? I mean, who were the guys? I mean, I, was I mean, it before one, number one, I had a BSA 441 Victor. So anybody that came from Europe that was still racing, which the, two, the four strokes, they were getting outdated quickly. But I still thought that, you know, Banks and those guys racing some of the works, BSA 500s, I thought that was pretty cool, you know. and yeah. But... DeCoster, I mean, and, and anybody, you know, there was Bickers, there was Joel, there was all these guys. I mean, but Roger, Roger led the field because Roger was here for the Trans Am. Roger spent the most time mm -hmm. and Roger brought, I mean, obviously the bike, but the whole mystique, you know, the half helmets and the yeah. jersey and the, the Multini and, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, and he was stylish, you know, Roger did the cross ups and Roger was yeah. dragging the bars and. I mean, and he was kicking everyone's ass. I mean, yeah. you, you, all you did was stare at Roger and go, how right. do we do this, you know? Yeah. So That's crazy. Um, was he, when he would come over here, it was, what was the vibe? Like, we're, like you said, Marty, we were chatting before the show, and he was just a, all eyes on Marty, right? He'd pull his shirt off. Girls were, you know, yeah. throwing their panties at him, whatever. Was it the same with Roger? Because that was kind of the vibe. You look at those old photos. I'm like, man, he's a pretty dapper looking dude. Well, he's a Euro. He was a, you know, he was, he was, he was in a, he was in a, you know, he was on a different Enough team. Said. He was, he was on a different team. And uh, I don't know that I really thought the Americans were going to put those guys out of business anytime soon. You know, I mean, we yeah. were trying, you know, Rex Staten was on our team and Rich Eierstadt and, you know, we had some, we had some good writers at the time. Marty, when Marty came on, that he just trumped everyone on a Honda. I mean, he was just stylish and fast. And yeah. 
I, you know, I don't like to call guys cute, but I think all the girls considered him cute, you know, and then with the blonde hair and the tan, the six pack. And I mean, he was just a marketing, you know, not even that. He was just a juggernaut. So tell, tell uh, David the story. You're at Redbud. You're working for Marty and Roger's on the gate. And you start staring at his front wheel. That's funny. You remember that. <laughs> and so, and then what Roger did to yeah to, to stop this whole thing. This so they're telling me the so, you know the story back. Well, and forth, but take it away. Well, this is <laughs> I can't remember. You, I can't believe you remember all that. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, believe it or not, I didn't listen. <laughs> but even but even uh, you know this is probably around 1977. Now you're talking yeah. about, and then Hannah and Marty, they, and Tony DiStefano. Uh, few other guys maybe whinered a bit you know i mean those guys were starting to come on they were starting to come on you know and i think bob and marty really pushed the envelope trying to one-up each other and then when the europeans specifically roger came back for the trans am i would say it was much more competitive this year partly they made a bike with a whole bunch of travel that wasn't quite working as as well as the previous year but then but in any case i i was torn because you know, yeah, I, we wanted, you want to win races. The Americans were getting a little bit better. At the same time, I never wanted the Europeans. Like, I didn't want them to get beat and then stay home, you know. Mm. I, wanted, I really liked that whole international thing, and I liked watching Roger and the top guys race. And, but he was lined up, what Ricky brought up. Mid-Ohio, uh, is that what you said? No, Red Bud. It was oh, a Red, Red Bud, okay. and uh, you stare at the guy's bike, right? You stare at Roger and all the, you know, the way he's dressed. And, <laughs> but at the bike, you know, and I was staring at the bike, I think specifically the rear suspension, and, and the, it was the two-minute board was up, and they were revving the bikes. And, and I was, for some reason, staring at the chain, and I watched the master link fall off, you know, the clip. I'm like, you didn't just see that, right? You don't, <laughs> and, then, and then it's revving, and then the, the clip fell off, and then the chain came undone. I was like, holy crap i mean i probably should should have left it alone i mean that was one of marty's competitors but i i don't know if it was roger i tapped or his mechanic and i'm i think roger i mean he's two minute boards up and i'm like your chain he probably thought i was messing with him i'm like yeah your chain's off you know (laughs) and uh so roger sees it shuts it off he may have had a japanese mechanic at the time i don't know so then roger wanted to stop the start and pulls his bike over the gate they had back falling gate Pulls his bike in front of the gate to where they can't have a start if they wanted to, and then that gave him time to put the Wow, that was a move. Yeah. That's Total a power, power move, move right there. Yeah. Hey, bitches, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> They're going to fix this real when, quick. When the man, like, he probably picked it up like this. He did. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, <laughs> no. no front, he, he pulled the front wheel it, over. It, it. He got it over it, but it was, you know, not, wow. not pretty, but it, he got it over there, and they couldn't do the start. So they shut it down. Everybody bitching on a little bit, but you know, Roger, you give him time to yeah. put the bike back together. And then, but hearing it from both sides, and Roger's going, boom, boom, ready. He looks back and he says, he just sees Dave going, like, <laughs> like, like what the hell's? He? And he's like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, then, yeah. then he does the move. So that yeah. was that was uh, that. Like I said, that had to be cool for you though to be able to evolve from being the kid taking a you know basically a, a bed frame. And that to now you're now you're starting the hill of the climb of, of I think the best racing dynasty that that, ra- that motocross has ever seen. Mar- Marty beat Roger in a, in a Trans Am. I, mean, <clears throat> I think his mechanic that won the 125 Nationals was just one of the best mechanics ever. A bit of a scientist, mad scientist, John Rosensteel. Oh yeah. But then for some reason John R wasn't doing the Trans Am, so I was working on Marty's bike during the Trans Am and. 
we, we actually one of the first Americans to beat Roger in a Trans Am. Roger came over and congratulated us, you know. Oh, is that but right? It did, yeah. I thought I, I thought he was going to beat us up or something, you know. But, <laughs> but uh, he came over. I mean, Roger was a real ambassador, diplomat. You know, he came over. Good job. I mean, it wasn't. He probably wouldn't have done it if it was Jimmy Weinert, but right. or Marty, Bob. Yeah. or Bob, yeah. you know. But anyway, but uh, what did yeah. he say to you about? Uh, like, did, was anything ever said after that Red Bud start? Like after the race? Not, no, nothing. Okay. No, right. no, no. I mean, I Marty was pissed off. Yeah, Marty was pissed. <laughs> no, I don't know that I ever. Why'd you say anything? I I never really heard anything. I didn't feel bad about it. I mean, yeah. I, you want, uh, I mean, you want to win however you can win, but at the same time, there was a bit of camaraderie even with the europeans back then we were all kind of in this sport it was all kind of growing well especially the trend you, know. you guys are all traveling together it's yeah. like boom 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 yeah. there wasn't no Very, separation i remember and then you know i remember we did a, a grand prix up in canada and i forget the track but it's we were in a hotel in the middle of nowhere so we're all together and uh there was a day i think people were just working on their bikes but there was a ping pong table kind of in the courtyard and I was messing around with it with one of the Honda mechanics, and then um, Heike Mikola comes up, and he's like, well, he's from Finley, he's yeah. white, you know, yeah. not too much tan, he's wearing Speedos, which we normally didn't wear. <laughs> with clogs. With clogs. <laughs> and, and I'm like, and, you know, I'm not going to laugh at anybody, you know, but I'm like, but he was so gnarly, you weren't going <laughs> to say, terrifying. you weren't yeah. going to say squat about it, right? Yeah. But I was like, here I am playing ping pong, a guy with clogs and Speedos, you know, but. That is so I funny. I can't quit looking at his crotch. <laughs> I can't quit looking at his crotch. Yeah. What is wrong, Dave? You seem distracted. Yeah, Dave, clack, 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 clack. Up in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, like, he was tough. He was tough. On the track, he was super tough. Oh, he just photos of that guy. I never met him, but he scares me just through the camera. It's crazy. Um, so who did you grow up racing with? Kind of when you're going back to when you were racing. What were, who were some of the other top guys? You mentioned top those. guys? I mean, Tim Hart was, well, I think he was even a national level guy at time, but he would race locally. Rex Staten would race locally. I don't know that I raced that much with them, but we were in the same um, yeah. classification occasionally. Kenny's um, Art there was, was a guy, again, Kenny's Art was there. There was a, there was a local Boltaco guy named Randy Stubbs. He was really good in our, in our classification. Um, the two De La Torre brothers. Yeah, the CZ they, guys. They, right. Yeah, see, they, they created havoc on me. And But anyway, that that kind of a great. I think some of the guys that Jim Hale, um, yeah. Eddie Cole. Eddie Cole, all right. Yeah. That's that's great. A, I couple, a couple guys that did, did minor, okay. minor did things right. in this business. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember when I first transferred from Intermediate, I kind of liked being a get the trophies, you know, <laughs> and then top three in a series or something. And I think I got, got into the expert class and – Man, it was like gnarly. You know, I think I got seventh my first. I was so dejected that, but actually looking back at who was in the field, it wasn't that bad, but yeah. still. Yeah, it's a national field. Yeah, it's yeah. a national field. So Different different racing back then, right? There's so much talent just right here They're concentrated so, in this yeah. one. It was like a national probably every weekend, huh? Well, yeah. Or five nights a week if you want. I to think that's, that's like, uh, you know, when you reflect and look back, Southern California, I mean, I know this was big all around the United States, and there was hotbeds of you know, in Michigan and or, or in New England and things like that. El Cajon. Yep. I mean, but, man, it was just, it just evolved. And, and, and there was so much competition in Southern California at Saddleback, at Carlsbad, at Barona Oaks. And mm -hmm. it was crazy. I think the amount of the pool you were pulling from and how much 
competition there was just on a local level was. Well, and you would go to Saddleback on just a regular points-paying CMC race. You would have sometimes two gates of juniors. So that's like 80 bikes. Yeah. A full gate, there's uh, sometimes two, of intermediates, and full 40-man gate on 125s, 250s, yeah. and 500s. I mean, it was just massive. You had yeah. to you had to do qualifiers for nationals. <laughs> you had to do qualifiers for Trans Am. You, you just because you were cool and you worked at a factory didn't mean much of anything. Yeah, you were going to get in. You had to go to Ravenna, Ohio, and to get into you know as as one of the races just to qualify to be a Trans Am guy. Yeah. Mm. Does it? I mean, do you look at the sport and just feel like it's it's tapered with interest then, or I mean, does that because there's local racing is relatively small now. I mean, there's there's these amateur nationals that still draw a good crowd, but they're few and far between. I I, I, so I, I think one is the expense. Mm-hmm. And are, are we going to go? Because if we're going to go, we're going to spend $50,000 a year on, on racing. If we're going to be a local pro or even a local intermediate yeah. – because that's what everyone goes, goes after now. They want to get to Loretta Lynn's. They want to get the contingency money. They think that's the path to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, it was go make money. You know what I mean? There, mm-hmm. was, there wasn't the big amateur thing. They had, you know, the uh, World Mini Grand Prix and that kind of stuff. But it was everyone wanted to get to pro as soon as they could so they could start making money. And now I think it's just it, it, you're, you're, you see a lot of people riding in, like, practice days and stuff like that. But you don't see the people racing because they go, why do I want to spend this money when I can go have a groomed track mm-hmm. and ride around yeah. at my own pace and do, do my thing? Back then, the only time you got a watered track was on Sunday. On the weekends. On yeah. the weekend. Yeah, tied, tied into what Ricky just mentioned is I think it's gotten more and more specialized, you know, to where um, it used to be you could buy a bike for X amount. So it's sort of tied into the financial, but you could buy a bike and you could go to race and it wasn't that different with the equipment and you could actually do pretty well you would get recognized you would get an increased level of support and you could sort of climb that ladder uh and, and nowadays i think that you know it's almost like you need the box van you need the mechanic you know you need this the you know now some of these 250 engines you know you need um I, I, you know they need the trainer you need the tracks and people have private compounds now places to go and somebody works on the track every day it's just a uh, I'm not going to say it's a rich man's sport, but I'm going to say the entry and the, it's just more sophisticated yeah. now. Yeah. There's, I think, less people doing it at that level because it just got so yeah. much more sophisticated. I feel like people are busier now, too, or, or they have less time. You know, back even when I was a kid, we looked forward to the weekends. That's kind of what we went and did, and, and uh, we looked forward to that all week. Where now, I, people don't want to spend that time on a Saturday. I don't want to spend all day at the track on Saturday. I'm just going to go to this place that's doing a practice. I'll ride for two hours. I go home. That's true. That's true too. I mean, if you look at motorcycle racing, just even in general tied into lifestyles, you know, I mean, it used to be, I'm going to be the toughest guy and I'm going to show that this bike has, you know, all this endurance to do the Baja 1000. That was the biggest thing Mm. for Malcolm Smith or some of these guys to go a thousand miles and everybody followed that. And then that's like a lot of work to prepare <laughs> yeah. for that race and got all these pit stops and all right so we're going to do the 500 then we're going to do the 250 and then you know and then outdoor national motocross you know sort of motocross in general sort of um trumped maybe some of the off-road races for sure dirt track you know just because the bikes were readily available but then even that outdoor we used to go just pound motos my kid didn't want to pound motos he no. wants to hang out with his buddies tell stories 
we would go to a track. They'd do a couple of the jumps. They'd cut the track short. I'm like, you don't <laughs> cut the track, you know. So, But I want to get back to the jump. That's what's fun. Exactly. Yeah. Take some pictures. I would just, Look at that, yeah. you know. Yeah, different era, different time. So from your racing, when you were all in and you wanted to go after it, how, what, what was the decision to get that, take that job at Honda? And was that, did you kind of give up on the racing dream at that point? You're like, I need to do, find a job? Or? No, I just, I just love the sport. I just love, I really like motorcycles. And to this day, I just kind of fascinated with the mechanics of them all. And, you know, I kind of watch the teams and racing and how they evolved. And you try to think, well, we could do this a little bit better. And I just, uh, you know, working for the factory was definitely a promotion from working in the motorcycle shops, you know. So it was, it evolved. Were you still racing though when you were working? At yes, I, yeah, okay. um, as much as possible. When you get on a race team, you're you're pretty yeah. busy. Yeah, but I mean, I I still race locally. I did, still I did now? some race. Oh, uh, I, not not, oh, I la- you not, okay. not not lately. No, but uh, my lower back. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but I I raced back there when uh, some of the pro guys had a weekend off. I've done Saturday Saddleback they used to have, and yep. Cars Makers in the race, and Rich Irostat, and we'd mix it up. I'm sure they were messing with me, but we'd mix it yeah. up to some degree. So, did you take a take a factory bike down to those? Or no, I oh. had my own bike. I, I, I would build four strokes, and of course, they weren't as sophisticated as they are now. But I'm Jeff Cole from CNJ Racing Frame, and we'd come up with some new concoction. And I think you know, four strokes worked pretty good at Saddleback. They're all slick, and the yeah. jumps weren't that big. It was half yeah. a TT. So I think I led for four or five laps, and then finally the tranny locked up. Thank God, because <laughs> they my, were coming after my you. tongue was in the spokes. Damn so. it! I yeah. was going to win that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, who, what was your first mechanic job with Honda? Then who did who would you work for, Marty? Uh, no, no. There was a couple guys that had gotten hurt in the. They just had one of the first 125 nationals. I think that was like 74 and 75. Okay. And uh, there was there was a couple guys that were coming off the injury list, and it was um, Chuck Bauer and Bruce McDougal. So McDougal. I hear a lot about him. I, yeah. He never really made it. Who's that? McDougal. Bruce McDougal. Yeah. Oh, the guy. He, Local he, he guys. So there was. So Sounded when like Honda that. started this racing, I mean the team was huge. There were seven riders, but they went and sucked up. There was two Mako guys they picked up, which was Irstat and Mosier. They were Southern California hot shoes, and then there was a McDougal and Bauer actually came from Metco Penton. Hmm. And 125, and I think that uh, the manager at the time, Dennis Blanton, good friend of mine still today, um, but he saw Marty and, and his wife, uh, Wendy, at, Wendy at the time, yeah, Nancy, his, his wife worked at Cycle News, but he saw Marty Smith race, I don't know if it was Mammoth, probably for some track, and, but Marty broke down a lot, and so he was never in the results, and Dennis told me he was going to management going, I got to get this guy, but he says there was no real results to back it up, and they're like, what, what's he done, you know, and he's like, trust me, just, <laughs> just trust me, so just get anyway. Him. Just get him. But, so um, who was your first rider that you worked for? First, first rider was, uh, at local races, was Chuck Bauer, Bruce McDougal, just helping him at local, and Tommy Croft a bit. He came later. But first rider on a national circuit was uh, Billy Grassi, okay. Sugar, Sugar Bear. Sugar Bear. Yeah. Well, what Was that experience different? Like when you got to go on the road the first time? Were you in a box fan? Uh, yeah. Well, we didn't have, actually, we started with not semis, obviously not semis, but it was kind of an extended box fan. It was a, okay. it was this transporter of sorts. And multiple, like everybody yeah, picked Yeah, out everybody. Out okay. There was probably, they had... You rolled bikes in, and they had hydraulic things that went up. I mean, you had like about ten bikes in this truck. Yeah. So, oh, jeez, everybody Gary, worked together. And Gary Jones was on there too, right? Uh, he had been, yes. Okay, he was. Was he already gone when you got there? He was already gone. He okay. had just left by the time I came in. Like we probably just, I was going in, and he was on his way out. Yep. So, how was that first year? 
Was it any? Oh, it was kind of a was, shock to you, or were you just like loving it? You know, it, you know, it was a shock. Is that a? I didn't really know that much about a national circuit. I mean, I knew international guys came to town and then they left, and you know, but I didn't know how this whole thing tied into the world globally or even nationally. And so then all of a sudden, you're traveling to Puyallup, Washington, or you're going to Mid Ohio. You're going to all these different places, and yeah, it was a real eye opener. I mean, I was a real you know, sheltered, small circle, Southern California kids. So, but, but that was what was cool back then. And the heat's talking before I was there. But when we all had box fans, I remember in like 19, the Yamaha guys, we typically were at the same hotel. There was at the Indigo Lakes in Daytona yeah. or whatever. Yeah. There'd be the Yamaha box fans, the Honda box fans, the Kawasaki box fans, and the Suzuki, Suzuki sometimes was across yeah. the street at, at Howard Johnson's. But everybody would unload their bikes from the weekend. The, the riders were gone. Or if it was like a Trans Am, we'd stay there and train and do whatever. And they would, on the sidewalk, pull the thing completely to the frame, yeah. put it back together, and then <laughs> to the race the next week. Yeah. And it was just, you had your parts, you had this or that, but the camaraderie and everything, the music would be going, yeah. guys would be yeah. hanging out, like he was saying, the ping pong tournament, stuff like that. It was it was cool because the the mechanics, you guys had your your own friendship. Like you guys, like if you had Lunas, he, he, he hated everybody, you know. <laughs> but But you guys traveled together and hung out together yeah. and looked out for each other during the week and Very then true. on the weekend it's like and a it's lot of on. and a lot of time i mean they were the truck drivers they were the mechanics they did suspension we did engines we did <clears throat> flipping everything we didn't have it's it's almost like and if something broke you know you're on the phone you got new parts in when they said work spikes that nothing worked like <laughs> nothing bolted together you you dreaded having to set up a new frame because you'd have to move mounts and weld things and well, I, beat exhaust pipes. And it's interesting because we, we just shot a bike yesterday for Vital MX. It was a, a David Bailey replica from 86. And I was asking him, what was the difference between your 82, 3, 4 works bikes compared to this 86, which was production-based? And Because I, I thought he was going to say, yeah, those works bikes were so much better. You know, this was a step down. But he goes, actually, they were a lot of work to get the works bikes right. You know, yeah. stuff would stick out here or there, and you had to modify and tweak. And he goes, they were temperamental. He said it was like an F1 car, but he goes, as great as they could be, they also had their bugs and boogers. Yeah, that's very true. And Aaron. with the 86 production, he goes, it was just solid. That's like, true. And, and the other thing that I never really thought about, and you can speak to this, he goes, during the week, we didn't get to practice on the works bikes. So yeah. I had this production jalopy that I'm riding, and then mm. I'd show up at the race, mm. and I got this amazing, I got to completely adapt to the way this bike works. Well, yeah. and I think that's where Brock and I had an advantage. Now, I wasn't a fan of it when Yamaha said, we're going to a complete production bike. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> you know, they said, well, we, we can either buy you out of your contract. I'm like, please, please, please. You know, I'm, like, I'm doing the math and everything in my head for the next two years. Or we can go to production bikes. I'm like, well, so we did. But the advantage that we had to that is the same advantage that I had in 1982. That, that everyone said that thing was such a pile of shit, but I rode it all the time. And I yeah. knew exactly when it was going to kick, when yeah. it was going to swap, when it was going to fold, anything. So I, like, I would go out and write and practice. And just I was mm -hmm. at race pace immediately where Donnie and those guys had yeah. to be smoother and kind of ease their way into it. Yeah. Now, I rode that bike, that 82 thing. It was unbelievable. Um, but if you don't get to ride it all the time, that's what I keep telling people about muscle memory. Mm -hmm. You're better off to ride a bike for five years. I unless you're a top pro, you're better off to ride a bike for five years because you're going to know what it's going to do underneath you. And that, that, yeah. so maybe, maybe a piece of shit, but it's your piece exactly, of shit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it well. Yep. <clears throat> anyway, I just I have a little off, off track, but I thought that was really interesting when he said that. So it kind of tied into there. Um, and my first couple of years racing pro, it was box van days still. 
And I always say the same thing. Like, that was more fun. My, my mechanic and I were a team within the team. Right. And yeah. we would partner up with different guys that we liked, and we'd share hotel rooms, and we'd stay back east and ride. And when it went to semis, it got... I think the box fans. Something. I think the box fans allowed. I mean, in the sport, yes, it's a team sport, but there's a there's a lot of there's a dynamic that, Ricky, what what you need to talk to Ricky about, or what Ricky wants to hear, or it's almost like it creates a little uh, his own little environment, right? You can yep. go in there and talk to Ricky. You don't really have the fan club. You don't have, you know, you're able to kind of have a. You can talk to the mechanic. You can talk to Ricky, and then so you can. And and the other thing you did is you had flexibility. You could. Ricky wasn't happy with his setting going to San or going to Daytona, so you could go off to Hojo Pits and you could go, you know, Hojo set Pits. up, set up, that's set up. Howard Johnson's yeah. parking lot in the back. <laughs> yes, Howard Johnson. We put Howard Johnson. It's all these local things, but yeah. anyway, you could, you could. It gave you t flexibility for testing. Once you got a semi, the guys going, I don't have time to do that, and yeah. you end up having to have a complete different squad. You are you going to? Is everybody going to make it to Southern California or Florida? I mean, the testing yeah. I think got chopped. In 10, you know. Yeah. Well, and what I so. liked about it is that, and I still, in the truck racing, I still like to stay very attached to my crew chief. Mm -hmm. It's because I want to go to dinner with him the night before. If we can, I like to do breakfast the morning of. So, like, I would go have dinner with Brian, and then the next morning I would get up, I would get up and jump in the back of the truck and sleep on the way out to the, out to the uh, track. So I didn't have to get up, take my rental car and different stuff like that. But you're sitting there eating, and you go, oh, yeah. Oh man, I was yeah. gonna tell you about this because you, you know when you're riding, you're thinking, man, I'm kind of feeling something. Then you get back and either you win or you lose or something. Something trumps that idea. But if you're around the person, you're talking all the time, like like say a uh, you know firemen or work together and yeah. stuff like that. You you go, oh shit, I, I remember I was gonna tell you this. And a lot of times that spurs the next evolution of of making you be better. Mm -hmm. Plus you're just tighter. You, yeah. You if the closer you and your mechanic are. I, I mean, I'm sure you felt the same way. It just, it's better for the rider yeah. at the end of the day. It's kind of an extension of the your, your parents. You know, you, you ride at the races, talk about all the great things that are going to happen, and you're either getting yelled at on the way home because <laughs> you did bad or, or they're really happy because you did good. You know what I mean? So it's kind of an extension of that because Brian and I had a very tumultuous relationship. You know what I mean? We were very tight. We worked really hard together, but he was very demanding of me and i was very demanding of him mm. and so if i didn't do good he would like come up and like literally you know it didn't bother me to slap me because he was a little skinny fart but he'd slap me and go quit being a pussy you know you got to go you know like i remember sometimes complaining you know and he said that you know you mess around with squirrels you're going to get your nuts busted and so it's like <laughs> i'm like oh, i gotta be he's like don't get a bad start let, let's let, there's a, there's a reason why you're back there you got a shitty start so fix your starts and, and go forward and i think having that relationship for me, and I know for you as well, helps helps with the rider. What, what's your perspective on that as a mechanic? I mean, did you feel the same way as far as box vans versus semis and that relationship with the riders? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there was, I, first I heard about semi-trucks was from Roy Turner, and I think Roy was thinking more about sponsors coming in and what sponsors want to see and how much, you know, uh, how they want their whole brand visualized and things like that. But um, maybe it makes the sport look uh, a little bit more professional, a little bit, sure. you know, more grown up or whatever you want to call it. But as far as uh, what an individual rider needs on a certain day, I, I always, I, I like the box fans and the flexibility and the one-on-one -on -one communication that the environment of box fans created. And, yeah. And even the flexibility for, like we were saying, the testing, you could just say, well, this week I'm struggling with this. I'm going to go do this. And we did a lot more preparation, a lot more trying things, a lot more testing when we had box fans. Yeah. 
uh, did you ever work for Rex State? Or were you there? You were there when he was there. Sexy Rexy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah were you there I, I when were... he got in a fight with that Vickers guy? Uh, no, I was no. there. Yes, I was there. Yeah. He <laughs> when, we, <laughs> when we had him on the show, he told us that story, and it's so great. We have photos. He's, there's photos of him. I think it's one of the few uh, fight photos I've seen. Oh, the Rex out in the corner, and they started pounding they just, each other. Yeah, he's just beating the hell out of him. Yeah, Rex is a gnarly guy. I mean, but he's the nicest guy in the world, Rex. Yeah. I really like Rex. I mean, Rex was one of the first writers I met when I started working there, and he got his cowboy hat and his big pickup truck, and he's like, "Oh, you're the new guy. Come on, let's go to get lunch." And I remember he had this, big, you know, four by four pickup truck or something. We literally jumped railroad tracks going to Gardena <laughs> from there, and I'm like, "This guy's gnarly." <laughs> that sounds just exactly right. So, so I don't know where you're at, Ping, but so now you've been a mechanic. Who did you win championships with uh, on that? With Marty, obviously. With Marty. With Marty. Did you? Who did you go to from? Um, your first rider. What was your second year? Stay with him, or um, it was. I was with uh, Billy Grossi, and then the the very next year, Honda had tried to hire DeCoster. It didn't work out. So they, mm -hmm. I don't want to say they. Um, Pierre Carsmakers was second pick, but they wanted to get a European guy to help them. There was a thing that a new series of bikes called the Type Two. They wanted Pierre, so a European guy to go back and forth to Japan. So they hired Pierre Carsmakers for it for the. For the American team. Okay. So the more experienced mechanic was uh, Roy Turner. So Roy went with Pierre. Roy had been working for Rich Irestet, so I ended up picking up Rich. Okay. So I worked with Rich, but he only raced for about a half a year. I think he ended up getting a physical limitation, like carpal tunnel or something. So he needed, he stopped for surgery. And then right at that point in time, Marty and Marty, I was with John R. and we would go out to tip. John R. didn't want to travel, travel nationally anymore. And, uh, so they dropped Marty in my lap before the 76 Nationals, saying, just keep the bike together. He'll smoke everybody. So <laughs> him, <laughs> him getting his ass kicked and breaking down was all on me. Right. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it was not a good feeling. It was not a first few races. But and, and it, it, wasn't, it was a bad year. But Well, tell us, take us through that season, but I'm thinking that if them saying that to you, those bikes broke all the time back then. They broke yeah. all the time. Well, and, and Marty, too. I mean, Mar Marty was a scrapper. I you know, mean, Mar Marty, so I, I, you know, this gets into, I mean, Bob Hanna came on the scene. He was hungry and Yamaha came out with the monoshock water cooled. And it was just not one step. I mean, and I don't want to say it was just the bike, but they were way ahead of everybody else. And Yamaha was? It, Yamaha. And it wasn't even just Bob. I mean, everybody that got on that bike, you know, was Rick Burgett and Brock Glover and Mike Bell, Mike Bell and Staten. I mean, they all, they, they won everything. So, and so, how did that first year with Marty go? Well, we got along great, <laughs> but we got our butts kicked, you know, almost all year long. And the other thing that happened on the same year was the claiming rules. So then, back to what Rick was Mickey saying, Boone, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so it, halfway through the season, we'd been waiting for this new bike. It was called the Type Two. And oh shoot, um, I, if Terry Good was here, he'd help me. But I, I forget the, the race that we brought it out. Marty was. He got on this new bike, and he was smoking everybody way out in front, got knocked down by a lapper. Then at the end of the day, so he didn't win the overall, won one moto. Was this Hangtown? No. Okay. It was uh, back east, and I'll think of it in a okay. minute. It was like Run Rabbit, Run ri I forget. It's like Illinois or something like something that. Something like yeah. that, yes. And uh, in any case, then, so raced at one time the Type 2, which we were behind going into the season, the bike. And then... Um, what happened? Oh, so then the bike, Mickey Boone tried to claim the bike. <laughs> Honda 
the bike, their brand new bike they just brought to the States is going to get claimed. They were like, there's no way in hell. And so they pulled the bike. So then we're going to race the old bike. And then he even tried racing a production bike because he was friends with Donnie Emler. And uh, it was just a bad experience wow. that year. So we were just, that, we just we were just behind and we stayed behind. So. Yeah. So that guy didn't get to claim the bike. They just said no. no they started this whole game. That that the whole claiming rule came from dirt track racing. Uh, everybody's sort of on the same equipment and don't develop something exotic. And then you could buy for twenty five hundred bucks. Somebody else's trying for BSA. It was sort of left over from that era. But no, I mean it ended up. Um, Toward the end of the 70s, that was 76. Somebody's bike did get claimed, though, right? Like I want, and I want to say it was that a factory. Was Marty Tripes' 250 got claimed a couple of years later. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, of. was that at Hangtown? I swear I read something about a I bike getting claimed. I, for, at I forget the track. Might have been Hangtown. Okay. Anyway, seems like but a crazy I mean, it, rule. But, like. but the managers, to keep it from happening, you know, they got these bikes where the Japanese were developing things yeah. and putting a lot of engineering and a lot of money, and they weren't worth $2,500. I'll tell you, you know, yeah. they were. And so then the team managers were carrying around suitcases with $20,000 each. And then, so if some bike got claimed, all the other factories would throw, you know, get all their privateers and all their riders. Everybody would, so the odds were like, well, I don't know, one in 15, one in 20 or something. You would actually pull it off. Jeez. Whereas the guy that claimed Tripes' bike actually pulled the ticket and pulled it off. So. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's nuts. So how long were you with Marty then? I was with Marty um, all the way through 79. He got hurt at Houston Astrodome. It's either beginning of 78 or beginning of 79. But in any case, um, but I was with him. He, we won a 500 national championship in 77. We almost won the 250 nationals the same year, but had a DNF at Red Bud. Tony DeStefano won the championship. 78, I think it was beginning of 78, he got hurt at Houston Astrodome and it was hard for Marty to come back from that. That was a dislocated that hip. Like dislocated hip. So, yeah, yeah. I, I dislocated my hip in 83. And and I'll never forget this for Smitty because, I mean, I, he, he was my hero. Down yeah. at Smitty 117 and all the different stuff and San Diego guy. And we'd, we'd cross paths and stuff. And, and, I mean, he just he had everything right. The dune buggy, the motorhome, the Porsches. The, he was good looking. I mean, he was yeah. the, he was the, the whole, whole package. Complete package, including his wife, Nancy. She was a, just yeah. a complete doll. Anyhow. I dislocated my hip, and I'm all whacked out on morphine in St. Louis in this terrible place. They didn't even have it on the drip. They just would, like, just hotbox me <laughs> yeah. right in the ass with it. And, uh, and it hurts bad. Like, if you've never dislocated a hip, there's a, there's a level of pain that you don't know exists. I'll mm, be honest yeah. with you. Um, and so it, it's crazy. And so Marty called me. He was one of the only guys that called me. Like, no current racers called me. No, no teammates uh. called me. But Marty called me and wanted to see how I was and said, hey, yeah. I just want you to know and, and don't worry about what you feel or what anybody else thinks. He says, I want you to know from me that that was, that was my demise. I, I never wanted to come back after that. No. Just yeah. because the pain was so well, bad? No, like just, just to realize, well, this, this bitch can hurt me. I, I didn't know she could hurt me that bad. Mm. And then so, so that was it's a, hard, it's a hard thing to overcome. You realize you're dating a stripper at that point or something. Exactly. Is that, it's kind of like. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> this girl's going to ruin me. <laughs> I, I, I think. Ricky said it best, but I don't think Marty, I mean, Marty was just naturally talented. All this stuff, I won't say it just came easy, but it, it, everything was flowing like really well, you know, as far as, you know, his momentum and his speed and his, you know, how he fit within the Honda deal. And, but that whole thing, like Rick just said, it just, 
he never realized it could turn into that. Mm. You know, it was a level of pain that he didn't want to ever experience again. And I think it changed his whole, I don't know how comfortable you are riding, you know, close to that line, but yeah. he never, he wanted that gap to be bigger. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's the injury that retired Jeremy. I mean, after he yeah. did that hip, I think it was the same kind of thing where he went, whoa. Yeah. Hang on a second. <laughs> Let me recalculate <laughs> what this is worth, you know. Why am I doing this? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so how many championships do you end up winning with him? With Marty? Yeah. Uh, the 77, 77, I think just the one. Oh, just the one? Yeah. What was that about? Was you guys, well, we, what was that feeling like at the last round or when you wrapped it up? We, we, uh, we sort of lucked out of the two fifties because we had a mechanical uh, DNF at Redbud. So, I mean, he had a pretty clear margin in the 250 class that same year, but then we broke down and Tony DiStefano won that series. Mm -hmm. Then in the 500s. Hannah kind of had our number. I mean, it was close between those two, but Bob had the points lead going into Gainesville, and a throttle cable came off his slide or something came disconnected. Oh, I and, remember him talking about that. And he was that. sitting on top of jump just watching Marty lap after lap, and, mm -hmm. you know, so we somewhat lucked into that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, we were close enough in points. It was either Marty or Bob. But And then so when at what point did you step out of that and start managing the team? Um, it was... 80? Japan, 1980. Yeah. Well, I didn't manage in 1980. So at the late 79, um, there was, a, you know, Honda Honda started looking at, they want, when I say Honda, HRC, or, you know, it wasn't even HRC then. It was just their engineering. They wanted to have a more full-time designated staff designed for development of motocross bikes. That was kind of new. I mean, they had engineers work on this project and then take them off. The stuff was great, and then they'd disappear for a year, and then they'd work on it again, maybe even a different group, you know. So then it became, you know, there was, Honda wanted to, to really get in and make more of a mark and, mm -hmm. and, and do it over a period of time. I think they got some criticism when they went road racing in Europe for like Isle of Man that they spent a bunch of money for a few years and then they pulled out and it kind of created a void, you know, and so the sport got a lot of interest and a lot of publicity or their action, their involvement, and then poof, and then poof, it was gone. So they go, okay, it's going to be a 10 year commitment and we're going to do this motocross. We're going to do road racing, the Freddie Friends Spencer and dirt track and all this other, all these other racing programs, works racing programs. And, uh, so we started doing all this testing toward the end of the 70s. And it was probably Yamaha up the ante with the monoshock. So Honda started working on water cooling. Honda started working on link, progressive linkage systems. So they hired DeCoster at the end of 79. And from that point on, it was just testing, 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 testing to, to develop that uh, ProLink suspension system. And... At the end, it was like, I remember it was a two-week test with DeCoster. We went to Santa Maria for a bunch of days, and the very last day of the test was at Carlsbad. But I I, I wanted to go to Europe bad. And I, I know he had a, a Swedish mechanic, um, Eula was the guy's name. And But I, like with Roger, I was like nervous to approach him, but I wanted to be his mechanic in Europe yeah. bad. And I did at the very last day, and he says, well, that um, Heike wasn't going to be his mechanic for the following year, he didn't really know. And I said, well, if there's any opportunities. So he picked me up on that and he says, well, you gotta be here. You gotta live with me in, in Tremolo, Belgium. And we're gonna like fricking work a lot. and We're gonna race a lot. And you know, so that was- <laughs> You were like, heck yeah, I, 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 that was, so that was a break. I, and a lot of, some of the Americans too. I mean, 
the premier form of racing still was Europe. It yeah. was the Grand Prix. It yeah. was the 500 Grand Prix. And I just kind of wanted to experience that whole, all the different tracks, all the riders, and kind of help start to ride this wave with Honda putting more of an effort into the development of the bikes. So, so you, you knew they had that 10-year plan. You kind of saw what was coming then at that point, huh? Did you have a being I guess privy I, to that information? I, I, yeah, I had, a, I, had an, I had an idea that, you know, but I just... Uh, I probably was a little bit. That's an international uh, realization, right? I'm probably. I'm yeah. gonna go. I'm gonna go to Europe, and I'm gonna pour my heart into it and make the best yeah. of it. And I didn't know all this other stuff would pan out the way it panned out. So you did the 1980 GP season with Roger. Yes. And how we, did that go? Uh, great. A lot of work. He was really fast at a lot of races. Probably a bit over his peak. I mean, but his job with Honda, our job was to develop the bikes. And Roger's job specifically was more to mentor the younger guys, which mm -hmm. was Graham Noyce and Andre Malherb. So there was three works guys that year. It was us, Roger, it was uh, Malherb and Noyce. Mm -hmm. Malherb ended up winning the championship. Um, Malherb, being, Malherb and Roger had a really good relationship. I think Andre used Roger a lot. I think Graham, you know, I think he had more of a group of friends from England. I think he was more comfortable with, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like Andre benefited from Roger quite a bit for the okay. winning that Well, another Belgian guy yeah. is, a, you know, kind of a local hero yeah. to, to some sense. And so, and and back then there was a lot of division between the Brits and the Belgians <laughs> and the Germans <laughs> and the Americans and all that. That's that's one thing I experienced. And, in, you know, being American, I mean, we're, you know, I, what else is there besides America, right? <laughs> <laughs> so then, but when you're over in Europe, it, not that everybody hates each other, but it's, it's factions. They almost do. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, the, the you know, it's the Swedes are, they all hang out. And they're all wearing blue and light yellow. They all got clogs <laughs> on. The Finns, the, the Brits, I mean, the Germans, the Italians. I mean, it's fascinating, yeah. right? I mean, they're just totally different. And we just lump them all into Europeans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's true. We do. Yeah. I'm, but, I'm yeah. right there. No, but that was, but the travel and going to all the different tracks and all the different countries. And Roger, I mean, I was spoiled. I mean, it was a lot of work. How it was old were you every at this time? I mean, I probably was late 20s, just turned into 30, somewhere and around there. You were there. married then? Yeah, I was yeah. married then, yeah. yeah. Oh, My yeah. wife came over for a few weeks, but it was it was just the job first and yeah, yeah. everything else was, oh wow that was yeah. tough huh Being, i mean basically you know, a year, look, look, look looking back you get grief for things like this i think in the day people were more inclined just to you know sign up for a cause and do what you got to do so yeah that's awesome so didn't he win luxembourg last he won the last race and yeah. we almost I, I know how many times you can say yeah. it almost but the race before that was uh namur it was in belgium yeah. and and we almost won the Murray. He was leading going away, and it started downpouring like crazy. And uh, and I know he wanted to win the Murray and all the local Belgian press and all the stuff, and our throttle stuck. Oh. So he had to pull out. And so then the very next weekend was the championship decider, the last race. And then the championship at that point was really between Brad Lackey and Andre Malherb. So Roger, you know, kind of had to wear a couple hats. I mean, he I don't know that he was planning on retiring, but of course he wanted to win. And... He wanted to win, but he couldn't trip up the championships. So. Right. Sure. So. How, did you get along with Lackey at the time? I mean, being another fellow American there, or did you communicate yeah, yeah. with him quite a bit? Or uh, Yeah, quite a bit, yeah. I mean, and again, Ricky mentioned it was still more of, there was com camaraderie, you know, after the races, we'd go to dinner together and yeah. things like that. You know, everybody sort of, it's almost like whoever won, that factory, it, 
didn't get quite as cutthroat as it is now or quite as divided as it is now. You know, those are those guys. It was yeah. a little bit more you were in it together. I, br- yeah. I brought that to the sport. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> but what, So but, overall, your, your year in Europe, like, what are some things that stood out for you? Just little, little nuggets from that era. Because what a cool time. Like you I said, mean, that I, was when I, it was still the pinnacle. And now, just I think in the 80s, it sort of, Americans started dominating. And I think for motocross, we're probably back to where they're faster. But at the time, that was the highest level. That was the place of, to be. Yeah. Yeah. It was a turning point. I mean, but, but I got to experience like all of the, just the Grand Prix tracks in Europe and all the different countries. I mean, all the travel. I mean, even going, you know, into Eastern Bloc yeah, countries. And, and stuff yeah. Like that. I mean, you didn't even do that. I mean, they had... The Iron Curtain was still yeah. alive and well, and you just got to see parts of the world you never you never would imagine, you know. Yeah. So it was an eye opener for me. I was I was probably asleep during history classes during junior high and high school. I mean, none of this stuff made a lot of sense until I really traveled in Europe. You're like, holy crud, you know. I yeah. kind of get it now. Yeah, that's but, that's an education that you won't get in a book, though, right? No, now. you don't get it. And we tested. Oh my God, we tested, and there was you know Honda was. We were all, as a group, developing this ProLink system, but they would send parts into whether it's even uh, Frankfurt, Germany, or in Alst, there was an office in Belgium. So we'd have to go pick up parts every other week and just sort of, we had an engineer there some of the time, not all of the time, but it was really on us to, and we tested these little tracks near this old bomber factory in the middle of, you know, sand track in Belgium. And then we'd go, to, we'd go to these tracks and, Sylvan Gabors would be there doing his thing and all the German guys on the Makos and Harry Everts. And I mean, it was almost like a Grand Prix just going yeah. to local practice tracks, you know. It was, it was super cool. So Dave's thinking, should I ask him for an autograph? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Not I in front mean, of Roger. I, I Not remember, in front of Roger. I remember this one track, and uh, normally that, that was just one sandy track near the factory, but this other track was more hard pack. And, Anyway, it was a, I think it had been sort of a cow pasture, but the cows had moved on because they were riding dirt bikes, you know. And then I was over there scraping mud, and Harry, Harry Everett stopped by because he's, he's another friendly Belgian. Roger and him go way back, and he's like, that's not really mud you're scraping. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Kind of smells funny. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so you guys basically started that Honda, that Honda wave that year. I mean, as far as technology and developing all that, you were, you were on the forefront of the, the ProLink, the linkage. You know, we had quite a bit of we had quite a bit of influence. I'm no one person's going to take credit for any all the. It was a really a group activity. But also, Chuck Sun won the championship in the United States that year. So when we came back, you know, with his mechanic Eric Krippa, so oh, Krippa was working for him. Okay, Krippa was working there. And so then, uh, when I got back from Europe, it was more like uh, Gunnar Lindstrom had been the team manager. He was moving on to some job within auto within the corporate Honda thing. Mm-hmm. So then it was like, you're doing the management thing. And, and we ended up, we were supposed to hire Mark Barnett, the number one guy at the time, and it didn't work out. And so Japan kind of, they even kind of backed up. They were disappointed. They put together, they got Roger and Dave's going to be the manager and they're going to all set up, do all this stuff, hire the fastest guy, didn't happen. And they were like, you guys, you're not worth the power to blow, <laughs> to blow the shop up, you know? So then we started to, kind of we had the, the the joke at the time was we went to the local track in southern california and picked up all the locals which omera, was hansen. omera <laughs> hansen we had bailey a little bit later and we just kept testing and working on bikes and toward the end of the 81 season well in the middle of the 
250 Nationals, actually, we built a bike for Donnie Hansen, and we could never really get water cooling. You know, it ran really well, but ergonomically it was funky, and it upset the CG, the handling of the bike. So we ended up building kind of a hybrid of an air-cooled tank, and we moved the radiators, we moved the weight of the water cooling down, and, and Hansen became really competitive against you you know, Bob, and you yeah. were race. Well, you were in 250s at that time, weren't no, you? No, not yet. Maybe not the yet. next year. Yeah, I was at 82. Mm. So then Donnie got competitive. And then going into the 82 season, holy smokes, man. The, they took kind of a lot of what we'd been working on uh, developing in Southern California. And then Japan was kind of hitting everything officially from 82 on. Mm -hmm. And they built the bike that had the low gas tank and the monocoque air box and the lower radiators like we were doing. And... That changed everything. I mean, it was such a good bike. And I've heard a lot of that. That 82 Works bike was like... It was so far wow. ahead of everything. Yeah. And not by a little. So in 80, when you guys were developing that stuff in Europe, was Chuck Sun, were, were you communicating with him? Was he running the same setups you guys had? Or was it sort of I, two I, different I, teams? No, I would say there was a lot of communication. But then the stuff that Roger was doing, and we had... Three different suspension groups that we were trying to keep happy over there. With the Showa guys were following us around, the KYB guys were following us around, and we were working heavily with Bruce Burness and Ken O'Lean, which was Ken O'Lean had been making twin shocks for Huskies, but now he was making single shock yep. for uh, upcoming linkage bikes. So we were doing a lot. And Ken O'Lean, you know, is a group Roger. We did all this testing out at Yucca Valley about. Mm. really trying to understand how fast the shock speeds were and everything we'd been doing up to that point wasn't even close you know we didn't we our dyno in southern california went up to like one meter a second and we did all this testing with high-speed cameras and the shock was seeing more like seven meters per second and the forks were over 10 so oh, wow. it completely changed the curves that we were you know and i think that uh so there was there was a lot of um, there was a lot of development. So we were kind of ahead of maybe in some ways what they were doing and what Chuck had maybe in the states, but basically the same platform. You guys used that place a lot to test Yucca. Uh, we was it Palomar? What was the track called out there? You guys would ride I don't, in Yucca. Yeah, we used it a lot. There was two different tracks. One was danger treacherous between rocks up in the foothills and then the other one was more out in the valley i don't remember the name of the track what's funny is we had randy lawrence on the show not too long ago and he told a story about he's a little kid out on his dirt bike you know cruising around and he comes across johnny o yeah testing yep. a twin cylinder 125 i remember that day <laughs> and he so i remember that test smash cut to yeah. randy working for emig going over to europe for the first time and He's sitting next to Johnny O, and he's nervous just to sit next to him. He goes, hey, so how was that twin cylinder 125? <laughs> Johnny's like, what? How'd you know about that? Yeah. You guys use that just because it was sort of remote or? You know, yeah, well, it was I mean, remote. Yucca Valley. It, was, it was remote, and it was it was rough. It was, yeah. you know. Laporte had a bunch of traction. And, Laporte, and I was going to say, Roger and Danny. Danny Laporte now was come on the team. That was probably, you know, 80, 82-ish. 80, yeah. Well, because and also Ricky decided not to. So, yeah. but anyway, Danny. Drew, Danny was talk on, about that. But, but okay. they had. But they had all the. Danny had all these tracks, and they were rough tracks. You know, like just whooped out. You okay. know, desert tracks. So I forgot Danny was from Yucca. Yeah, I was he's thinking from Yucca. Yucca, for people that don't know, is like 
the middle of nowhere. It's high desert. It's and, and, and then and then plus after testing, Danny is you know his, his Italian mom. You know she'd make all these big. Hey, everybody coming yeah. over for dinner. So yeah. Okay. Anyway. Interesting. Um, so that '81 season, you guys are still just a lot of development. What do you a remember? Lot of, a lot of development. Uh, Hanson and and we were kind of not even the bad news bears yet. We were really more of a C plus B level team, you know, trying to, we weren't really the status of the Howertons and the Hannas, the Glovers, the Barnetts. I mean, we weren't really that, you know, and then all of a sudden we were developing the bike and there was some, it was a good base, but we, we were getting it a lot better. And then all of a sudden Donnie started racing those guys and yeah. beating those guys. And we were like, whoa, you know, and then I think the thing that really put us over the top was Dick Miller um, decided or called Roger and he said, AMA is not going to put together a motocross trophy nations team for 81. Right. And he was all sideways about it. Like we'll help raise money. And he asked Roger, Roger desk was just, we faced each other sitting right across from me and Roger's asking me, hey, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. In my mind, I'm going, there is no way in hell a bunch of guys in Southern California are going to go beat Velconaires in the sand. You right, know, yeah. I mean, I'd seen those guys. And, yeah. But anyway, that's what we signed up for. And then the rest is, rest I mean, on that. I can't freaking believe that they did, honestly, to this day. And, and you know, and, and the other thing, too, is we were... We had been playing in Supercross in 81 between, well, what's better, air-cooled or water-cooled? And water-cooled, even in, in some of the advisory board meetings, riders, they wanted to outlaw it, and the hoses are going to come off, and people are going to get burnt. And, Is and that the right? Yeah. And handling of the bike was a little funky, and ergonomically it was funky. So, But anyway, we went to Europe for those races with air-cooled bikes, and deep sand, and the bikes are detonating, and anyway. so, But those guys winning... The team of the all Honda team winning motocross and motocross uh, donations in '81 kind of made us start to feel legitimate, you know, mm -hmm. and got the respect of Japan to sort of treat us maybe even a way or be involved more legitimately. So, and, so the four guys: you had Johnny O, yeah, um, Laporte, Chuck Son, yeah, and uh, was yes. it Gibson yeah, or Gibson? No, Gibson. Then Jim Gibson, right? Was that the first year? Hold on. Um, it was Laporte, Son. It was Amara. Yeah, Amara, um, Laporte, Son, and I'm trying to think. Was Hanson. It was Hanson. Hanson. Because Hanson got, yeah. got hurt in 82, and you yes. brought Gibson over. Yeah. No, you brought yes. David over. Yeah, I brought David over. But then yeah. we had an all-different team in 82. Magoo right. was on the team in 82. Mm -hmm. I mean, completely different. And even I that changed the whole status of United States and the level of American writers. I mean... <laughs> It changed everything, you know, like it, the, all of a sudden the press, I mean, they really, the European press, they held world champions on a pedestal, you yeah. know, with the Thorpes and the mm -hmm. Hawk and Carlquist, those guys, you know. And we were kind of a joke. And the Americans were a joke going there. Like, they were who, cute. Who, who are they? <laughs> no, no, cute. Oh, look, that's cute. They're that's coming cool. in. That's, that's nice. <laughs> but, who, but who are these guys? That's not Howerton. That's not Hannah. Yeah, yeah. That's not Glover. That's who, I mean, we didn't even know these guys. Yeah. And then they win. And then the next, and, but and they, so didn't, you, they didn't win with 1-1, one, one, you know. We, we won by accumulated by score. Points. And then the next year, you come back, and they're like, who are these guys? Like Magoo <laughs> yeah. and Bailey. And they dominated, like yeah. dominated. Magoo won everything. So, uh, and I have my hero on notes. As far as 
was you you had so many different personalities from Bob to the the dynamic duel between Johnny and Dave and all the different stuff. But was Magoo the hardest person for you to manage? John Michel Bale was the hardest person yeah. for me to manage, but right. that was later. We'll right. get there. I got him. To but, 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 but Magoo, but Magoo no Magoo. Magoo. It depends on a personal level or trying to keep enough parts on the in the in the yeah. truck. As far as know. as far as a racer, just like I hated racing against him. Not he wasn't dirty. He just scared the shit out of me because you never knew what he was doing. Like when he passed Steve Wise, you know, with with a foot and a half between the the, the K rail and, yeah. and that. And every time you came into a corner, you had to you had to go right down the inside because it didn't yeah. matter how far back it was. He was going to go in <laughs> ten feet deeper than you, and so you That's, either had to be you were a berm or not. Bro, I don't know. <laughs> I I'm I was a sucker for anybody with speed, you yeah. know, and. So from that standpoint, I mean, it was very controversial to bring a guy. And, and the, almost, I was almost made to feel it was irresponsible to put a guy like Magoo on a Works 500. You know, right. that Brock Glover and David Bailey were the reigning two fastest guys on 500s at the time. And Glover would come over to me like, like just dumbfounded exactly what right. like, how do you race a guy that's crazy yeah. like and and i mean he wasn't trying to be funny he was like exactly it what was scary he, he was I, i'll set him up on the off cameras i'll do this i'll do that and then he just you'd see on a downhill you'd see and these things made power yeah. i mean they made a lot of power and on a downhill on a works 500 you see magoo's elbow go down by the foot to his you head. know yeah. and you're like oh, 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 oh. yeah so yeah, anyway. he, he was, and what he did there, um, it, it just, it's mind-boggling. Because I did, in 84, you know, we, remember we were over there, we did donations, and I was in, I did the 500, riding 500 one weekend, and 250 the next weekend. Yeah. And you had to travel, we went from Finland to Sweden, and it was yeah. just all this crazy stuff. But for him to kick everyone's ass that dominant. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was Weren't unbelievable. you riding behind him when he finished one time? I thought you told me this story. And as he comes across the line, you just see everybody swarming. Was that you telling me that no, story? No, no, uh, Somebody was behind Magoo as he crossed and won, and they were just saying it was like, they had this, they had they sort had of a... had Bailey. It must have been David Because I, I wasn't there. It was all on the guys. <clears throat> yeah, anyway. That was in 82, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of... Mil you know who showed up in 82? Like a lot of America. I was surprised to see in Germany... Um, a lot of American military came. Oh, to, really? Yeah, and I knew a lot of guys from the States flew to Europe. I mean, after the upset in 81, there was a lot of guys that went over there. Yeah. A lot of That's Americans right. that went to witness it. Little side rabbit hole here. How good was Donnie Hansen for that window? Like, I know he, he got hurt in 82, which kind of ended his career, but for that window of 81, 82, where he started to really figure it out. He's spot on. He was really he was good. Huh? Like, I think very underrated. Yeah, he was spot on. Like He, he didn't was, make many mistakes. You know, and, no. But that, he would go this fast all day long. Yeah. And, and he trained his ass off. I mean, yeah. he was in great shape. So we had 45-minute motos back then, and I would just, I was like Tanner from the Bad News Bears. I would just run into him and try to crash him and try to smash him and stuff, and he would just, he would never lose his cool. Solid. Just just no. right right there every every bit of the way. I mean, yeah. that, that smooth. He looked, the style just looked incredible. A little, little bit of footage I I think his size, everything, he was yeah. ergonomically, yeah. Like, like Brock and I are big, and he wasn't. He was a little smaller like Johnny, and so he fit yeah. the bike well, and he was right. He fit, it was like, he fit 
where we were at with the development of the bike. I mean, it was a really, that's a weird statement, but you can see there was eras where Jeff Ward was kind of a good package on that. But right. then, but then you know, somebody else would race that bike. And it's like a mini bike, you know, yeah. and then, and the same with Schultz on Suzuki that Barnett was developed for Mark Barnett. But Donnie was, and we were making a lot of progress with the bike with linkage and chassis geometry and mass, you know, all the placement of all the parts on the bike. They were smaller in the 80s. You know, I asked you, I think, during your show about that. And, you know, when I sit on a bike from the 80s, like we've got a, an 86 250 sitting here, it's a small rider compartment. I'm really comfortable in it because I'm so small. But, like, you and David, I, I, you seems like you should have looked massive on them. You didn't, but you said even then you, you had to make changes. I think David brought his pegs back 5 mil and or brought them out and had the different 22 off cl offset clamps to kind of get forward a little bit further with the handlebars and open that cockpit up. Yeah, but you just made do. You you figured it out. Yeah, you know? it was. It, it, it's like, well, that's what you got to ride. Yeah, but know? it makes sense that a shorter guy like Donnie would just right. fit with that thing. Or Johnny, interesting. Yeah, Donnie was Donnie was spot on. I mean, in Supercross started in Supercross. You know, well, it started actually in 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 Outdoor Nationals in in eighty one. Went into Motocross the Nations eighty two. He was unstoppable for Supercross and Outdoor. Yeah, mm. not, not unstoppable. Oh, yeah, not <laughs> unstoppable. He hits, he hits no, wait, bit. wait. What was wait, it? Ow, he just hit a nerve. <laughs> I need yeah. some Novocaine. Red, code red, code red. Wait. The, when did you break the wheel? That was in Colorado when you brought Kenny Keel on. What, I tried what, to pass what, Kenny. What year? 82. All right, I take that back. He was, un <laughs> he was unstoppable. I mean, we lucked out. <laughs> no, it didn't luck out. They did the right thing at the right time, and they won. And honestly, I look back at that, like that's the one that hurts mm -hmm. the most because I had to push the bike around and do all the different stuff. And then Chase Johnny, Brock took off and chased Johnny for 45 minutes trying to crash him. And he's just looking at me just going <laughs> like, nope. And I cried. I literally cried for 45 minutes, and then... I crossed the line second. He finishes right behind me, lose the championship, and so they did. It, they did everything right. But honestly, that's what made me. That's what made me so determined. You mm -hmm. know, and, and ended that, up being a, a, a something for, good a force, for you. A force yeah. at a later time. Yeah. It was, but but it was it was good for me, and mm -hmm. um, probably if I would have won, I think success would have probably hurt me mm. in in more ways than one at that time. Yeah. So if you were the team manager, what was Roger's title at Honda? Was he like ambassador? Or he, was was a, he was an advisor. advisor and okay. um, I think he was, you know, an advisor. I, but Roger and I were really connected at the hip. We had different roles, but the same purpose. And but I managed the team day to day, you know. And But I mean, everything I ran by him. And he was sort of, uh, he was kind of helping Japan technically with the bikes. But then we would feed him all the technical information. So it was a really... I thought healthy relationship. David said something yesterday about the two of you. <clears throat> was that it was kind of like a one plus one equals three. Like the two of you together, he had a really good relationship with Honda or with Japan. Mm -hmm. He had credibility with the riders as a champion. You know, right. I mean, at the time, if he said something, it was like, right, well, it was gospel. Well, absolutely. So you, you had. And you then you were very good with the technical thing. Like you both together were just mm -hmm. very, very potent. I, and, and Dave, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Mark Blackwell evolved the role of a team manager and what they do because Mark came as a race, from a racer and doing schools and doing all the different stuff. And I'll never forget, um, I see him over there with Howerton and, and Barnett, and he, he, he would hand draw the track, and you would see him everywhere. Yeah. He'd mark it down. Yeah. He'd mark it yeah. down. And I'm like, God, he's giving them, he's telling them all our lines. Yeah. And so yeah. that when you had. When you had Roger and Dave, it was great because they weren't arguing. 
it's going to be hard for you to hear because I'm complimenting you guys so much. They didn't argue about who was the boss. It was who who said the right thing to win. Mm-hmm. Like when, when it was when they had to deal with the three of us, with Johnny, David, and myself, I mean, imagine having got three guys all racing for mm-hmm. first and, oh, shoot, who's, whose truck do I go to first? I don't want to mm-hmm. piss this guy yeah. off or this or that. But it was always good, the rotation and what I could get from either person. And I never felt like, oh, I got to say this to Dave or I got to say this to Roger. Mm-hmm. And as I said, you, I would say something to Roger to Dave and then they would go talk about it. You mm-hmm. see, like literally see him come from David's truck, him come from mine when he's going, well, like Rick says it sucks and David says it sucks. Well, we need mm-hmm. to make a change mm-hmm. and things like that. So having, it was like having two of them. And I feel that, that they, I had two, two uh, Mark Blackwells, you mm-hmm. know, that I had to go mm-hmm. to. So it was... Because that was tough for you guys. I mean, have to have the, uh, that dominant of a team. I mean, trying you know it's great, but when you have two guys chopping each other out, you know. Uh, so well, it's a good point you bring up about Blackwell. Because I remember when I first got thrown into the manager thing. I mean, he was the guy in Suzuki team. Like, I mean, Blackwell being that he was a former racer. I mean, he got it, you know. And so he was able to communicate, like you're saying, with riders and lines and strategy and things like that. And but he was the guy you had to beat, and he was the guy we were, I mean, you'd have to get to the track. It was Back then, you had to kind of ribbon everything off for truck parking. I mean, you had to get there earlier than Mark. And <laughs> I mean, from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, it was, you know, he was kind of the guy you were shooting for. Mm. And But I thought with, um, in that role, there's, and managing all the different personalities and working with the setup of the bike, working with the suspension guys and working with, you know, some of the engineers, there's more work than any one person can actually do. Yeah. I mean, it's, and whenever anybody, let's say from the corporate would offer to help, you're like, you're almost like anybody. Yeah, you, can, you know, anybody can help, but you kind of have to have the right personality, be able to fit, be effective. A lot of people get wrapped up in the, yeah. I don't know. Well, you guys, I mean, obviously the two of you together created an incredible era of that mid, well, shoot, all the way through the 80s really and into the 90s. Yeah. Um, so was you were working for Donnie, or he was your first championship, rather, um, at Honda when you came over? Or no, Marty. Yes. Well, as a mechanic, but as a manager. Marty, yeah, yeah he was with, your first with a, Mar, Mar, working with Marty was my first championship. But as a manager then, Donnie was, right? Yeah. Yes. And how was that? Yeah. Was that uh, special for you, any different than it being as a mechanic? Well, I mean, 80, 81, I kind of view that. That was a team championship, you know? I'm like, well, that was a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah, that, and then Donnie went in uh, Supercross and Outdoor, and then I think Schultz was in the same year. He won the 500, and yep. it, it started to just steamroll. It started, all of a sudden, the momentum kind of swung our direction. Well, and that's where Dave said, you know, they, they tried to get Burnett and stuff like that, but he brought Schultz, so he brought a Nor- NorCal guy yeah. who was a badass by every sense, you know, and racing against him was tough as nails. And then you had Johnny O'Mara, who was this like squeaky clean guy from Simi Valley. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you had, and then Chuck's son, who's Chuck's son, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's a Washington guy. So right. you, you, you brought these guys together and from the outside, you guys were, were a team. I mean, you guys look like, I, I think, because Brock and Hannah, Hannah hated everybody. Brigette didn't like Brock, and Bell did his thing. So the Yamaha had their thing. Kent was down in Texas. Uh, Barnett was up there. So you guys seem to be the first real team. Yeah, I, I don't know if the first, but I did feel like that. It did. It was a very uh, cohesive, and and we kind of had to build this thing, right? It wasn't like it was given to you, you know, and you had to maintain momentum. Um, it, it was more like it was a lot of work. To beat Hannah, to beat Glover, to beat Ricky, it was you gotta 
you got to do everything right. These guys are good. And yeah. we didn't feel we really had quite that level of, I don't want to say writer, but I mean, we had to get everybody to step up, whether it was the management or testing or engineering or writer. Or, I mean, we all kind of had to do it together. Was that on purpose? Uh, you kind of bring that team together from all those different places saying, hey, we need you guys all here. We're going to be a unit. Or did that just sort of happen um, naturally? Yeah, no. I mean, the team thing was really important. And even even if, as, as it always goes, one guy's a little bit better than the other guy, we really tried as much as we can to make sure everybody had as much time, as much preparation, as much testing, as much parts availability. Not always possible, but as much as possible. Like we really tried to, no matter what, treat everybody equally and mm -hmm. give everybody the same opportunity. And back to something Ricky just said, there was a lot behind the scenes of discussions maybe over the years of, you know, I would, I would really study like what the crowd liked, you know, and even there was a dynamic within the team, you know, like personalities, but also what, what did the crowd respond to and whether that was the character or personality. And so I always some of the years, like, okay, we got a guy from New England. That appeals to a bunch of guys. We got a guy mm. from Southern California, like sometimes later a, a, a Jeremy McGrath and a Doug Henry and then maybe a Stanton, you know? I mean. Mm. I, really? I, you considered all that, huh? Like I did. Geographic. I, I, I did, yeah. Hmm. And, and, I mean, you weren't going to compromise who you had faith in to ultimately, you know, um, step up and perform. Ricky, Ricky was instrumental in bringing Stanton into the team. I probably wouldn't have done it without Ricky's blessing. But as it turned out, I mean, yeah, no, he was. Yeah, <clears throat> that was because I I saw how hard Stanton worked because I'd go back and stay at his house during the 500s and, and ride with him. And I and I knew that the bike that he was on was a pile, mm. you know, air cooled thing, pinged and all that for stuff. And I saw how hard he rode. But he was fat, Michigan kid. <laughs> was he? Oh, was he? he was fat back then. Remember? Yeah. Squishy, squishy yeah. boy. And he, yeah. couldn't, he couldn't ride Supercross to, to save his ass. And But I saw I saw something in him. And yeah. I'm like, I'm telling, I'm telling Dave, I'm like, he's like, eh, but we need someone for Supercross. I'm like. I did. That's yeah. exactly my yeah. response. <laughs> we need someone for Supercross. I'm so. like, no, he, he'll get it. And, yeah. And then, you know, I, I brought him under my wing and stuff like that. And in. Obviously, Stan went on to do phenomenal things in the sport, but that's that's the that's the cool thing is like here you got a guy who <clears throat> has upteen championships, and one of his riders says, "I think you should hire this guy." You know what that would happen now? Yeah. Shut up! You yeah. don't know what you're talking about. You're trying to you're, you know whatever. But that was the cool thing about working for Han at that time, and that's something else I want to talk about. Is you guys were willing to to bend, and you were a big company, but you worked like a small company. Like for mm -hmm. instance, you know, I, I wrote this down. For, and, and I didn't think anything of it because I just thought, I thought well, I want to try it because it'll help me win. The fact that you guys let me run a pro circuit at Anaheim yeah, blows right. my mind. Factory mm -hmm. Honda allowed mm -hmm. me and to, to run that. And then we ended up going, hey, this is because, remember Johnny's ankle was screwed up. David was having mm -hmm. some issues with that. Mm -hmm. And, like, here's my, here's my motor setup because the HRC was just hit too hard. It, was, it, was, you know, it, it mm -hmm. felt like, wow, I got all this power. But it wasn't real rideable, and that's when Mitch came down with a hacksaw and like a van load of pipes and a gas welder. And I'm like, well, I like that one for top end. I like that one for bottom end and this and that. And that's where we came up with that pipe that we ran. And all the slick supercrosses, that's what we ran. But mm -hmm. the fact that you allowed us to do that, it, I mean, how hard of a struggle was that inside? I've never, I never got to really thank you for letting me do it. Yeah. But also for going to fight for us, because I imagine – HRC's just like, Ugh. yeah. That's the that's the 
the game you got to play with. I mean, fortunately, we have, and, and the character within Honda, it's a lot of, theor that's the DNA. There's a lot of theoretical engineering, right? And so I would say in our role, all the way down to the racer, I mean, does that always translate to a practical? Is, I mean, there's a, sometimes a disconnect there, right? I mean, even for the engineers, everything they map out on paper, theoretically, this is, but in reality, it's a little different, yeah. you know, so. There's always theoretical, practical, and then like dependable, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and levels. so, you know, yeah, ex that's exactly right. And they don't right. always line and, up. And if you, if you make that call and we blow it up, you're going to hear about it, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... Was I, there I, a lot of pushback from Honda on that? There always is. Mm. I mean, to some degree, I mean, there always is. It's, it's your ass if it doesn't play out. And the one thing during that point in time that yeah, I think this is really hard to understand unless you were involved in it is Mr. Honda was still alive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those engineers that he empowered to you know, to lead this works development, it wasn't grab-ass fun and games. He, if he gave them money, it was their ass if they didn't do anything with it. And he didn't care, you know, Ricky Johnson, Dave Arnold, and who they worked for in the sales department of American Honda. His engineers came to you, and they made, they put the fear of God in you. Yeah. I remember, Rick, we'd be racing in Japan, and they'd be over off, and Ricky, you gotta, Mr. Honda's gonna show up, you gotta win, money <laughs> under the table. I mean... It was one of the only Japan Supercrosses I ever lost. He was there. Is yeah, that I mean, right? it was, oh, it was, it was, terrible. I don't know, you know, it's a single proprietor owner. I mean, it, it, man, there was pressure on those guys. And I remember when Mr. Honda did show up at a race, these guys that you held in high regard, this is the LPL, and I, they were scrambling, oh. nervous, like. Scared to death. You could see it in their eyes. Oh, they were just, see, you, he's coming, he's coming, were, he's 10 minutes they, out. He's they, blah, were, blah, blah. they were picking up cigarette butts in the ground. They were like, it's crazy how nervous they were and you were. They, their nerve, nervous energy would rub off on you and you're like, yeah. nothing. Yeah, I mean, you're, back you're, to the bike. you know, you must do, you must win. And it was just different. I mean, wow. I, got, I would come, the engineers would show up to a race, Miyakoshi and a handful of guys and. Dave's on, you know, and we're here, all that stuff. Yeah, come to the room. It'd be late. You know, I'm like, um, you know, okay, I got to go to the room. It's like 1130. I was sleeping, but I'm cool, you know. So I go, and then they got the, the Japanese do a lot of discussion, very official business type, but they got over the whiskey bottle, you know, and you take a little shot. And you're like, no, I'm okay. No, actually, they weren't asking you, right? <laughs> take a shot. They're not, they're not, they're not really asking. They're, they're nice and everything, really? but take your freaking shot and let's yeah. talk, you know. So it was almost yeah. disrespectful if you denied it, huh? Oh, we've had, we've had a few red face nights over in Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're pros. I'm not. <laughs> well, I, I I've always wondered is, you know, part of the success of that era for Honda was it because of him though? Because he had a passion for racing and he was competitive and he really wanted to win. Yeah, I believe it was. Well, and, and it, if you look, how how short of a career Honda had at that point? Well, it wasn't even 50 years yet. That he'd been in business. Right. They dominated everything. Mm. I mean, think about that. Everything. Formula One bikes, Formula One cars. They went on to Indy. They did motocross, supercross, uh, road racing, and then also flat track with, with yeah. Gene Romero. I mean, everything. And that's, people don't understand. I mean, they came in and just reinvented it. Reinvent, like with your works bikes and moto. The, with Bubba and Ricky Graham and everybody in dirt track with Gene Romero. It's like, so, well, we need, we need this. Mm. Grab Roger. To be to be to work with Dave, mm -hmm. but then you had Gene Romero. We're like, okay, let's. He's going to run the dirt track deal. 
kicked everybody's ass to where AMA rewrote the rule and, yeah. cha- and changed your guys' bikes. Yeah. So yeah. if you get a president who's just not as passionate about racing, then yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of you know what the difference down? you know what the difference is like you lose right, and you know what why'd you lose? Well, you know I mean there's all kinds of reasons you you know things don't work out right. I mean you can say but you know what they accepted zero of those like it didn't even matter if it was within your control. You were you know it, it was your ass. Is that right? Yeah, and and I'm not. Not lightly, it was your ass. It was your ass. Right. And to where we're not going to play ball. If you're just that stupid, we're not, <laughs> wow. you know. And then, and then. HR would have a hell of a time with that now, but. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It, it, right. it was, there was, and now you lose. You hear, I can't believe, I don't, they would, they call it, it's an excuse, right? Whatever it is, within or outside, it's right. an excuse. And they were like, they'd laugh in your face that you try to, you just keep your mouth shut and you. You suck it up and take it, you know. Fall on your sword and... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... The thing is, the excuse... Well, you know, this writer... The, I mean, they, everybody's got an excuse, and there, there was no accepting excuses. That was the there. difference. Yeah. yeah. There is no excuses. Yeah. So you lost. That was, yeah. That, wow. was, that was the culture, and yes, I think the top guy said it. And I remember hearing some guys saying, I wonder what will happen if Honda... And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I go, I don't think it'll make any difference if someday he's not around, right? I mean, everybody's kind of on top of their game. Everybody try... It was completely different. Yeah, it, it's a different company. Yeah. It, it's like how Red Bull has changed from like the very beginning, how they were aggressive, doing this, doing that. And now it's like it's, it's a different, it's, it's yeah, a completely, changed, completely yeah. different deal. And now with Honda, don't get me wrong, I think, I think their, their race bikes look phenomenal. Roxxon looks great. You know, uh, everybody else looks good too. But it's not the same company. And it, it's not, you guys put your neck out to, to win. Well, you can you know, just. The difference between winners yeah. and guys that are just doing their job. You could see the. The, the desire and the absolute, like, we're winning at all, whatever the cost is. That was sort of the attitude back then where it was just, like you said, no it excuses. Was, it was not. Whatever we needed was, to There do. was a misconception, and it used to irk me, that another team would say, well, you know, there was, like, un, un, unlimited money, budget over. I mean, I, you know, yes, there was resources. There was d- designated engineers, you know. But, you know, when I signed Ricky Johnson, I was not. I could not pay him more money than a competitor up front, base right. salary. But I tried to lay out something that would work for the corporation, like, yeah, Ricky, okay, base, you know. But then if you win, you'll get this. And then it'll roll over into your base pay. And then if you win again, I mean, I tried to make him, if, if he performed, it was a never-ending escalation, you mm-hmm. know. And I don't think the company, the, the, worst, the worst thing they hate doing is signing a check and you're finishing fifth, you right, know. Right. So. Yeah, but. Mitch kind of adopted that. He he would always lowball you for salary, but go look. He'd write it out on paper. If you win this many races and this championships, look at how much you can make. You know, mm-hmm. and then it's not a, and then it's you not can't a argue. Pyramid, yeah. but it's shaped like a triangle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me. So you were trying to get Rick actually, and was that eighty two? Yeah, or eighty. It, it was in eighty two because I remember. I think we went to Saddleback. Yeah, we Saddleback parked up on top. Uh, I tried to get. This was early on. I mean, back when he said he was racing a production bike in the two fifty class, and I was watching him closely. And he's. I mean, his character. He is. He's a racer. You know. He's. Yeah. And I worried about. I think every, all factories, all teams worried about a guy with that true character, a, a Hannah. Look how long, you know, he, I mean, there was years when he was healthy and years he wasn't healthy, but guys that really had that instinct, instinct, you know, and how long do you got to deal with that? And I felt he was one of them. And I tried to get him in 82, even though our equipment was getting better and everything. And this guy's 
going to be a thorn in my butt for a long time. You <laughs> I'd know? rather have him riding yeah. red. Than, and yeah. so I tried, and he rode the bikes and everything, but respectfully, I think that, you know, he wanted to be loyal with the Yamaha was kind of what he told me, or he didn't. Yeah, I was riding production bikes. And didn't I, you say and something I, to me about how it was just Dave? I didn't like him. Yeah, yeah, I hated Dave. <laughs> I couldn't stand him. Couldn't stand no. Um, no, well, it, it was a, it was a matter of I rode the bike. It was because the suspension just wasn't the Showa stuff was so much more pliable and rideable, and you use more travel. Where the Kayaba stuff that we had at the time, we just make it stiff so it didn't bottom out and throw you over the handlebars. Mm-hmm. And so when I rode it, I, I loved it, but then I, I I wanted to stay loyal to Yamaha, and I thought that they would be coming out with better works bikes and stuff because they had works bikes, but they weren't they weren't as good as your 82s. You know, I thought well mm-hmm. Yamaha's going to come out with better bikes and, and the different stuff and. It didn't work out that way, so it was it was uh, <clears throat> was it a mistake? Absolutely, I should have went with Honda at that point. But well, I didn't. Yeah, interesting. So eighty three. Um, what was different? What was unique about that season? You guys picked up Hannah. David Bailey that year, right? Oh, we and had, Hannah as well. We had Hannah and I got I got a lot of crap <laughs> internally from Honda. Obviously, he was Yamaha guy, and it was perceived he was over the hill. But I back to Rick. You know Ricky's character. I, I kind of wanted somebody that was, uh, and I'm not bagging on Johnny and David, but I I wanted somebody that was kind of more black and white, hardcore race. You know, down and dirty, the Clint Eastwood thing. You know, right. just. And uh, I brought Han in. I mean, he was cocky when I was Marty's mechanic. I didn't like Bob at all, right? I mean, <laughs> it was that whole in your face punching bag with your face behind yeah, it, all yeah. the stuff. You know, but but in a different period of time, I wanted more attitude on the team you know i didn't want it to be quite as recreational well david and johnny are like two of the most soft-spoken nicest guys you'll ever meet so there was, there was you a, could we, see where you'd want a little bit of fire from we, somebody we, we were at a race i think when when it became more clear to me i was at a race and um you know jeff ward was a nice guy and he would get along david and it was johnny and david and wardy and I guess I heard they were having a discussion about there's no way you can win a Supercross championship by being dominant or trying to be the fastest guy every week that, you know, you had to be, you had to be consistent, obviously, but if you were just top five, that's good enough, you know, fourth or fifth. And I was like, it scared me that. Yeah, you're like, what? It scared me that. (laughs) I mean, that's probably somewhat true, you know, from a breaking yourself up standpoint. But when you get a guy on a roll, like you saw Ricky get on a roll in 86, how do you stop that? You know, right. so that's that was my worry: is somebody coming in and dominating when the other guys were, you know. But didn't Bob Bob raise the level and 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 because he worked pretty well with, with Johnny and David, right? And he he, I did. Mean, he and he, did. And he kind of pulled him under his wing and, yeah. and that. And because Bob could, obviously Bob could be a dick, but I remember how. Because I, I ran into him at the he's, at he's a good team player. Yes, he was. Is like, that right? Yeah. Yes. And then, he, then he fired up David to come take me out, and the next he's like, oh, "You don't take that from him," and blah blah blah. And then, you know, he would spur and, and go, and that's why I think him and Lunis also worked well together too. Yeah. You know, the same kind of fiery personality, but mm-hmm. but Bob did. I think Bob did a lot of elevating the fighting spirit of Honda at that time. Yeah, I believe I believe he did too. Yeah, he's cocky. I remember doing this. Uh, you remember Rock, uh, Roxy Rockwood yeah, used yeah. to be an announcer, so. Honda had Honda sponsored Day, Daytona Supercross, and I think this is probably '85. It could have been '84, but anyway, they had all the dealers there and Roxy, and they wanted me to have all. I had to herd cats, try to get the riders to go to this thing, and then Bob's up there, and then you know Bob plays it just over the top. Oh, how 
everybody else, you know, but he's not even doing it. In a, if somebody's going to say that and kind of make it a little bit of a joke, but it was not a joke with Bob, you know, like he just said everybody else, it let the air out of their tires and it would be close. Other than that, <laughs> these other two jokers here, they're going to be racing for second, third, but you know, I mean. He was a Conor McGregor it, it was, of motocross. Yeah, and, and I was driving home, like honestly, I had respect for Ricky and the, I mean, I, I was scared of these guys, right? <laughs> I, I didn't know we were going to beat Ricky Johnson the next day, right? Yeah. Or other other guys of that caliber. And I was driving back to the hotel and I'm like, Bob, do you actually believe all that shit? You know? <laughs> and what do you say? And I, and he goes, uh, I, I said, what happens, for example? I mean, it's no racing, you don't have anything in the bag. What happens if you don't actually pull that off? How do we look, you know, like being that lippy and then not coming through? And he's like, That's why I do it. Right, because so. I have to, I have to pull it off. Yeah, I, and so he puts pre, pu it puts the pressure on himself. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, wow. that guy, that guy was an is animal. It? We were racing it at Saddleback in '83, and I'm doing that giant uphill jump, which I, you can make three seconds a lap doing mm -hmm. that. Three yeah. seconds. The, By the time a guy slows down and rides up the hill, you jump it. You make three seconds a lap. That son of a bitch was still pulling two seconds a lap on me. So he was five seconds a lap faster than me. Not destroyed me. Like in three laps, I couldn't see him. He was gone. And he wasn't doing it. You're and, he, saying. and I was like, every lap, I'm like, I'm gonna start catching him. And I'm like, I see him over there. <laughs> then I see him over there. <laughs> then I see him over there. I'm like, son of a bitch, this is embarrassing. Like long wow. 45 minute moto, just. But he yeah. was so fast and, and on those things. Now, how how was he to work with technically? Because like his bikes, was he kind of the guy get it close and all figured out? Yes. <clears throat> yes, and I was always, like, trying to squeak more. I remember one particular, you know, working all week. You want a bike that's going to be really stable. I think what I was focused on was try to prevent pitch on downhills, so that, you know, and still maintain some corner ability. I think that's kind of what I was hung up on that week. And I'm thinking chassis and setup, and I'm thinking suspension setup. And, and I think with Bob, I kept, after a whole week of testing, he's like, yep, yeah, that's, that's good. You know, we're going to go racing. And I'm like, yeah, what about this if we did this? And... And if you could just hold it on a little bit longer on the downhill, if we set it more like this, and he goes, Dave, I'm going to hold it wide open on the downhill, and there's not a goddamn, until I pass whoever it is in front of me, and then I'm going to worry about the damn turn, you know, so. And that's the way he was. Yeah. That's crazy. It, you, can, you can think about setting this thing up to your blue in the face, but. <laughs> I so. got it figured out. Yeah, I got it figured out. I saw the same interview you're talking about at Daytona where he says, well, unless you let the air out of my tires, like, this is going to be a blowout. I'm going to destroy these guys. And I just remember thinking, you know, I watched this recently, like, in the last couple of years, just finding it on YouTube, and I thought, man, who says that <laughs> shit? Yeah. Like, yeah. And so I wondered, is that that's a what, show? That's or what I he... wondered. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was wild. Um, so tell me about that 83 season. You won with Bailey. Uh, his first Supercross title that year, right? Yep. Yeah. Bailey's coming into his own. Um, super technical, you know, probably, uh, I mean, he won in Supercross. I don't remember what he did in 250 Outdoor in the same year. I think he won 500s, though. I'd have to go back and yeah, look. I, yeah. don't he good, he, I don't was, think he was on 250s that year. I think he was, went to jump to 500s, I think. Yeah. But he really came into his own that year. Yeah. Prior he, to that, he, he was... Yeah, he really came into his own. Bailey and Johnny, and the other thing we had this is, is uh, David's father was really into this professor and videotaping. And we're all, Roger and I both thought, that's a little bit weird. But they, they were really studying rider technique and, you know, like got, got some of their competition and what lines and how. And it actually started to work for David. I mean, he's analytical and intelligent in a way that, uh, Jean-Michel Bale is in, in a different way, you know, mm -hmm. like he can sort of analyze the situation and say, well, that's why 
Bob was faster on that same track right. or and I, I saw him even the friendship with Johnny Johnny had things come to him naturally naturally he had technique on the bike that I don't know where he picked it up I don't even know if he knew every how you know but I think David could study it ride with him and then in six months he was doing the exact same thing and it was no longer an advantage you know and mm. so I don't know that was starting to play out pretty well plus the bikes were just getting better and better you know yeah Anything stand out from you in that season uh, in particular? 83? No. Yeah. No. And, and what was Bob, um, what was he bringing to the team aside from that attitude and try to elevate everybody? Was there anything else he brought in terms of um, development or, or relationship with Honda? I mean, obviously, they probably excited to have Bob Hanna on the team. Was there anything different there that he brought? Uh, yeah. Bob, I don't know what Yamaha, but the big thing that Bob, Bob the demand that Bob brought to our technical group, our engineering group, was he did, he liked everything about the bikes, but he didn't like the way they shifted, and he wanted the bike to shift better and not hang up as much under power. And Japan was making like just different generations of transmissions and dogs and forks and drums and trying to get Bob happy. I never knew that one. Yeah. Hmm. So I don't know where he ended up at the end of all that, but I know that I don't know if Yamaha's got just complete straight dogs through their whole tranny or some complete different system, but. That was probably the big challenge point. Well, and I also think that Under Hannah, power. That Hannah like, you were saying about how those guys were talking about, well, if I could just finish fifth, fifth, fifth. Bob, and I remember when he hit the fence at Daytona, was had a mile lead, yeah. and he wrapped himself, put put his hand on the fence, so that's when he crossed, yeah. the, that's when he crossed the track. I think that was in 83, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think so you're right. So Bob's just destroying everybody. So we ran the day, Daytona. We would go down. Like, like the, say, the exit of pit road, yeah. we would turn, go across the asphalt, yeah. then do another section, and mm -hmm. then come back. And he was just always finding new lines and everything. And he, he grabbed either his front brake or his, I forget which way we were going. Anyway, grabbed the chain link fence and wrapped himself up and, yeah. and busted himself up pretty good. You know, and this is also all of this stuff we're talking about with Bob. I mean, during that era, that two-year period with Bob, I mean, most of the time he was the fastest guy. But I don't believe he won a championship. No. And so they, they nicknamed him. He always had these, he got busted up in a ski accident with Marty Tripes, like yeah. really bad to wear multi-shatter. And, and I don't know if it was just that injury or other, other related injuries, but he would break little things without even falling down. He would shatter some little bone in his mm. foot or his ankle or, you know. And so they had a nickname for him on the team, Brittle Bob, because <laughs> so that I mean, started probably, at he probably, yeah, it was after, he was in a Yamaha, I think, when he got in the big tripes accident. But yeah, he was just water skiing behind him, and he went to spray some bushes or something. The ski came out and whacked himself into the rocks, and it, it blew the bottom part. Like, Marty Tripes felt terrible, and because they were competitors. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. He, he wasn't, like, he didn't whip, it wasn't in a, a uh, you know, an yeah. inner tube and whipped him yeah. into the fence. It was, it was just a, a, it was an accident. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. He didn't like Brittle Bob, I, I can't imagine. No, no. <laughs> I don't think that was probably something he'd enjoy, huh? Did he know he was called that? Like, Yeah, I don't think Bob. I mean, it was kind of apparent, right? I mean, I don't know that it was meant even in a super negative way. It was more of a... Like joking? You're the, you're the, okay. Yeah, you're the fastest guy, but, you know. Yeah. Well, and he wasn't, he wasn't technically a supercross rider. Like, his timing yeah. was terrible. You know, but his speed was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, like, if you look at when he did, when he won a Supercross championship and stuff like that, it was a bunch of single jumps and sand, you know, yeah. sand pits. And, and so it was like an, a night track. It really wasn't a peaky. So once, mm -hmm. like, doubling and tripling, when you could triple and make up three seconds a lap, 
he wasn't a fan. Yeah, well, except yeah. at Saddleback, yeah. he still was. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. No, I, I said that wasn't that wasn't Supercross. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. outdoor. But yeah, so it, that was. It was a changing of the times. Yeah. But, but he was still. I mean, as I said, I think he's the one that 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 changed the sport to where you have to go 100% all the time if you want to win. There's yeah. no more pacing yourself. There's no more. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pace and then go the last 10 minutes no you went from the from the time you took off yeah that's, that's a good point that's the way those guys trained mm-hmm. you know all the different stuff so it's interesting because it's cyclical a little bit right i mean he was that guy then you guys all sort of followed suit yep. and then sometime in the 90s probably jeremy and jeff got a little more lax with the training because they were so naturally talented yeah and they're both at the river having fun on the weekends so on off weekends right yeah. so everybody sort of did that and then ricky comes along and now yeah. it's the same thing. That's a good point. That's a good. Well, that's I, a, I agree because when Jeremy was dominant, I remember because I, I when I left the sport, I kind of I was bitter, you know, after being hurt and stuff, and when the phone goes quiet. So, but anyways, I remember going to San Diego Supercross and I, I, I watched the race and Mike Craig takes off, and he's like two seconds lap, uh, four, six, eight, 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 six, da da da. <laughs> but I'm doing lap times on all of them. And he was literally two seconds a lap faster than Jeremy, but he could only do it for six laps. Mm. But I'm going, wait a minute. If someone can do it, you know, for 20 laps, that's going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. And who was that? Ricky Carmichael, the one that just would go wide open from mm. the beginning. He knew nothing about pace or, or, or fade or anything like that. And that was the one that could beat Jeremy's smoothness, yeah. you know. But Jeremy, you could set your, set your watch on it. Yeah. He, he, he wouldn't make a mistake. But he, even he was not – his, his – strategy was always a sprint for 10 and then coast it in you know yeah like bail yeah i mean he didn't have to push those last 10 laps as long as he had a 10 second lead he could just ride their pace and mcgrath was such a departure from anything i had experienced in the sport you know it was just anybody that prevailed in the sport worked hard trained hard blue collar you know that's what paid off and then and i'm not saying Jeremy didn't do a certain amount of that, but he was so naturally talented. All the, it just I don't I don't know that it came easy, but he made it look easy. Sure. And all this other stuff just seemed like a lot of work. And then I think the whole racing industry looked at that. Well, that's that looks like a lot more fun or a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't even know if I'm making that up. Like I don't know Bill Lawrence and all these guys, but yeah. I just think well, look at him. He's going to the river and they're having fun in pontoon boats in Copper Canyon and. I mean, but they weren't McGrath, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. McGrath is the one with the technique and the talent. I mean, I almost think it made it, they all emulated that, but then it, they made it easier for him to dominate it. Yeah. So. I don't think people will make that mistake again. Like, if there's somebody that comes along uh, who's supernaturally talented, but they're not working crazy hard, I don't think you'll see the whole sport go, oh, okay, well, we can all just relax a little bit now. No. I don't think we'll make that mistake again. I, I think uh, now that it's happened, at least I... I co- hope. Corporations have trainers on the payroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, know. you guys started with that with Jeff Spencer. Yeah, we did, yeah. You know, and that's another thing. So you know what? we got to give Spence his due. The, do you know who Jeff Spencer yeah, is? Yeah, I trained with him for a year. So Spence was like this kind of hippie guru guy and stuff. And he was – so you had Roger who was like this iconic guy. You had Dave that kept everything just like solid as can be. And then you had this kind of chill hippie – 
you know, hippie trainer guy that was just an animal on a bicycle and everything. So we whip your ass, but just so sweet and so, so, so nice to you and talk to you. And I think mm-hmm. once again, the balance that you guys had in that, in that era, and mm-hmm. that's what attracted me, you know, also as well later on. Was he on Honda's payroll at the time? Is it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We, we hired him. It was more, you know, again, that we felt there was a gap between all of our local Southern California guys and maybe some of the national caliber, the Howertons and Hannes. And so we hired, Jeff, just because it looked like the the physical and the preparation and the training, there w- there was quite a bit of room to improve in that area. So, mm. you know, um, Roger, Bruce, Burness, and I—I I mean, we knew Jeff. Jeff was a former Olympic track guy and yeah, alternate cyclist. cyclist. He was serious, and they got a their preparation and how they how they how they train and how they prepare and how they all the nutrition. I mean, it's it's got to be spot on. Mm-hmm. So he brought that to the team, and but then over time. There were some guys that really like, it becomes a personality thing. Some guys really like that relationship and maybe the chemistry is good and everything. Some guys, they kind of want to go and do their something different, right? Mm-hmm. So then over time, as salaries went up, they ended up making it more of a personal choice. Well, these two guys, they would hire them and use them and the other two guys wouldn't or something like that. Hmm. You know, you led me astray, man. I was doing j- jazzercise after watching Motivation. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I... <laughs> hey. I got. I had to bring. I had to add my my flair, my my curve to it. But I'm surprised you weren't roller skates, roller skating. I did have way. roller blades. I had roller blades back then. And yes, I had disco on. Eighty uh, four. Johnny O won the Supercross title. Yep. Um, it's kind of which is interesting because you, you these guys are come on the team and I, I you keep just, winning with different guys. It's, I was just mechanic for a couple of races. Were you that year? Yeah, that year. I didn't want to be, but Jim Feld. I was going to say Feld. I he loved he loved going bow hunting for elk, and he had to put your name in every year. And then that year, they're leading the series, and his name gets drawn. He's like, "I'm going <laughs> oh, hunting." I'm no. like, "You're not going hunting," you know. But <laughs> he, he went. went he went hunting. <laughs> That's a committed hunter. Yeah. Wow. So then the team manager, I had to spin wrenches. I was a little rusty. I was like, come on. <laughs> righty tidy, left of Brucey, righty tidy. <laughs> and you guys let him go? That's pretty That's pretty cool. I mean, uh, I would say most employers these I days was, would be like, yeah. I no. think I was too much of a marshmallow back then. I don't know. But <laughs> Well, that's also, though, how you earn the respect of your guys working under you, you know, giving them some latitude. Like, like Rick well, said, you're going to battle fighting for what he wanted on a pipe. This was really important to him. You you say, hey, you know what? We'll, we'll cover it. Well, and, but but when we were testing and we had everything going, you and Roger were always picking up wrenches and helping out. Yeah. You know, Cliff or yeah, we're Commander. Very Everybody was hands on, so it wasn't yeah. like Jim changed that and, and right. Phelps over there yeah. doing this. It was like, okay, we're going to do this. I'll get the pipes. I'll do this. It was yeah. It, it, it was really hands on. It was it was a lot of fun to be around because yeah. it wasn't like you know, this Rick, go get a sandwich. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember from that year with uh, Johnny O in 84? Uh, it was interesting that year. So the, um, what was interesting was there was four riders on the team. Japan, uh, or maybe the American Honda, they didn't want to pay for works equipment for four riders, but it just worked out that... So um, Japan goes, okay, we'll build the same chassis for four guys, but two of them are going to be works engines and two of them are going to be production-based engines. And I'm like, don't do that. I don't want any difference. And so I was trying to... Anyway, we ended up, O'Mara had one of the production-based engines, and Hannah had mag, mag case, works-based engine, everything, billet gears, billet clutch, all this stuff. And then I think Bailey must have had all the same thing. Who was the other writer? Was it Lachine? But in any yeah, case... Yeah, 84 was Lachine. Lachine. 
So then we had two production-based bikes, and then well, I got a kick out of Omera wins on a production-based. I mean, it's just the engine, but still. Oh, really? I never knew that. Yeah, see, it was. Wow. I was trying not to make a big deal about that. I'm <laughs> like, please don't do this to me. You know, It's all the same, guys, seriously. How did that go early on with testing? And, it, and did John, they obviously knew, or did they know? Johnny and... Well, uh, I probably can't even remember that level of detail, but yeah. I mean, I tried to keep uh, the kibosh on, you know, it being discussed a lot. And then I was asking the engineers, so what does it come down to? What is the difference as it relates to like a power standpoint? Right. And they're like, ah, it's about a horsepower with things flexing a little bit more on a production base. Let's say if it's a crank or something, we'll probably just give you some works cranks. It doesn't matter anyway, but so, but anyway, huh. it was different. On that but, note. But that's hard as a manager to, you know, I, I, in fact, Ricky, when Carmichael was on, he gave me a bunch of crap because I, I used to say it was the Carmichael show or the RC show when he came to Pro Circuit. Uh huh. Because, you know, the, the fastest guy always gets the coolest shit first. That's just how it goes. Yeah. But it, it definitely alienates the other riders, you know, I can tell yeah. you firsthand. So that's tough when, you, you know, they're telling you now you're only getting two. The other two guys are on this. Even if there isn't much difference, the perceived yeah. difference of, yeah, that's right. well, my side covers aren't magnesium. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, John, Johnny was Johnny was on that year. Back to that year, though. I mean, he was he was the best. He was on. I mean, it just clicked. I don't know why yeah, it clicked, or I don't know, but he was he was on. And where were you? Were you still at Yamaha? Yeah, I was at Yamaha. I won the 250 championship, and I think I got uh, third or fourth in the champ Supercross. The Supercross. Championship. Yeah. Okay. I was out there. Good season though, all year round. 84 for you. Yeah. And then what? What do you? When was Magoo on the team? Eight. What years? I'm pretty sure, gosh, well, he was on the team in 82. 82, I knew that. Uh, 82 and 83 for sure. I'm not sure 84, because I think in 84. That's when he went to Europe. He yeah, got, he, he got, went. He got, yeah. yeah. He, got, he got hired by a Italian Kawasaki team or something. Exactly. And then he got hurt, mm. in, I think, in 85. Yeah. yeah. 84, Over in 80, Europe? I think 84, 85 at the Paris Supercross. Mm. Dang it. Okay, I wasn't sure if he was still on the team that year, so that was why I had one. I mean, he was such a big star in i mean he was a big star in america and europe but europe i mean he was so over the top flamboyant you know oh just and they, i they like that huh like mike healy a, was a legend over there just because he was so yeah so mike healy so mike I, mean, healy. <laughs> I mean i mean magoo just the big cross-ups oh. with his hand in the i mean he would who did that you know wasn't it just a cross-up i mean he would Pancake. throw the pant throw the bar down and are, is this going to straighten out oh. i hope so you know so. yeah he, he would take your breath away when you when you do something like that, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, okay, 85, Wardy won, but you had Bailey. You weren't on yet. Or were you, 85? I was Yamaha. 86, okay. Uh, Hannah, Lachine, who else was 85? The most expensive bikes, the most expensive team. 85. 85. And I didn't win squat. Wow. And now, did, you, did you get shit from Honda? Wait a minute. Did yeah. You, didn't you win... I may have won. We may have won some things, won but not. Oh, yeah, we may have won. Dogger yeah, won with Lachine. Yeah, Ronnie won the one twenty five. Yeah, but the bikes that. But a lot of eighty five. You know, when you talk about it, was was it was information gathering for eighty six and eighty seven production. So they were developing the uh, power valve HPP. But on the works bikes in eighty five, they had electric servo, which is unlimited. We had engineers with laptops and they would you know really? and 85? that was like oh, dude, that you'd pull up the starter and they would plug them in you're like yeah 
That was the hell is that? It, it was like Formula One, right? I mean, we didn't even know how to use a computer, but it, they're, they're over there. Yep. They could change the valve opening and the RPM and the timing, and as it revved up and came back down and all this stuff. I don't even remember there being computers in '85. I remember no. playing uh, Oregon Trail on my little, uh, <laughs> you know, like school computer. But and and when they when they <clears throat> rode these bikes in testing, I mean, they were just so fast and so impressive. And normally, what the team did is we ran some of the warm-up races like the what do they call it Tran trans golden state yeah, yeah so we did before we even went to anaheim the team's like we're not even showing these things to the public like this is just such a yeah it's a slam dunk these things are going to win without us not even riding them wow and it was the complete opposite they were so unrideable you know i mean people were looping out so bailey <laughs> leading a supercross in atlanta georgia there was a tight right-hand turn. I was I was like right there before the finish line jump, and the thing just goes rup, and it loops out. Like he's a pretty good throttle control rider, <laughs> yeah. right? And he's just like off the back of this thing doing a ghost ride, and then Lachine was lead later leading the same series going into the Rose Bowl. He loops out, and we give it to Jeff Ward the whole series. Oh yeah. my! It gosh. was that kind of a year, but the engineers are the that was the electronic power valve ultimately i think it came to production years later but the um the system evolved into the mechanical governor somewhat the same valve which ricky mm. and i i just think that thing i mean let's say there's a little bit more friction with that system and maybe some of the valve timing was a little bit compromised in the engineer's opinion but practically that thing was awesome yeah were you involved in the development of that yeah that's i think i remember that. i mean the 86 like I thoroughly loved getting rid of all the technology and all the laptops and when it all came in to just balls and ramps and a couple of rods and a valve and and it just seemed more controllable. It was, a, I don't know, a horse or two less. But well, uh, Yamaha with the spinning power valve was the smoothest for power. Yeah. And that, when you come out of a corner, you, you know, yeah. it was right there with it. So right when you cracked it on, and that's what I was trying to bring to Honda and when we did the pro circuit pipe and stuff like that because the Honda would go <clears throat> like that it was just yeah. it would hit hard yeah so when you're at Daytona or Southwick or sand or real tacky outdoor stuff you wanted that hard hitting power because you were going so much faster but when you get in supercross we're going almost zero mm -hmm. and then taking off that initial crack I was like I'm I have to use the clutch mm. to soften that crack that 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 lip and then you guys just, like I said, constantly changed, changed, massaged it to where at the mm -hmm. end, man, you could just drift them and slide them. It was, it was awesome. The Honda <coughs> system, I always, I thought it was inferior. That was my, that was me being naive, but yeah, I thought it was inferior to Yamaha. I th the engineer said the Yamaha valve made power in transition, which meant as it opened, it's still, it's, it, you know, still to the RPM range. It's, you know what I mean? You could go from close with less volume and then as it revved up, it, you know, in transition, it was effective. Our system was not effective in transition. So it was either closed or open. Or open. Right. So, then, so when you looked at the dyno curve, it was like bottom end power, big dip, top end power. Right. Mm -hmm. Which, in the end, was, I think, for pro-level racing, a godsend because they need roll-on. You're not going to get a big hit unless you have a dip. So then, he, then, then you have a hit, peak power over rev. I mean, it's... In 86, 87, 88, we screwed it up. 89, 90, 91, that was the best two-stroke engines we ever made, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and then, was that still the HPP valve? Yes. When did it go to the 
RC valve. Did that, when did that A change? 82. 80, oh. No, 92. 92, okay. 92. Okay, and then that, it was the same then throughout the rest of the two-stroke. Yeah. All right, all right I want to I go through 86 real quick, and then we'll, we're going to take a break. But um, I, I want to start with you. Like, what, what was the reason you went to Honda? Was it had bikes? I mean, at this point, they're... No. The, um, all truth prob- be, probably... All, tr- all truth be told is, is I felt that I burnt the bridge with Honda. You know, like Dave and, and Roger were always cordial to me, and I would say, hey, how's it going? See you in the airport or, you know, at the pits or whatever, and, and watched how they did their stuff. But then Roy Turner started romancing me halfway through the 85 season and said, hey, you and Wardy get along good, because we did. We mm-hmm. knew each other. We boogie board when we were kids and stuff like that. And he said, we think you'd be a great team together. So Kawasaki came down, went to my outdoor track. I tried the, I tried the 500. I tried the 250. I wasn't interested in the 125. I was too big. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do the deal. So then Roger... Uh, I didn't uh, know that. I thought you and Wardy had, like, had some no, friction. No, no, no. We hated each other later in life. Oh. We're, we're friends now. Love you, Wardy. Um, so I was ready because I was just tired of Yamaha not willing to change. So when I, in 1984, when we were over in uh, Motocross the Nations, and I don't know if you remember, we were out at that track with Kent O'Lean and all the different stuff. Yeah. We were out there kind of testing, and Brock yeah. was there going to do that Supercross, remember? Yeah. And Brock had some upside-down O'Leans on his bike. I went and rode the thing, and I'm like, these things are phenomenal. You know, I'm just like, and they're not flexing, and, and they're actually working. It's not just the, you know, the, the lower half of the, the deal. I'm like, these are awesome. I want to run them this weekend. Yama said, no. I said, what do you mean, no? I said, We're running an old shock. Let's, Kent will give them to us. It's not an expense. Mm-hmm. And they're like, nope. And so right then I knew that that was the beginning of the end because I'm like, if they won't do something that's free and will help us and help us fight and fight and win mm-hmm. then, then they're not going to do it and then I struggled in, in, in 85 I was winning Unadilla and they had these little cones that the, the forks would get hot and they would stick they threw me over the bars a couple times and I struggled and all different stuff so I thought I was going to go to Cowie and then um, Roy Turner called me and said we hired Ronald Sheen because Ronnie got caught with weed over in Japan got oh, yeah. from Honda very true <laughs> and uh, I want to ask you about that too <laughs> that, that's how you can end the 84 or the yeah 85, the 80, 85 season so they so I was 20 I was 22 or 23 Ronnie I think was 19 or maybe 20 and they Cowie hired him because he was younger mm-hmm. and I told Roy he, he denies it he called me on the phone he wanted to tell me I said appreciate it but I'm, you're going to regret this I'm uh, you know so I was just like, well, I'm going to sign with Yamaha. And then Roger called me. I think it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And I was supposed to go the next day to Yamaha to sign my contract. And I said, I want to ride the bike. So they met me down at Carlsbad, this place called Point City. It was just like, called, not the flower track, but this other one. They brought it there. And Tano was there, right? Was the shot guy that yeah. like, liked my style and said, I think he would like the suspension. So they took Ronnie's bike. Put what he thought was my suspension. I got on Ronnie's bike. I raised the bars this much, and I went out on that bitch and works bike. And I'm just like, oh my god! And I, I knew I didn't get to ride it next year, but I'm like, if somebody can, if somebody can build this, then I'm I'm ready to go. And so like, I went and rode. I tried to play hardball about money and this and that. And I, and I signed for a hundred thousand dollars less than I was going to sign with 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 Yamaha. And I'm just like, I I want to win. And so then. Yamaha went back and forth with me on that, and they're like, "Oh, we'll give you whatever you want." I'm like, "No, you won't, because yeah, I asked tried. you, I asked you for it, and you wouldn't give it to me." And so, what's the difference now? And so, I didn't like that. And so, that's when I I saw the the attitude because Roger was there, you were there, Tana was there. It, they didn't just like 
send somebody down with a bike and let me ride around the field. It's like, let, you want to make some changes. And I think one click on, on the chassis or something like that, and I fell in love with it. I'm just like, where do I sign? Because mm -hmm. that was it. Because I knew with that kind of attitude and that, that willingness to win, I was ready to go. I'd see, I thought it had something to do with the secretary down at Honda. Well, it, it, is, it is partially. <laughs> you know, they, 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 a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of people don't know, but we had a certain 900 uh, reception, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> so I was telling Ping, I, I completely, I, you yeah, set me up perfectly. I, 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 I teed it up it. and like you went but another I, I, I told you the truth. <laughs> no, I was, I was joking with him. I said, you know, ask me this question. Did you sign for Roger? No. Did you sign for Dave? No. Did you sign for the bikes? No. Did you sign for the money? No. I just signed because I like to call and talk to Andrea on the phone. <laughs> she, she was goes, awesome. She's like, hello, Honda Racing. How can I help you? I'm like, Give me a second. I'm going to call you back. <laughs> <laughs> i got to run to the bathroom for a few minutes. <laughs> I'll be right back. But, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. The whole thing and, and her attitude kept everybody in check. A little fire plug. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember she, this gal? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 I, I, I saw her within the last, um, I forget, we had a, a guy who used to be a fabricator, and he passed away, so we got together. I hadn't seen her in a long time, but... Andrea had back when, I mean, everybody has to be more responsible nowadays, right? <laughs> Including the politicians. But uh, she had a sign, you know, in corporate, of course, everybody's got to go to training about how to behave, right? And you learn. And she had a thing that said, uh, sex sexual harassment will not only be tolerated, it'll be graded or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> it was in a... Oh, but she would call, you call up there and you like, you're, uh, people can't see my eyes roll on the radio, but let you like go, Who the, did I call the right number? Yeah. <laughs> The secretary voice. That's yes. Amazing. All real, right. Real quick about the Ricky signing thing, though, is, you know, Honda's a big company, and Roger and I never really had approval to go down and sign them. I mean, we were working on the process, and then I went and asked Andre, and I said, I knew the window was closing, and we only had a couple days, right? Because yeah. he was going to sign with Yamaha, and I said, make me three contracts because she had all the files. It wasn't done by legal at the time. And I said, I want this base salary and this bonus structure and this and this and then this. I had three contracts. And she goes, it, not that she cared, but she goes, do you have authorization to do this yet? And I'm like, I'm working on <laughs> that. You know, uh, the gray, details, gray right? Area. So she printed them all out. She loved it. We put them in there. So there was an AMA meeting going on. It was two days. So we were down there all day in one. And then at night, we get Roger had this Mercedes sedan. We back before there was Temecula and Marietta, and you could drive 130 miles an hour on the 15. Yeah, we beelined it down to El Cajon, and <laughs> we signed Roger up. Came back really late. I was sitting in the watching backwards in a sedan, and we were hauling ass to get down there. Right, <laughs> I was looking at all the on ramps. So we get down there. Sign Ricky. I don't know which one I gave him. Probably he won the one with the biggest numbers. <laughs> no, I went with the smallest numbers, but the but the biggest that's numbers. Big, the, yeah, the, the, that's for true the, for the escalation. Yeah, if I could ask, if I could escalate it, I'm like, because yeah. me, I'm naive. I'm like, I could win. I'm going to win two championships per year. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be to me. I'm like, okay, USGP, blah blah. Anyways, so we go back to this. In these these contracts are in my briefcase. We go back. We're in the AMA meeting, and early in the morning the next day. Some Japanese guy calls Kenny Clark on the phone in the meeting, and there's 15 people around this meeting, oh, no. and he gets up, and he goes, uh, Dave, can I talk to you? And I'm like, holy, holy shit. <laughs> so I go Kenny out, Clark is the Yamaha I, team I, manager. I, yeah, I go yeah. out in the hall, and he goes, I'm getting a call from corporate. They, there's a rumor that you guys signed you know, the, you, you, Ricky Johnson last night. I said, and I'm sweating. Right? He's, <laughs> I'm sweating. Kenny's... 
He's were you friends with Kenny at the time? No, or? no, nobody was friends no. with Kenny. We were competitors, <laughs> okay. and Count Fierce, Honda, the culture, Honda and Yamaha did not get along, and we were the, you know, we were the guys on the front line on that. Yeah, yeah. So then, I said, yeah, yeah, we did that. He goes, well, it's not an authorized contract until it's signed by an officer of the company or a second, you know. And I said, yeah, it's it's a done deal, right? It was they didn't <laughs> they didn't even know about it, right? And I, so now I go, not only was that a lie, I go, I had to go back to Honda the next day, and I'm like, holy shit, you know. So I go up in the fourth floor. I'm waiting on the head Japanese guy. Just sweating sure. bullets. Sweating bullets. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I'm, <laughs> I never I'm, knew I'm, this. I'm stuttering, you I know. A fake contract. I'm stuttering, and so he comes in. I sit down, and I'm like, Dave, you know. And I, I go, well, here's, I lay it out what we did, you know. And the guy's smart guy, right? He's the head dude, and he's shaking his head. The phone rings. It's Yamaha. And yeah. while you're on, there, why I'm there, oh. and it's Yamaha, and he's like, yeah, shaky, being all polite, being all, uh, ah, I just. Ah, and he points to the phone. Ricky Johnson's on, you know. It's Yamaha being all polite. He hangs up the phone and goes, fuck that guy. Is that swear, right? Swear. Swear. Signs it. I'm like, oh, God, you know. Oh, no. It, got, it, went, it went crazy because. That's awesome. Kel Carruthers, you know, was running the road racing department for Yamaha. And so he was friends of ours. And I knew his daughter. And, you know, we, we all knew each other. Kel calls me and says, the president of, Japan, of Yamaha Japan just called me and said, you can have whatever you want. And it was too late. I didn't want it. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, yeah. wait, remember those forks that you wouldn't, for free, you wouldn't put on my bike because I needed them to win? And so so that was, so thanks, Dave. I didn't know, I didn't know you were oh, that I was, far. I was, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's not a clear-cut, you know, deal. So that's, But that took some balls. I mean. Oh, I was sweating. I, you, I can't you, imagine you, the Honda. The difference between then and now. You spent their money you, without You could not, I could barely pull it, squeak it through then. You would not be able to do that no now. Way. You'd be out. So that probably the call from, it was probably the, the president in, in Japan called him. More than likely. Could be, but the culture, they they were at each other's throats at that time. So it fortunately you had that even, even the top guys, they were like trying to put the hurt on the other guys. So. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's so the, the competition and the hate for each other probably helped your cause. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> yes. That's so great. All right. Um eighty six real quick. I asked David yesterday like about the the production bikes. Did you kind of feel the same? You had ridden that 85 Works bike. When you got your production, were you were you disappointed or were you like, no, nah, you know what, we're good? It's no, when I, I, I just got a complete bone stalker. That's what we were talking about over there about the side plate. And I was, uh, you know, had the softer old Axo style Fox boots. And I had to make plates for my ankles and stuff. But, I, but that was the thing. I said, hey, I got a problem with this. And the next thing, you know, boom, here's this bitching. I'm like, oh, can it be a little higher? So David's was always smaller and cleaner and polished because mm -hmm. Cliff was so anal about everything. Mm -hmm. Mine was always sanded and bigger and, and this and that. Um, so, no, I wasn't disappointed at all. I was just, at that point, you're always kind of going for more and more and more and more and more. Um, so we got it. And then that's when I said when I, when I went to the, to the Pro Circuit Pipe, it was just to make it more rideable. Mm -hmm. So anything that I wanted, and I, and I don't think I was out of line. I was just, you know, this is what I would like. And if they say yeah. we can't do it, you okay then you how do, how, then how do yeah. I make how do I make it fit in the box that I could that I can make it manageable and and so I no I wasn't disappointed at all because I I felt with what we had and how fast David and Johnny and I were all going because those guys destroyed me up at Simi Valley I had to I had to get out of there but but I knew if we if we kept that momentum going there was enough we could talk about that is there was enough like friction between us because David and Johnny were just like they were 
shit, they finished each other's senses. They were yeah. like, a, you know, a comedy, not a comedy act, but I'm saying they, they, they worked well together. They just loved each other. There was a lot other. of synergy. Yeah. And, uh, and so me, I was like, I tried to fit in that. Like, I want to be, oh, one of the Honda guys. I'm like, eh, I'm, I'm going to be third every weekend if I stay here. So mm. I, get, I had to get away. But uh, no, not disappointed a bit. And when you were involved, obviously, with the race team during 85 testing, but as they were doing 86 pre-production stuff at the time, mm-hmm. were you keeping pretty close tabs on that? And like, hey, how's that thing coming? Roger, I mean, Roger and I had to wear two different hats. Like, in testing with production group was not that it's completely different than the race team guys. And their whole methodology, and a lot of times even the 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 technology that they used, even for coming up with chassis designs and suspension, it was different. It was mm. production has a different focus, and so, but but there was competition between those two groups, and a lot of times we'd be, well, why don't that they they already kind of worked that out? Why don't, why don't you just copy that geometry or copy those motion ratios or copy those? And we we were always kind of taking information, even though we were somewhat outsiders. I mean, we. We would take settings and geometries and specs from one group to the other, and mm-hmm. so. But to answer your question, going into '86, I, to me, a, a motorcycle was just a tool, and it didn't matter at the time a lot if it was handmade or, you know, it had a couple of production plastic blow molded parts on it. I mean, how well did it work? And I, I actually felt the '86 bike was as good or better in many ways than the works bikes in '85. Yeah, and it turned out that way. I just, I got to think for you guys, that production rule, knowing how good your work spikes were, was there any, were you any anxiety about, man, I hope hope they build us a good production. Yeah, a lot of anxiety, but, you know, they won, in the end, is you know, you look in the mirror, um, they they won every championship worldwide, like in Japan, in Europe, and the States. It's never, I don't think it's ever been done. But in 86, weren't they still on work spikes? Like, like in Thor- Europe, Thor- yes, in Europe yeah, they could have yeah. been still on work spikes. That's yeah. right, Thor- and even in Japan. So, yeah. but they they just won. They had T-shirts. We go to Japan, and they had yeah. Johnson and Bailey and Aaron and Diamond Thorpe and, the, and Thorpe and yeah, you know. Gabor's and yeah. everybody. Uh, that's really that's true. I, Good I point. I think Gabor's was on a two, uh, was on a production bike. That could have been. Right. I mean, it went to more of a kind of like what O'Mara had a few years earlier. Kind of went. To, they started to cut the pure works corners. I mean. It didn't have to be everything mag and billet and handmade. Yeah. So. There, David mentioned an interesting story yesterday, uh, talking about 86, particularly at, at the beginning of before Anaheim, and they're testing that upside-down fork. Mm-hmm. And David said he just couldn't get it to, to kind of turn the way he wanted. You know, it just, And he said that, uh, I thought this was real interesting, he's out there with Cliff doing his testing, and Cliff goes, he kind of winks at him and goes, let Rick have it. He goes, he'll want it, and uh, he goes, it's not ready yet. And David stuck with the with the conventional, yeah. and he goes, well, "Go back and watch that race and watch Rick's front end." He goes, oh, no. "It's bouncing all oh, over the place." I bounce all over the place. But here's why I went with it because remember how talk about concrete, the whoops up there, and, and Johnny and David would go, "Brr, brr, brr." They had that, that with that whoop section, and I would just go at, over uh, to the, at Honda, at Honda, Honda Land. Land. Okay. And I would just go over the biggest thing, and I would just go right into it because the conventional fork, if you hit. I was strong enough, you'd hit a certain thing, it flexed the fork, mm-hmm. and then you'd lose it. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, and that's when they were building these, like, block walls. And if I go, if I hit stuff really hard, it wouldn't give. And I'm like, I like that. I don't like the, like, you watch me land, I, and it kind of re- rebounded wrong, and it wouldn't track as well. And, and I went back to the conventional fork for a few races, which that created some upset. But then, obviously, we kept going back to it, and that that for Showa to make the upside down fork better. So mm-hmm. I, I agree. Yeah. He's, he, he's right. He, he said something too about maybe Johnny was on it later in the year outdoors 
tried to use it and was just having all kinds of problems, went back to the conventional and then ended up winning, winning out the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was the 500 class. So, uh, so here's anyway, the thing. Anyway, John, Johnny's stuff was like butter. Like he's so light on the bike, kind of like a Christian Craig, more of a BMX style. Like mm-hmm. I tried to ride Johnny's bike. I, no way. I hated it. Mm-hmm. So having something stiff and rigid was, was not Johnny's style. Having that little bit of flex, and he was more smooth. He'd time it where I would just kind of, I'm just going to crash it. There's always a learning curve. It, it obviously was yeah. a better setup long run, but for that first year, there was going to be yeah. learning curve and stuff. The, I just the thought learn, the, to, learn, to, the learning curve on upside down was bigger than anybody thought. They just thought that if you just take the same cartridge and the oil and get mm. the spring curve in the spring and you know, you change the physical construction of how you clamp the tube and it's just going to be laterally and more stable and more rigid. But there was a whole left on the table was how effective there's spring collars going through oil and bottoming cones and it took years to figure that out mm. we to even understand it yeah yeah it was it was so radical and new but yeah he i thought it where we talk about t- teams within the team you know that the cliff's like let let rick have it like you know i thought that was really interesting yeah. where instead of going hey guys i don't know if we're there as a team maybe let's let's put that on the bench and we'll oh, come no, back to no, it no, later no. he's like let rick have it no it was it was a matter of i mean we had to we had to share with each other but still everybody wanted to win yeah i i I wasn't telling Johnny and David what chas- what little changes I was making. And I know that you guys didn't take everything that I did and run down and tell them mm. because it was rider preference. You know, unless, preference. Unless, unless one of us was completely out to, out, out, off, to, off to one side, it was like, well, let them do their thing. Mm. And, and, you know, uh, Felt was with Johnny and, and Cliff was with, with David. And, and it was, like I said, it, it, there was... It wasn't always the ha- happy, loving place. <laughs> and also, if you believe it's good, it is good. Right. There's yeah. a lot of truth I mean, to that. Yeah. You look at the results from 86, and yeah. Ricky believed it was good. He yeah. was. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I just thought it was a really uh, an interesting little side note that I had never heard, and it kind of shows that competitiveness between oh, yeah. between teams and stuff. Did Lennis and uh, Cl- Cliff and Jim all get along well? Or was no. it pretty competitive too? No, they, they worked together and they had respect, but they didn't travel together. They didn't hang yeah. out together. They didn't go to dinner together. If they needed to maybe share a part with one another, but no, they didn't get along. Cliff and Brian. They, they didn't get along. What would you say? Cliff is an introvert. Yeah. He's a very, very, ex- he's an excellent mechanic, but I'm not, I'm not even saying just Cliff, but I mean, there was competition, even with mechanics, you know, within the team with writers and Back to the dynamics of a team. When you have three guys, it, not that all of them, if it's not distinctly clear who is the fastest and what their role and who is second, or maybe some, one guy's better in supercross and outdoor, but if there's not some difference, there's friction yeah. because he wants to win and so does the other guy. Right. So, and then the mechanics, they pick that up. I mean, they're, they're trying to achieve the same goal and yeah. being buddies isn't automatically part of that well cliff and brian don't especially back then they didn't seem like they liked anybody you know they were both very they would do they would go to the end of theirs for their rider and that was it right yeah like, but yeah, yeah pretty much <clears throat> um well let's take a quick break we'll, we'll uh, i got so much stuff to get to here this is your tld timeout stay tuned we're gonna be right back to uh keep going here with dave arnold Dunlop, there is a reason. 
reason every AMA championship in the past decade was won on Dunlop tires. They are the best. Choose the best performing tire and brand that has never wavered in their support of our sport. Choose Dunlop. Pro Circuit. Pro Circuit products are designed with one goal in mind, winning. Through passion and hard work, Pro Circuit has operated the most successful 250 team in the history of the sport. They use that same formula when developing exhaust, engine, and suspension parts for every brand. When only the highest level of performance is acceptable. Trust Pro Circuit. Since 2009, Seat Concepts has been dedicated to making the best aftermarket seats. More comfort, more grip, more riding. For 10 years, we've continued to raise the bar. Innovation and American craftsmanship make Seat Concepts the world-leading manufacturer of power sports seats. At Nihilo Concepts, we have a passion for innovation and for motocross. Our mission is to develop parts that will improve the durability, functionality, and the appearance of your motorcycle. We're proud to say that everything from Nihilo is made in the USA in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you race every weekend or you just ride for fun, Nihilo offers high-quality, innovative parts that you just won't find anywhere else. Nihilo offers custom engraved engine covers, one-piece titanium foot picks, brake tips, internal engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, carbon fiber components, and so much more. Check out our website, nihiloconcepts.com, and see for yourself why teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. nihiloconcepts.com. Specialized Bicycles. Specialized leads the way in the world of bicycling. Whether it's cross-country racing, downhill, e-bikes, enduro, road, gravel, dual solemn, dirt jumping, or all mountain bikes that do it all, Specialized has the perfect ride for you. The brand is synonymous with engineering excellence and innovation that steers the industry. Visit your local Specialized dealer for a test ride and see just how good Specialized products are. Ogeo Power Sports. Ogeo has perfected the carrying case, motocross gear bags, helmet bags, boot bags, hydration packs, backpacks, and travel bags, to name a few, have all been meticulously engineered to maximize space and surpass durability standards that would make NASA proud. Simply the best. Ogeo Power Sports. Connected. I wanted my kids to ride motorcycles, so we would always share that. Besides our family bond, but it's just something cool that you get to share with your kids. I wish I had as a kid was the Cena I've used with Hayden. You turn them on and you can talk to each other. It just changes the whole game. When you're trying to learn and get better, you need that ability to talk to the student. And I think that's what the Cena system does, you know, it allows you to communicate real time instead of saying, oh, come in, hey, that corner there, like 10 laps ago, 
you did this or that. You know, it's almost like a secret. It's almost like I'd like to even keep it. It's like you want to keep it a secret because it's such an advantage. You know, I feel like the the Senna system is such an advantage, and I feel like you know it's going to help us elevate Hayden's game big time. So that's that's why we use it. With a rich history in motocross, ProX has been dedicated to supplying quality components since 1975. Whether you're rebuilding an engine or just need a new chain, ProX Racing Parts aims to bridge the gap between OE quality and affordability. ProX has over 9,000 part numbers and over 60 different product types that are manufactured by highly reputable or even OEM suppliers and are offered at affordable prices to help keep riders on the bike instead of in the garage. Visit ProX.com to search parts for your bike or check them out at your favorite online or local dealer. The guys are just breaking in their race bikes, which will leave on the semi this Saturday to go to the first Supercross for our coast in Orlando. Uh, so the guys are just be goofing off a little bit, do some cool photos, do some cool videos. When you go racing, you want to do well, but a big key is keeping the bikes on the track. That's why we chose to work with Motul. Expectations coming in as a rookie is just to try and get my feet wet and uh, honestly just send it, see where I end up and uh, do my best out there, but just ride aggressive and ride like myself in practice and I uh, should have a good time. Challenges of this sport I believe is just simply staying healthy. Uh, with how fast we're going um, and what we're doing, your margin for mistake is really, really small. If you have little rippers, you have had to have seen Stay Sick Bikes by now. We have created bikes and experiences that allow kids to develop sooner and empower them to define their own ride. From learning to ride to sharpening skills, the Stay Sick promise is accelerated growth. Whatever path your family chooses, it's going to be the ride of your life. Stay Sick Stability Cycles. I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it Hey, I'm on vacation every single day Alright, welcome back guys. That was your Troy Lee Designs timeout. Be sure to get over to TroyLeeDesigns.com. They've got some gear coming in. I know everybody's been sort of uh, waiting for that. Uh, a lot of their moto gear has been depleted, sold out. It's trickling back in. We finally got some of that supply chain stuff sorted out. And uh, if you're looking for some of that, get on there. Uh, you can sign up for their email blast as well and be notified when, when stuff hits the, the, sh the floors here and, uh, and jump on it. So do that. Check out all the things that TLD has to offer here from mountain bike gear, custom helmet paint, all the moto stuff, uh, amazing stuff all the way around. So please go over and check those guys out. Uh, I want to circle back so we missed the dogger story. And I, I always wanted to hear the details. And, and again, as a manager... What a nightmare, right? When you guys go over to Japan, 85, was it uh, David? Johnny. Johnny and, <coughs> and Ronnie? Yep. Yeah, I believe so. And you were going to do a Supercross, maybe Osaka. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was a GP. Oh, was that what it was? Or Japan, a Japan uh, Grand Prix or something. I think you're right. I think it was at, uh, I think it was Suzuka Circuit. Yeah. And, okay. and it was a GP. And so what happened? Ronnie gets caught at the security with some weed in his bag well, he was he was ahead of his time because now is you know no. <laughs> but uh no i'm not i'm not bagging his record on him. I'm should sensitive. be expunged but um we actually 
I think myself and some of the mechanics, we had to go there early and meet about next year's bike because the GPs after our series were all over. It was later in the year. Okay. And, uh, but in any case, we were working in the factory and then um, I think the riders came in, let's say it was like a Thursday or something. There was a race on the weekend and um, I don't know who I heard from. I mean, I was working at HRC and I think I heard that they had problems at the airport. I, I don't remember who notified me, but okay. then... Um, and, and as it was explained to me later, I guess Ronnie got caught with something in his backpack supposed to help him with jet lag. And then David and, and uh, Johnny had already gone through, like, control, passport control, or, you know, even checking baggage and everything. And they couldn't but go in reverse and get back they, to it. No, right? yeah. Well, no, they were already <clears throat> out. And then Ron, with Ronnie, the lights went off. They thought they found something. So they drugged those two guys back in. And then they took them in little rooms and started searching every little cavity they could find, which was very embarrassing and uncomfortable for especially the two guys. That, Except Johnny. <laughs> Except Johnny. He got so, a kick out of it. Which is a big, it's a big deal in Japan. You know, they're... I mean, it's a big deal in general at the time, you know, but in Japan, you know, Paul McCartney, there's other people who've gotten in trouble over there if they went over there to perform. And so they don't take lightly to, you know, those, sure. that type of paraphernalia. So I was instructed, um, well, first of all, I had to get in a car with the head officer of HRC, this guy, uh, me, um, I'll think of his name in a minute. But in any case, we had to drive out to the airport, which is not very close to where we're at. And then with the traffic in Tokyo, took forever. Super uncomfortable. Like, what do you talk about? And uh, you're, Amer you're American writer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I tried to make light conversation. Like, ah, oh, you know, it's it's a bad deal. But I I can see, you know, he's young and he's in high school, and I can see, you know, getting caught up or doing this or that. And and the guy reamed me. And oh, he, really? he's like, you, you, guys, you guys are just idiots, you know, that, to think that this is even okay, things like this, you guys are compromising your brain cells or whatever, you know, I, I, I don't know the terminology used, but he, he thought even me trying to make an excuse for it was not Un good taste. Unacceptable. No. Wow. Ouch. So you were getting read the right So, act. And I think Honda had to, you know, they actually, um, they had to take custody of Ron. I mean, he was obviously in the police right. legal custody. So I think for the evening, they had to take custody. However that works, I'm not sure how a corporation does that or even an officer of the corporation. So then I was informed by the time they talked to American Honda, I was supposed to go to his hotel room and fire him, which he didn't care as much about as, I think he'd already had a deal worked out with Roy Turner at Kawasaki by that time anyway for the following year. But we had to call his dad and that he was he was yeah. worried to do so. We called, we called his dad, and uh, Dick, I think is his yeah. name, Dick Lachine, and I had to inform him. How did that go? He was quiet. It was a lot of silence on the phone. So. Yeah, Dick was... Those are those awkward things as a manager you, you have to do that are just like... Yeah, I told Ronnie, Ronnie first of all, I got to let you go. Yeah, whatever, you know. And then, second of all, I go... Uh, and Ronnie just wanted to race. He just thought... And that was kind of the mentality of the whole race. You know, as, as the race team slowly got you know, probably more integrated into the corporation, which sort of happens, you know. Mm -hmm. At first we were just win and develop stuff and win rate. You know, everything's going to be okay. I mean, you're you're a bit of an outlaw from the way corporates usually work. And then, you know, over time, um, the bottom line is, you know, you're, you're kind of an extension of a marketing group or an image they're trying to create. So expectations are slightly different or you're a little bit more in public, you know. Sure. 
But anyway. But now, but with Ronnie, there were some great stories about testing. Johnny and Dave would tell me. So they'd have the outdoor track, and you know, up down the hill, and there was like the <clears throat> always right, like right in front of the box fans where we parked. There was that kind of dip. Yeah. And Ronnie went over during lunchtime and took a shovel and made like a little jump on the far side, so you didn't have to break and go down through the up, you know, go down through this wash and then into the left turn and up the hill. He came down. He would just jump, in. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Ronnie's second and a half faster than everybody on the course, and didn't tell anybody that. Basically, he's riding a different course, but <laughs> but Ronnie was, Ronnie was that guy. Like yeah. I remember screaming at him. He you know he couldn't go on the other side of the gate, and so <clears throat> he like walk over his gate. And he started walking down to the first turn, dragging his two feet, and I'm going, <laughs> get him the fuck out of here, you know. And, he, and he's like, and he's going, and he'd be jumping up, and I was like, what? What are you what, talking man? about? What, what, I'm just... what do you What do you mean? He looks like a damn penguin patting this thing. I'm like, Ugh. but that was Ronnie. I, I, that that's what made Dogger the Dogger. I mean, he would look for any advantage that he could find. Yeah. How was How was he testing with? Like, did did he have a good? I mean. He, Kind of a little bit more of the get it close and I'll ride it, or was he more technical? I don't remember Ronnie being that detailed. I think he just naturally talented. I mean, he had a loose, you know, I yeah. mean, but the guy, you watch him on a 500, the day actually he got hurt, he was riding for Kawasaki, the team he ultimately yeah. saw. And I was just, you watch the guy on a 500, and he was just loose and flowed, and how he even crashed, I have no idea, because he was so damn smooth, I yeah. mean, at speed. Yeah. So I, right I don't know. I just I just always thought of Ronnie as being just naturally gifted, kind of like a Marty Smith on or Marty you know, Tripes. Mar kind yeah, of. yeah. That's I don't crazy. know. I don't know. He was that critical about the bike. I don't remember him. Yeah, this thing is rad. It looks cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds so bitching. Let's go. Yeah. Do you have any other good dogger stories? Anything that stands out from your time with him? Not, I mean, I didn't end up in a canal like uh, the next manager did with him on the way to Binghamton, or was that Unidil? No, Binghamton. I mean, I. He, oh yeah, I didn't hear about that. I don't know. It was a rent a car story. <laughs> I rent a car crash. <laughs> <laughs> don't choke. Uh, on, on the way to a track, kind of foggy, upside down in the canal, or something like that. But you'd have to ask Turner. Well, or not the first time that's happened with our no. Crown. Nah. Oh, I I love Ronnie, and I he, I know he's he gets a little embarrassed talking about some of those stories and the things that happened. But yeah. Like his story's great, you know, like that made him who he is. He's, he's legendary because of the way he was yeah. and maybe he regrets some of the decisions, but man, at this point it's like embrace it, man. Again, that that I, stuff was again, back to, I think factories <laughs> were super paranoid that some, you know, child prodigy was going to come up or, and, and just dominate because they did, you know, the, you had a Smitty do it and they had a Hannah do it. And you had a Barnett do it and you had a, you know, mm. and a Hannah and Glover and, you know, you had Ricky and everybody was just constantly looking for who's going to trip him up for the next three or four years. Right. So Well, he was that guy. And he was the guy potentially that, yeah. Tripes was young, uh, yep. but then didn't Ronnie win in San Diego maybe as a 16-year-old? Yeah, 16. <clears throat> Those, uh, he, uh, yeah, they, they had a race in San Diego at the end of the year. I know, I know he won because I got second to him again. And he was on a practice <coughs> bike. So there was a story well, to that, no, wasn't there? No, they bought a bike from Lucky Yamaha, and then Bevo put some, some, some suspension on it. But we were riding production bikes anyway, so it's like yeah. our factory bike was a yeah. 1983 production bike anyways. Mm -hmm. oh, well, anyway, I, I love those stories of him. Um, I want to mention real quickly, if you guys heard some static during the first half of the show, that wasn't static. We got a tin roof here in the saloon, and it rained like hell. Never rains here in Southern California, of course, unless we're doing a show, and it's it's a little chilly in here. So we got Rick a jacket. <laughs> got a new jacket. 
Um, all right, so moving on. Um, I thought it was interesting that, and I'm curious, you know, you mentioned Stanton a little bit earlier, but bringing him on, um, and to your credit, you weren't threatened by him or anything else. You took him in and, and helped him along. And uh, was yeah. there, was that awkward at, at any point for you? Because it's it's like it doesn't really happen anymore. You wouldn't have, Honda wouldn't hire Ken Roxon and then bring Eli Tomac in or Cooper Webb, right? And and some of that might be financial reasons, but it's also the the, the model now is you have a, a marquee guy and then somebody that just backs him up, but he's never he's not going to beat him. Mm-hmm. Where you got you, I mean, you would bring in whoever the best guys were, period, and you didn't worry about conflict or that friction. Um, you know, some of the sometimes you create a team and you want everything to be real smooth and that may not be the most effective team with the fastest guys, you know, and I mean, it's not comfortable to manage a team when you've got three fast guys and what it evolved into. When I, when we hired Stanton, I genuinely thought he was going to be a pretty fast guy that could help weed through. It's hard to test with, let's say your A string guys, you know, and you want to try all this stuff and engineers want you to try this stuff and you're, you know, you're developing some things yourself. You want to see if it pans out. And mm-hmm. so doing it with a stand, you don't, these guys, you don't want them that tired when they get to the weekend. I mean, they're racing for a championship. I thought Jeff was that guy. Workhorse. You know, you. a workhorse kind of a guy on the team. You know, he's able to kind of go 90% of that speed, but then we could run him ragged during the week, and it doesn't matter that much. But that's not what it evolved into, and I don't know if that's any fault of Jeff's or the team. I mean, unfortunately... Man, it all, you know, Ricky got hurt, which is what, yeah. you know, Jeff, I don't, I don't know what I expected, or the industry, the industry probably didn't expect Stanton to step up and start mm-hmm. winning Supercross. Yeah. They didn't. I mean, they were floored. We were probably <laughs> somewhat surprised. I mean, but Ricky's like, and I, and I think that uh, Jeff being around Ricky and his mentality and how he approached racing, I mean, the learning curve was pretty steep, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think Ricky helped him a lot, but it's almost like, okay, now it's given to you, maybe prematurely, but now it's given to you yeah. and you either got the chance to step up or you don't, you give it to somebody else. And I think, I think you know, mental is a big part of racing and, you know, Jeff stepped up. But then within a short period of time, we ended up with Stanton, who was the champion, Ricky coming back, trying to, take what was rightfully take back what was his and then we got this french guy this french guy <laughs> that he's kind of got championship in mind as well that yeah. was difficult i can imagine and i i always i wonder if you had never broken your wrist how that dynamic would have played out would jeff ever have you know would he have sort of accepted that role as the leader was that the mental bump he needed or would you guys have well, gone head to head? I mean, to his so Jeff, what Jeff was really good at is whatever I would do, he would just push harder. Like, and he had no shame to his game. Like, I was doing like dumbbell aerobics and stuff like that, just trying to do different stuff. He would do it, had no rhythm, look like a complete <laughs> idiot out there, but he it would never slow him down. Yeah. He would just go. And if I would do twenty two laps, he'd do twenty three laps. If I would do that, he would try to do one more set. He was always trying to one up me, and it was it was it was good motivation for me and him but then when i so i messed up uh i got hurt before the first round and so i did something my ankle or my knee i think mm. it was in 80s no in in in, in 89. 89 and so i i was i didn't get to train that much before the first round so when i went into anaheim i kind of thought eh, you know 
pull off a top five, and then I'll get my groove going. I'll get back. And I ended up winning, and then I won the first six. And then Jeff beat me legit. I, I screwed up a couple times. He screwed up a couple times, but he beat me legitimately in Atlanta. And then, so now that was always his thing. He says, if I could beat you once, I could beat you again. I'm like, well, a lot of people beat me once. You know, that, that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that, that's, I'm a, that's not it. But as I said, to his advantage, he had me, like we were together all the time. He was living in my house, eating what I ate, did all the different stuff. And he was the perfect student. If I said, eat this dog turd, it'll make you a second faster, it'd be gone. It would, <laughs> it wasn't, there was no, no hesitation. And so he also had a, a very similar dynamic with him and Danny Bentley of it's you and me against the world. So mm-hmm. he, they, you know, Danny was a very, you know, kind of arrogant guy, you know what I mean? But was uh, just behind Jeff 100%. 100%. Yeah. And so when I remember I came back to, to New York, I was like, wow, these guys, like they, they have totally embraced the role that they're, that they're the, the shit, mm. you know, like, I'm like, Hey, Danny's like, Eric, I'm like, Wow, kind of arrogance, you know. Seem seem like, but they they took on the alpha male. Bam! Like when I wasn't there, not not that he was subservient to me at all. He was trying to beat me all the time. We were banging on each other, racing hard, and doing all the different stuff. It wasn't like Johnny and David. We didn't play nice. We played hard, mm. and um, and so when I was gone, boy, they just they jumped right in that spot. And then when I came back, it was like. What are you doing here? Kind of, they didn't say it, but it was kind of the feel that I got. What are you doing here, old man? Your time's done. Like, see how that goes. Did you see that as a manager? Were you were you kind of watching that dynamic? Oh, it was thick, and it got thicker. I mean, it it was uh, you. You could could have cut the atmosphere with a a chainsaw. Yeah. (laughs) So then add JMB to that mix. Yeah. How did you get along with him? I I actually got along great with JMB because I I respected him. There was a like I remember him getting an Apple computer and learning it all on his own like just like he was so far ahead of the curve but i would go watch him ride <clears throat> and he would play ride all day long and i'm like he can be fast so when i like the one race that i when i came back in in, in 89 he had dominated all the gps mm-hmm. and so we got there he was three seconds a lap faster than me and so i went out and i was hauling ass i was in shape i felt great unadilla I come in, you know, and you come into your mechanic, and you're basically all you want to say is, "Tell me all the all the good shit about me." That's, uh, that's, all, that, that's what you're really saying. But I said to him, "I said, how's my time?" And he goes, "You're three seconds off." I'm like, "No, no." I said, "How's my time?" You know, he's like, "You know, I, I might have three said, seconds." I, 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 off. I, I think I said, "I'm three seconds faster than everybody's." No, you're three seconds off a of bail, and I'm like, "There's no way. How the hell is?" So I like went right up on the hill, and I'm watching bail. And he was so smooth on the corners, and I would hit stuff hard. And at Unadilla on the two-stroke, two hey, and so he could, he'd come into it a little earlier, softer than I would coming in, but he was on the gas sooner and carried the speed through the corner, real light on the bike. It wasn't hitting it hard. So then I started mimicking his, his riding style. But then in the race, we started out, it went three seconds, <laughs> nine seconds, 12 seconds, 12 seconds. 10 seconds and started coming back and I'm going, Oh, that bastard's playing coy with me. So he's, 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 he's taking it easy. And so I go like, I got it. So I catch him, dog him for a lap. And I'm like, I'm going to hit him to piss him off because I don't want him to just get behind me and save his energy and come back. So I, I hit him and I go, I'm just like, over, you know, wide open as fast as I can go. And I, do, I dropped him. And so then he was done the second moto, but John Vandenberg ended up getting second, the second moto because bail was done but he never had to do that he would take off and put like 20 seconds on people and then ride around yeah he was he was was that fast Mm -hmm. i mean he and he did weird stuff like he 
killing brake pads and shit, like dragging the yeah, back yeah, brake yeah, and just yeah. all kinds of funky stuff. But then no one knew what he was doing. He would yeah. just, you know, Cliff was over there just changing brake pads all the time. <laughs> he would. He, he, he burned through rear brake pads. Huh? He, he would do things in the Supercross, and they, of course, they're trying to. The people building the tracks, they're trying to keep. So he started doing this thing where he was just blitzing the whoops, not by not a little faster than everybody, like. How the hell is he getting a, a on? gear higher? And he was a gear taller or two, and he would slip the clutch. And you're you're looking at all this stuff, and then load the rear brake, and then by about a third of the way in, then the clutch would be out, and and so then they started to make the whoops like let's make them real big in the <laughs> beginning, and then taper them so they can't do that anymore. And but he he had a technique, and I think I don't know. There's a lot of smart racers, you know. I, I you would see Bale in a race and. I would see him turn around and look to see where Ricky or somebody else was. Like, how do they do that? I don't know. I'm not a racer <laughs> at that level. You don't just turn around and go, well, let's see, Ricky's in eighth, you know, and then this guy. And then, oh, how much time do I got? I saw him in a Supercross when Bradshaw Matasevich came in, whatever year. Was that 89? Yeah, 89, 89 or 90. So I think it was Atlanta, Georgia, and there were serious championship points at stake. And I'm like, come on, come on, let's go. We only got 20 laps here, you know. And I'm and Bale's kind of just riding around. Right, I see him looking who's up front and who's in the back, and he's just riding around content in about seventh or eighth place. And then in and these guys are knocked down, drag out, playing yeah. dirty pool, you know. Yeah. With Larry Ward, and yeah. they're just, just yeah. T-boning yeah. each other. They, 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 that's what they're doing, you know. It's it's They're kind of being nasty, you know. And he wait, half the rate, I'm like, this is not working out. You know, Cliff, give them something on the chalkboard, you know. And then in one lap, he just goes, two guys turn, two more guys down the whoops, <laughs> two I mean, he's in the lead. Yeah. I mean, it's... Well, he did that in Tampa at 92. It's, a, it's one of my favorite races to watch. Oh, Do you yeah. remember that yeah, race? Yeah. He just sat in fifth or sixth yeah. out of the out of the picture, and yeah. I, I forget who's even up front. And then with two to go, yeah, through the whoops, like you just said, uh, yeah, turn, it was, and, and it wasn't, and it wasn't this hail mary thing, right? No. It was just a what? And I'd watch him turn. You know, everyone else had to kind of go to a berm or they would whatever. He would just on flat ground go yeah and be yeah. gone. Yeah, no, he had yeah. some talent. And yeah. one of the things I remember. Right at the end of my career, that he, when he signed his contract, remember he wanted to ride a road race bike. Yeah. We, we went to yeah. Toshigi. We're yeah. at the Japan test track. He goes there, never drug a knee. Never even, I don't think he's ever ridden a road race bike. And so he goes out there, and, and the factory Japanese guy's there, and he sets a lap, you know, and the guy, it, like G GP speed, Legit, you know, on yeah. a 250 GP bike. Bale goes out and... Like the first two times, doesn't even drag his knee because he's afraid to get down that low. Mm -hmm. By the end of the day, I think he's a half a second off the guy on his home test track. Come on. He, he was that good. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not joking. He was, and, but always, <laughs> just always finding shit. Like, so we were over there, and he, so they had the little Z50s. Yeah. And so they had a couple of them there. So we're like screwed on the test tracks. Do you remember that? Yeah, oh, I remember God. that. Oh, God. So he goes, RJ, come on, come on. I'm like, what? He's like, Follow me. So we go over on there. So he goes on the thing. So he's dragging around, and he's he's dragging the peg, and he's sliding this thing. So he's doing this drifter all around the thing. It's like this big painted circle. Well, it's like one of their super duper things, <laughs> and he's just putting concrete oh. gouges in it round and round and round. I'm like, I don't know if we should do that, you know? <laughs> and he's like, no, man, come on, let's do it. I'm like, I see what you're doing. You're like Huck Finn. You're trying to get me to get in trouble, too. I'm like, I'm staying away from it. We're over there. Next thing you know, chalkboards are flying. What the fuck? In Japanese, what the hell's going on over here? But, yeah. 
He was that good. Yeah. Oh, he's incredible. Did, so, what was what was working as a manager for him like? I, I always hear the story. It was it was intense. He and Stanton didn't like each other. No. Uh, and, you know, and I think it was even bigger than that. It was Bevo Fortes and people. It just got nationalistic, and you know, it got to be the French mm. press and. It just turned into, you know, like when we would go over to Bercy and then all the French guys yelling at, you know, it just got to be the tension between, within the team, but even between like Stanton, I'm going to stand up for America, you know, right. I'm not going to let this guy come and just take everything back over there. And then even the final race over there was, I think it was three nights in Bercy, wasn't it? Or three yeah, races. Three, three races, yeah. Three races. And then Jeff ended up winning. But it was just like, world championship they would just want to kill each other yeah. you know it but it was thicker you couldn't it was it was heavy tension it was heavy tension and everybody just retired early they were just so exhausted you know like <laughs> stanton stands at 25 like i'm done you know and, <laughs> i can't do this anymore and bail i'm going rotary everybody just like couldn't keep it up does does jmb need to own some of that though because i felt like he did he never really made an effort to sort of embrace the culture here and and make an effort like he was very quiet he didn't talk to press or media or fans much yeah i i, and, don't, and I, I don't know i don't know how I, good his english I, was I, but i like i like the guy on a personal level he was snarly intense on a, a work relationship level um he always kind of thought everybody had it out for him if he had to go pee in a bottle for a drug trust you know er everything was kind of a conspiracy everybody mm. was kind of out for him and i had to i had to hear it all mm. um but anyway, I don't know. But it as was, I said, on a personal level, he, he studied. He wanted to, away from racing, he wanted to be an American. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, 100%. yeah. 100%. He listened to I music was just, and all this stuff. I was just stuff. from the outside looking in, and that's that was sort of the vibe I got. So that's, that's interesting a, That's a good hear. point. I mean, like, Roger came over here a Belgian. No, I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but... Does anybody feel that about Roger? He likes Roger. He's like yeah. he's like one of us. He wants to be here. He talk. I almost don't know if like what you said. I don't think Bale ever did that. I don't know that I want to be here. I'm just going to take all your stuff and go home. You know. Yeah. Well, I think that he, when he didn't, when he didn't get accepted, which I was bummed because, and here's the thing: if if I'm in France, when I I took out Jackie Vimon at the Paris Supercross, I mean, I had flagmen flipping me off, the crowds whistling. I thought, cool, they dig that. <laughs> but whistling is not cheering. That's that's a bad thing. But I was always okay with it. I was always okay to be number two to Puzar in Italy and second to Vimon or Bale mm -hmm. in France and this. That. I expect you to stand up sure. for your guy. And and but I think Jean Michel took it like, why aren't they embracing me? Well, you're you're. You're coming over here and taking something that's been rightfully ours as, as Americans. Mm -hmm. So he should have just said, hey, you know what? Hey, I want you to cheer for Stan. I want mm -hmm. you to cheer for Bradshaw, that redneck and that fat, you know, whatever, <laughs> Michigan kid and this and that. But that's that's a good point. Like, I mean, but, but I think also Ricky understanding that. Um, Ricky started being the showman. I think Ricky paid having that mentality. He paved the way for Jeremy, in my opinion. Like oh, for sure. you know, well, the whole the whole thing about playing into different cultures or or be trying to be accepted by different cultures. I mean, I don't even know who the baseball team in Japan is, but Ricky be wearing their jersey when he goes up there mm. and gets interviewed and things like that. You know, and yeah. it goes a long way to the Japanese guy. Yeah, Ricky's fast. He reads. Now he's trying to be one of them. So mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and, and Jeremy said you were his idol. He, you, you were who he looked to. Uh, and I always think, every time I see you, man, I think of this stupid Japanese TV news interview <laughs> you did where you're breakdancing. And they're like, 
<laughs> they kept saying you like you hate ham. Ham, like, yeah, hate no, ham. I I'm hate like, ham. It was the weirdest thing, yeah. but I'm like, that is so Rick Johnson. You know, it's like <laughs> it was so funny. And then you're like, I'm not break dancing. Yeah. And they hand him enough cash and goes, money. all right. And he got up and like did a legit little pop and lock. It was great. But yeah, it was. But that was the other thing. I was going to Japan during that time. It was, you know, a lot of times I think when Smitty went and stuff like that, the 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 separation was so far. But we started doing races. Mm-hmm. You know, did, did the GP. I did uh, Suzuka, mm-hmm. and then I did obviously all the the Supercrosses and stuff. And so it was, the world was becoming smaller yeah, in true. the eighties. I true. think. True. But you know, I look at I look at Tortelli. Everybody liked Tortelli here, and, and he was French. Roncada, people loved him. Um, so it, it's not that we don't embrace French or, or foreigners. You just have to. Seem like you like it here, and you you know what I mean. There's a there was but a vibe JMB gave off. That but they were after. They were after. I mean, yeah. The, I mean, Muskin, Muskin, Muskin. I, I think is yeah. he's he's very much French, and he's very you know he's you know he's French. He's Frenchish. You know oh, what I mean. Oh. I love the kid. He hauls ass, and he, he charges hard, and all the different stuff. But he acts French. Sure. And but the world, as I said, the world's smaller now, and mm-hmm. we accept that because the first one to come in and kick everybody's ass is hard. Just like when the first Americans went over. You know, and beat the mm-hmm. Europeans. It's just like, what the hell is this? Like Magoo, Magoo coming out of nowhere. It's like mm-hmm. they they wanted to, you know, is he on drugs? Is he got doing yeah, this? Is true. he doing that's that? True. What what? Is, there's no way that he can just be better than everybody. And that's what I think. John Michelle was just such a student of technique mm-hmm. that he was he was up here above everybody. I was more of a hammerhead. He took Johnny and David and this and that, and then he would. He he also rode trials, so mm-hmm. I mean, so you see, it was a different, uh, a completely different animal in him. Mm-hmm. But the the crowd was hard on him. They were. It was looking back, like it was pretty brutal for for really no reason. It's not like he was taking people out, yeah. right? But he would just win, love, and people hated it. I was love when the rednecks go, "Damn commies!" I'm like, you know, they're French, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't matter. You're from Europe, yeah. I guess. Exactly. You're on that side of the pond. As soon as you go east of New York, every you're a hand, hand, <laughs> That's what Roger said. I rode bikes here a couple days ago. Anybody from Europe was a was a commie bastard. Yeah. B- AKA Beaver Forte's, you know, yeah. was the one would push commie that. bastards. Anyone that wasn't from here. Yep. Um, what, what would you say are some of the trickiest parts you guys used or tried, whether they made it to production or not? They tried everything. Some of the stuff never legally. I mean, they, I don't know, trick. I didn't care for the twins, but it was neat trying them. You know, we well, had a, What was the concept with that? Just just more RPM and more power. RPM makes power. So, And it didn't, did I mean, did I mean, it work? I didn't. <laughs> the thing sounded like a, a, a hive of bees on steroids, you know. Really? I mean, <laughs> you could never even hear the RPM. It was so high, and I couldn't even hear the guy shift. I'm like, this is obnoxious. Can you imagine a whole pack field of these? But anyway, that, it was fast. And guys like Johnny that like fanning the clutch and shifting, you know, he really liked it. I don't know. It didn't quite have the torque of yeah. current bike. That's, that's interesting. But, uh, I mean, those, those were exactly – we tried – I thought there Rod, was some Roger, weird bike you guys used, for, and, and it got used in a, a Baja, like maybe a, a... Yeah, so there was, that, was that bike, that bike. It was called, I think they called it the AR, but it yeah. was it was the same guy, Masuda was his name now, you remind me, the same guy, that officer that had to drive to the airport to pick uh-huh. up Ronnie. He was one of the brain trusts at HRC. When they had a problem, they would just lock this guy in a room for six months and go, just try to figure something out, and he would, he was smart. Okay. But um, in any case... 
before they gave up on two strokes and the big thing, you know, obviously they're lightweight and they're simple and they're easy to maintain, less parts and fast, light. And, but the emission thing, so they, they licensed this guy to develop kind of a, a clean burning two stroke. Mm -hmm. You know, it had a lot of parts and it had a lot of electronics and it felt like kind of controlled detonation, but that, that was that bike. It was their last ditch effort to see if they could make a two stroke meet some of the regulations. And so just, it ended up being too complex to, to really make it work. It was a bit complex, maybe not more than a four stroke, but to the guys riding it, they didn't, you know, it kind of felt like controlled detonation. They didn't, didn't have a real positive feel from the guys that rode it. Like, I mean, a four stroke, you can say it's complicated, but it's also torquey and fast. Yeah. It feels good. You know, right. I, I don't know. That's, I didn't, I wasn't that involved with that project, but they tried all kinds of stuff. I mean, Roger, um, Ricky commented about some of the forks he liked and didn't like. Well, the forks, you know, the rear suspension had gone so far by the mid to late 70s with wheel travel, then progressivity, but the forks were kind of still an orifice with oil going through it, you know. And so then um, Roger, Roger had an issue he, with a shoulder that, that hurt him, and he got some bike hit him in a race in Bel national race in Belgium. So he started to ride with that. Reby Valentino had that linkage fork. Yep. And so when... Uh, Miyakoshi hired Roger. Roger wanted Honda to further, you know, try to evolve that system. And they built probably three or four generations of that linkage fork. One you've seen on their museum bike. Yeah, it's billet. kind of a billet. Yep. <clears throat> but they had, first they had twin shocks on it. And then they had a shock under the number plate, which is the museum bike. Then they had a shock on the frame with hydraulic hoses to it. And then by the time they got it, it seemed like trajectory and lateral stiffness you know, rigidity was a, an asset, but one of the engineers just looked at the sophistic sophistication of the hydraulics and then just came up with cartridge forks and that put everybody out, that mm. put that that development on there. But things like that, yeah. things like that, they, I mean, they built, then they built, Yamaha built an aluminum frame in the early 80. It was, I think they raced it in the GP. Then Honda didn't think that was a good idea. Then they built a bike that was kind of a hybrid they thought smashing aluminum on the ground was not good. So then they had one that was steel on the bottom, aluminum on the top. And mm. just so the coolest thing that I ever got to ride, remember the automatic they had? Yeah, the automatic. And so yeah. they, we come over, it was scary because you're going down a straightaway and you're hanging off the back and normally you know, you know where the power is and it would shift on you. So, yeah. so you, had to, you had to position yourself right. But I, I was like, please come out with this in a 500 because the 500s would mm -hmm. always want to stall so you come mm -hmm. in you have to pull in the clutch and use that to be smooth and then not put to it you know not 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 uh stall the bike this thing you could go as fast as you want to go brake as hard as you could turn gas it and it was right there every yeah. time and yeah. so for the 250 it wasn't quite enough you could still be faster with the with the manual with the manual clutch but i'm like if you give me this on a 500 i will promise you five seconds a lap i will guarantee it without a doubt because Everything you let off early, you don't break late, and, and yeah. you're you're afraid of stalling. It eliminated that, um, and then they never, they never did anything with that. They had a, they they kept they kept evolving <coughs> it, they kept developing it. Um, I think somebody wanted to be able to downshift it. That might have been you or Bale or somebody that wrote it in testing. So they put a shift lever on it to where you could override the mechanic, uh, the electric. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, a little bit, the automatic a little yeah, bit. Right. You could make it kind of a, and but. The target was that 
they wanted to make motor you got to be pretty good to ride a motocross bike there's all this clutch and shift and balance you know all the suspensions so they wanted to make it more user friendly but if it was automatic you know maybe more people didn't have to gyrate with all yeah. these systems but it had to be within $500 SRP of a manual system and it never was so okay i mean did you guys ever consider the automatic clutch like that they have now cuz it does Sonny Garcia built a KX500 and it, it had that uh, recluse, yeah, recluse auto too. clutch. Yeah. It was exactly what you're talking about. Right. But yeah. this, you could just grab a handful of brakes. Right. But that, still with the recluse, you still have to shift. You do have to shift. This thing was like, mm, you could hold it, you could hold, release the clutch. But from that point on, it would shift w when it was right. And I didn't like that because you're coming up to a jump and you're like, go to jump. And it shifts on It's like, yeah. whoa. Now all of a sudden, you know, you're grabbing another gear without knowing you're grabbing a gear. Yeah, that would be terrifying. But they yeah. were they were fast on it. Like, yeah. like lap time-wise, by you going into like some chicane rutted section where you don't got to put your foot and downshift and clutch. And they were like, burr, burr, you know. And yeah. Wow. I think Bale won a Supercross on it. He might have. He raced. They. Oh, he raced with it? He raced it, yeah. And then, I believe he won, and it was later. It was one of one of his last races, and he said, "I never want to ride this thing again unless you're really gonna camp. Are you? Am I gonna be able to use this next year?" And they were like, "No." It's like then I'm Damn. out of the program. Wow, so, really? Yeah. He won a U.S. Supercross on that bike. No, Did not U.S. No, no okay. Japan. Oh, okay. Japan. He raced it in Japan. Did people know he was using it, or did no. it look? I don't stealthy? think so. Nobody yeah. knew. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. But they, the development, I mean, they made different linkage systems. Nobody, that museum bike has one on there. They tried all kinds of stuff, you know, yeah. really pushing the envelope, really to see what worked and didn't work. And it's almost interest, as interesting to me to hear the stuff that didn't work, that you tried. Yeah. Them, because it's like. There's a big list. <laughs> yeah. All the stuff that's in the trash. Anything else you remember? No, I just remember, I just remember <clears throat> we kind of. And it happens. You know, when we, we started out, we started off with, you know, like four sets of triple clamps mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. five pipes and two cylinders and mm -hmm. transmissions and this and that because all the stuff within the rules. And then, <clears throat> then, we, then we just kind of, not complacent, but it's like, why are we spending so much money if we're, getting, if we're dominating anyways? And I think that's mm -hmm. kind of what happened with Honda. Mm -hmm. Not so much, I think, not, not, a, you were, not when you were there, but afterward. Mm -hmm. And... You could kind of see it, and you watch every. That's why you see a dynasty of countries, mm. of of football teams, of this and that. If you constantly win, you you keep human nature. Do, just do as much as I need to. Yeah. And um, but when I was there, I never wanted for anything. I mean, shit, I got a kangaroo seat. I think those things were like twenty grand. Yeah, you grand did. Yeah, you did. You know, I saw. I'm, I'm walking. Was through. it ostrich or kangaroo? It was kangaroo. Oh, it might have been ostrich. No, it was, no, I had ostrich boots. Those were kind of ah. kangaroo seats. So I'm walking through and I see the the Dakar bike, and I'm like filling the seat. I'm like, wait, Mike, if you slide, if you do your hand this way, it's smooth. If you do your hand this way, it's, it goes against the. I'm like, that's bitching. Yeah. Like, I want one of these for my bike. And they go, they're 20 grand. I'm like, I want three. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and Honda they, got them for you. They got them for me. And, and that was the suede kind of deal. And, and, it, and they worked great. That was like the, the first, organic gripper seat. Yeah, exactly. The organic gripper street <laughs> seat. But one of the things that, and, and you can attest to this, is how secretive Honda was. I remember mm -hmm. going over there and I had just signed a three year contract, all the different stuff. And they have all these things. And I'm wanting to walk over and pull sheets off. And what's behind curtain number yeah. two? And this and that, yeah. man. No. And they wanted us, they wanted to know 
why we were the way we were. I remember they took Johnny and David and I at the end of 86 after the Supercross. They took us there, and they're, they're doing these things, holding holding our breath and balancing and touching our nose and doing all this Is kind of right? stuff to try to figure out what makes these guys who they are. You know, it was it was like they mm-hmm. there was a it was a it was a whole deal. And as he, as he said, you know, you know, when you rode for Mister Honda, you you heard that as he, as Dave was saying. So we're at the well, I forget what it was eighty seven or something like that Supercross, and. uh Mr. Honda's, they call Mr. Honda's coming. Mr. Honda's coming. He's coming. He's going to be here in three hours. He's going to be here in two hours. He's going to be here in an hour. And he's, he's on his way, man. Everyone's just like, whew. And I'm like, well, he's just a human being. You know what I mean? And I, I, I'm, I'm not, I want to meet him. I'm excited to meet him. But like everybody, like Dave said, was just scared to death. And so I meet him. He walks up and he goes, my name, Honda. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm Rick. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Rick. He didn't ask my name. It's just, he said, my name, Honda, real clear. And, he's, and everyone's like, you know, he's looking at the bike, and he goes over there. I, I get the whole shot. It's a muddy supercross. I lose my front wheel. Wardy gets out in front. I work my way back, I think, to second. He was livid. Really? Oh, his his main assistant took yeah, him I out. Remember he that. got drunk all night. Yeah. He was pissed off and mad. And, oh, that's right. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> you got beat by. <laughs> I got beat by Kawasaki. So, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a tough one. Wanted to win for Mr. Honda. Missed it by that much. Wow. Yep. That's crazy. Yep. Um, but that attitude is what probably propelled them so far in that era. Absolutely. I mean, part of it, right? That's a component. Yeah. To it there's sure. there's another there's another element you you both touched on, but um, you know, the one thing that I thought was I don't want to say it's challenging, but that was even though racing was somewhat under the umbrella at American Honda, functionally, I mean, American Honda is a sales and marketing organization, and they also have a design center, but they're not an engineering group, right? right. So. Here they got this race thing, and and uh, so when HRC got involved, of course that's a very technical organization with all these engineers, technical focus, and then that goes for ten years. But I think as Japan pulled out of it, and it still then it almost became more corporate, and it's more. I mean, I'm not saying it has to. Um, how do I say this and be diplomatic? But <laughs> sales and marketing guys, I don't think they have a natural understanding of racing or something that's truly uh, an engineering function, right? And I always thought that it's not partially because Mr. Honda passed away, but partially because I think it's hard to develop hardware and motivate, you know, how to relate to people racing it when at the top, right? right. You're you're more of a sales Their guy. Their so. focus is sales, marketing, numbers. And I'm not against, I, there's a need for sales and marketing, but I thought Honda's structure, you know, corporate structure was less conducive to keep that momentum going just because of that fundamental difference. Let me ask you a quick little question. You you may or may not have the answers to this, but, you know, I, I was told that these, you know, like Honda, let's just say, does not make a whole lot of money selling dirt bikes. It's, it's a lot of image marketing. It's R&D and development and stuff like that. But if you're just going on the amount of money they make selling motocross bikes or dirt bikes, it's, you know, it's obviously minuscule in comparison to the cars, the uh, generators, the other things they make. Why do they keep doing it? What is the reason for them? I mean, is there a profit, a big profit for them that yeah, I'm not getting? Know. There's there's bean counters and there's management. And I mean, I was kind of on the fringe of some of that. And you hear things like, I mean, there's one thing is, yes, it's true. So there's different pots of money in big companies like this. One, there's a pot of money that says, okay, you sell a bunch of bikes. That's product, you know, and a certain percent of that, let's... Uh, is R&D, right, mm-hmm. which would cover 
development of race bikes, you know, to continue the breed or develop the product. Okay. So that's, that's like, if you sell a bunch of bikes, you get a little bit more 15, to play with. 10, okay. 15% of that. And you can keep playing around and do things like racing. Or if you convince somebody in the corporate, which is, you know, Honda motor company, that's way bigger than selling a couple CRFs, then it's going to be good for your image or you're going to develop product or technology that'll uh, remain on the shelf even that gets utilized for let's say suspension systems developed or components developed in motocross it starts to be utilized in accords and civics or something rally bikes or street bikes or i don't know what right Quads and if, side you, by if side. you can make then occasionally people make that story that you know maybe they tie it into a marketing thing that well we've gone a certain number of years and we're not really doing this so we need to be i don't know they mm -hmm. can tap into that so i don't know what allows them to that pot of cash or not but anyway those are those are questions that the answers are probably at a they're at way a higher, above yeah, our pay grade i'm curious about it i just wonder if i could ever get an answer on it when you and an absolute answer you can't get but the, the reason is is the, the image you know mm -hmm. the reason someone buy a honda generator not because honda generators are the best is because honda wins mm -hmm. it's got to be better yeah. the honda makes it right well and you know they did a great job uh <laughs> When you think of Honda and whatever it is, generator, yep. if you're going to buy this or that, they're reliable. Those are, oh, man, Honda. They're, they're both. Same with the Yamaha. they got a very good reputation for that. Yeah. And I think that's built over years of making really good products and having success in racing. Yep. And you go, oh, yeah, those must be. It's Honda. Because if they can compete up here, all I need my thing to be is really good right here. Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. then that's going to that's propel me to there. Um, I want to ask about injuries as a, as a manager, you know, like I was managing this team here when Christian Craig broke his back mm -hmm. and thank God he got his feeling back and it was just a stinger at the time. I mean, he did break his back, but, uh, you were at the helm for David's injury, um, for Donnie's injury, which was significant. Um, how did that affect you? I mean, for me, like it was one of the heaviest days of my life. Mm -hmm. he, when he got hauled out of there on the stretcher and it was a whole big ordeal cause I didn't have an address. So I had to run to, you know race to the freeway and and guide the engine in you know so the medics could get there and he's laying on the track screaming that he can't feel his legs i mean it was heavy yeah um that's, both, that affects both, you huh? both david and johnny affected me a lot or um yeah donnie and david affected me a lot because you know they were it's a it was a team environment people were close it was family we were integrated in our lifestyles and our missions and and you know they those they were there from when we started even that concept you know and even started working toward that goal and and also you know you take a guy like david i mean he's pretty calculated right you don't you don't think that he rides near the edge i mean racing's dangerous it just you know all forms of racing you're you're on the edge you know and it it depends on how talented you are and how much preparation and you know the teams that are you know, you got the most talent and they are the most prepared. They probably have less injuries than maybe some people that are taking a big, bigger risk and not doing yeah. the preparation. But those two guys affected me a lot. It changed the way, I don't know, it changed me as I, you know, the relationship I had with racing and racers, you know, over and yeah. above some other guys that got hurt. Nobody deserves it. You know, but then you go, well, that guy, he was taking bigger chances. Well, like Magoo, <clears throat> like let's say Magoo, you, he gets hurt and you go, well. I mean, he was wild. Something, something like that. David gets hurt and you go, whoa, this yeah, is exactly. like the little professor. This guy doesn't make mistakes. Right, right. So it hits heavier, you know. That's and, very um, true. When you're there, you know, um, 
when Jimmy Button got hurt, I went to the hospital, and I mean, I left there in tears. I mean, it's heavy. Yeah. And and thank God he made a, a pretty good recovery. But it, I mean, you're not human if that doesn't really affect you. Right. So I'm just curious if that did. No, it did. It does. It's a brutal sport at times that way, huh? Oh yeah. Um, eighty-seven. You won the motocross title that year. Yep. Five hundred. Wardy won Supercross. Yep. Um, and I, as a kid, that was this was kind of eighty-five, six, seven, eight. That was when I'm, uh, as a younger kid, I'm starting to really watch pro racing. And so your your rivalry was like my whole childhood. You know, you and Wardy. And mm-hmm. I wonder what you guys, um, what what was your strategy back then? Did you guys talk a lot about that uh, racing, whether it was Wardy or whoever? But no, it was just go win. It, it was, was just focus on winning. Just win. It, it was the everything was that what where to pass what to do you know the balance because it got like it did get it got a little heavy on me and i but i I was fine with the role because johnny left you know because he was third to david and i first and then all of a sudden david gets hurt and now it's me Mm -hmm. kind of the sole guy and then it was the pressure was on me but i like the pressure but i i you know obviously i got knocked out at anaheim and then broke a finger broke some fingers in in pontiac um and, and lost the the Supercross championship, but it was just like just keep charging, keep doing what we did last year, and so the dynamics between Dave and Roger and, and Brian and Tano and next Sam and the you know the you know the engineers and everything was just just keep moving forward, mm-hmm. you know. And, and Wardy, and like you said, yet Ronnie was the wild card because like any one day it'd be hot and humid, he would come blistering, just haul ass all day and not sweat. You're like. How- <laughs> does this happen you know and but warty he was he was there every and if you beat warty last saturday he came back harder the next so Mm -hmm. you could not you we couldn't relax at all i mean everything Mm -hmm. from our testing to our national setups to all of our stuff we were we constantly worked 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 nonstop. well that's what was so cool about that rivalry is you were both i mean a hundred percent in you know what i mean and you're both just bullheaded competitors uh, having gotten to know Wardy later, yeah. you know, it, it's like you guys just two bulldogs going like this all day. So it, I loved it. It was fun. I, I, I enjoy, I hated it and enjoyed it at the same time. Make me sick. Make me want to crap my <laughs> pants, whatever. But, but I loved it. I loved having just those, those battles with him, Yeah. you know, cause I knew he was, he was, I mean, he, he was publicly, they, they painted me to be the, I was out surfing and hanging out and, you mm-hmm. know, doing my hair and wearing life's a beach clothes and shit like that but i trained my ass off because i because so because i always knew i'm not going to be the guy that's going to get tired and lose because of me i just didn't want i didn't Mm. want i didn't want to let him down i didn't want to let roger down i didn't want to let japan down i didn't want to let anybody down to go well i got tired like you said excuses they don't count you know was there other rivalries throughout your career that that stood out to you that you liked or disliked i mean like the warty rj thing uh, uh, like I, I wrote down Stanton Bradshaw. That was a pretty got pretty heavy. Yeah, well, at times. we we talked about Bale and Stanton, but that was yeah. almost within our own team. That <laughs> felt strange to actually have that on our own team. And yeah. but I mean, there was also a little bit of a Kudrowski and Bale thing on our own team. But and and the thing with Bradshaw and Stanton, it was also awkward to have somebody on the team actually helping Bradshaw against Stanton. So the whole dynamic of rivalries was did you know about that well jmb right you yeah, about? yeah. Slow, slowing down yeah or you can watch the tape and it's like it looks like jmb is riding around yeah second he is. gear. He is. i mean i mean it was just how do i deal that that one night at the super bowl i mean a 
Bradshaw had the points advantage by five, six, whatever it was going into that race. So he didn't even really need to beat Jeff. And then two, you had Bale, who I wasn't quite confident after everything. I think I had to park him earlier in the year because he didn't help in a national. Oh, on the 125 class, right? The 125, you know. And I knew he was kind of the guy, like, if he couldn't, if he wasn't going to get the recognition, then he kind of didn't want anybody else to get it. I'm, I, I say that reluctantly because I don't want to offend him or anything. But it was oh, like, no, I mean, but it was like, uh, but he, he, to the point, he would help the competitors. Like, was just over the top for me. And that night, not knowing how to handle that dynamic, right? Yeah. And then Guy Cooper, who used to ride for us, comes over with the entire Suzuki team behind the Honda trucks. Like, Dave, you got a minute? And there's Tishner and. Whoever else was there. There was like four guys. And they're like, okay, what do you want us to do? And I'm like, what? And take like, him out. <laughs> like, like what, do you, what do you need us to do? Because they all, they wanted Jeff to win. They were going to ride to help Jeff. And Bradshaw was kind of dirty on the track, you know. Yeah. And it was all, in their mind, kind of payback, you know. Right, right. Wow. And uh, I'm like, uh, well, I'm not going to say take him out. And, and, and Cooper's like, well... You know, I know everybody's kind of scared to ride near me, and I'm kind of sloppy. I do that on purpose, you know. <laughs> and he goes, "Just tell him if Stanton's behind me. Just tell him there'll always be room. I'll leave a I'll leave a line, you know. He'll yeah. always, and uh, and then if Bradshaw, he won't come around or something like that, you know. So wow. Anyway, I didn't know any of that. I happened. about I about cried. Like, why would why are you over here? Yeah, but why, anyway, why do you want to help me? Yeah. So. And what, it, what? So what did you say to JMB before that race? Was he kind of telling you like I'm not well, helping? You, or? you, 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 you're. It's kind of lip service, you know. But you just go look, every man. I mean, but JMB, what happened was they were close in points up until San Jose, which was two races ago. JMB ran off the track, and he wanted to make it out. That was Stanton that put him there. So then he was out of the points in his mind because. A Honda teammate was, did put that, him off. Did that not happen? Was I don't. Not in oh. my mind. I don't think so. I think. I personally think that JMB was getting distracted. He was, he, he, you know, when he was a 125 guy in Europe, he wanted to be a 250 guy. You know, he had all these goals he wanted to, then he was a 250 guy and they wanted to come to the States, come to the States and wins everything. Right wins everything. And, and He's ready to it, go. It, it, yeah, it was kind of like now he was pre, for six months and this whole thing about ro uh, riding the road race bike in Japan. I mean, he was working on that yeah. full time. Like, how do I get a ride? You get me a ride. If you do this, I'll do that. You know, and right. and I think he's preoccupied. You can't. I don't. I don't know. I thought you were deluding yourself a bit. And Jeff, I mean, Rick, Jeff, Ricky knows. It's like almost if you're going to win at this, you almost got to take a lot of things out of your life to yeah. focus on this. And yeah. I think he was it's almost somewhat like he distracted. Had, like he had ADD. I mean, he was always looking for the next thing, right? Yeah, for sure, for maybe, sure. And he's maybe he was so talented. He just got bored. So like, it was so easy. going in going into the last race. It was like you know he was not going to help Stanton even if Honda right. was signing his checks. So he was vocal about that. You, yeah. you knew that. Yeah. Ah, uh, I nah, doubt he if he. I doubt if he was it. openly vocal, but you knew it. Yeah. I mean, everybody saw it. You know, I, I was there that night. I'm just like. It's almost shit. like he, and he did it on purpose because he could have just pulled off and said, oh, I, I twisted my <laughs> and You know, there's a million things he could have done. And, and the ice cream on the, on the cake was then the rumors after the race was that I paid Bradshaw to take a fall because there was a performance clause in his contract and then I could sign him for the following year. And I'm like, well, I couldn't have even made that up. But <laughs> yeah. That's a stretch. But wow. that same Yamaha guy was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh. You also won a title with Mickey Diamond. Um, was it 87? What year did he win? Yeah. I think it was 87. Yeah. Yep. yeah. How did that go? Anything? Mickey's a character. Mickey 
like you definitely had some personalities during that era. Not only did you have Mickey was championships, but Mickey was on the team. You know all this stuff. Like Stanton was on the team because of him. Mickey was on the team because of uh, Daniel Laporte, and okay. Daniel Laporte was about ready to go to Europe. Forget the year. You know he was going to get a GP ride on Yamaha, and ultimately, but he goes. You need to look at this guy. He goes because they rode Husqvarna's together, yeah. mm-hmm. and he goes. At that time, those bikes are so bad. He goes, I want you to do something at the race. You would never watch Mickey, right? And he goes, they have, forget the name, he said, such a lack of bottom and power that you got to be looking at the jump (laughs) down the next lane. You got to be thinking about that before you even go through this turn, right? How much momentum you need to keep. And I started watching Mickey, and I go, it was kind of true, right? The guy had to, you know. Had yeah. to really override the track and the bike, trying to keep up with some of the other guys. So, anyway, it was it was kind of a hail mary to do the Mickey thing, but man, he was a good fit. Like I remember the first practice session at that Anaheim, they had some big, like Teton jumps that you shouldn't jump, and he was just, and going way up yeah, here two and backwards ski jumps. Yeah, just, really. Just and that, I mean, he was just a perfect <clears throat> fit. Like right away, it was he liked the equipment, and then th- that. So I think even in Supercross, so at Anaheim, you were first. No, Bailey was first at the first race. You yeah, were second. You guys six. had the big fight. And Johnny was third. Was it Ward fourth? No, uh, Wardy didn't qualify because he, his, That's right. he, couldn't, he couldn't start So the Brock race. or somebody. Yeah. And then Diamond was fifth. So it was like on these on our production bike. It was one, two, three, and five. I'm like, damn. That's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good, right? <laughs> Uh, was there any, uh, you know, yeah, he, he was, he was, Mickey's funny and he was talented. He was fast. That 125 that year was really a good bike. It was a rocket, wasn't it? Rocket. Did he, uh, like, I always just get a kick out of his, like, you know, he was into poetry at that time and long hair and the buddies with like the GNR guys. He wanted you know. to be a concert pianist. Yeah. Oh, he's just, he's a trip, man. I, I love Mickey. I never heard that till he was doing his exit interview. I'm like, what? I never heard that. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Do you, have you ever played the piano? No. <laughs> but I'd like to be a <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Um, you also had a bunch of guys stacking up, um, you know, 88, 89, RJ's killing it, but you had George Holland, Cooper, Kudrowski, Larry Ward. Mm-hmm. I missed Leesk was also on the team. I mean, you, yeah. had, you had a whole bunch he, of guys. Leesk wasn't really on the team, but I was funneling him enough money. Oh, was money. that right? Yeah, kind of. Well, I I had him anyway. I, he got a lot more support than Honda ever knew. He got support. Why so. Why was that? Just I don't know. He was, seemed like good. a good guy. His mechanic was friendly, and we had enough budget to Wasn't help Ollie? him. Was it Ollie, uh, the little uh, guy? Big roly-poly. Yeah, a little round yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We just seemed to get along, and he was a good fit, and... He was pretty underrated. I mean, that guy, if you look at the results. No, he was fast. And then, he when was he fast. Went, then he went and did GPs after that and, and crushed it, did really well there, too. Oh, really? Yeah. So who are who all the guys you just mentioned? So and Cooper, Kedrowski, so Larry Cooper, Ward. Cooper, he's still mad at me that he never got a full-blown works ride. But I kept that guy kind of on a, I'll call it a support thing, but it was like as works as you could get. Right? Yeah. I thought I, and I'd fly a mechanic into the race for him. And, but anyway, he still thinks. And so Kedrowski, we had actually... Uh, Mike on not too long ago, and he told us that story about the um, uh, whatever year it was where JMB was meant to be like the guy, right? And he said that somewhere late, maybe at Washugal, JMB got hurt. Yeah, and he so, went over the bars in Washugal and broke his hand. And so Kudrowski gets JMB's bike, and he said it was like night and day better. And then he ended up winning a bunch of the last races. It was 90, it was the year Cooper won because Coop ended up winning it. 
And mm-hmm. Kudrowski goes, if I had just had that bike for the whole season, he goes, no yeah, problem. That's I, true. I heard that. I remember that. Is that true? I mean, what was the story with the motors? Why did you not have enough? I or is don't that... remember why. Okay. I don't remember why. I mean, maybe I, I, the only thing I can imagine is he was, you know, there's different levels at that point. Sure. I mean, Honda was kind of set up to have a works team. And even for us to do 125s like Supercross was hard because we weren't set up for, you know, like that. That was a pro-am deal, right? Mm-hmm. So we kind of weren't set up for pro-am. We were either, and if we had, if we hired a guy or picked a guy for even 125, he'd better be a solid enough base that he could work into, you know, 250 or something or outdoor national. I mean, it was hard for us to support at our level, like a 125 supercross and he wouldn't be competitive for, let's say outdoor nationals. Mm. So I don't know if it wasn't, if it didn't fall within, I don't remember the first year we helped Kudrowski, but. So one of the things that, <clears throat> that I remember the most was the Honda crank. Why, yeah. why was it so much like you, you you get on your bike, you feel a vibrate. You get on this thing, it's like, it's like it no vib- barely any vibration to your <laughs> hands, and it didn't resonate. The, res- the the vibration didn't change as it went higher. It didn't get worse, and just the balance of it was the material. What did they do to make those things just that? that they good? were um, they were hollow. They were laser constructed and everything. They were all welded. They were they were billet and they were hollow. They look like a full circle crank, but all cranks need counterweight, right, right, for piston and reciprocating mass. And then beyond that, then they had, you could change the flywheel mass. And even the direction of, there's a vibration, the way you put the balancing weights there, you could have, uh, they called it, what they call it? You could put in Teflon plugs, you could put in aluminum plugs, you could put in steel carbon steel plugs, you could put in... Um, Heavier, um, not lead, but not I think tungsten. tungsten plugs. Oh, you put tungsten in, yeah. Yeah, but, but the biggest thing is they were perfectly true. They were perfectly billet machined. And the biggest thing is there was, I mean, the balance factor, there was, and also the flex. There was like zero flex. But that's the thing. Wow. It, that ju- it was just, I mean. It, that makes a huge difference, right? Like the vibration. Mm-hmm. Well, because when it gets, it gets worse and worse and worse, mm-hmm. especially when you're on a 500. That's where we could, you could. You could drift the 500. You didn't need the power valve and all the different yeah. stuff because it was so smooth, mm-hmm. you know. And also the flywheel, you can make them a little heavier if you want to calm it down a little bit, and that would carry it later on and stuff like that. But that's the thing that always that always amazed me was mm-hmm. the, haunt, the the works crank. Yeah. Were those HRC or were you building them here somehow? No, that was Japan. And to be, to be fair, like... We didn't, I didn't mess with, you know, and I even got reminded by engineers. I mean, yes, we ran a pipe on, on uh, Ricky's bike, you know, we play things like that and maybe try some different carburetors now and then. But Honda Motor Company, they did their own engines mm. and they, they, they controlled that. And I mean, they weren't really, they didn't easily give that up. And the chassis stuff, you know, guys like me could try to surf around and figure out and, and they would kind of work with you on that because that wasn't truly their dna but so i can't imagine those cranks were cheap no nothing was <laughs> no they weren't cheap no they probably were not giving those out left and right no um so the year rj got hurt what i mean what did you think when that happened did you know it was going to be as bad as it was i mean how did that whole thing play out for you guys as a manager you're it was it you was know, it was a super bad deal, not only for his career and for the team, because like Ricky just, you know, the team was 
three, but even with diamond, you know, three and a half, four, five deep, you know, and then it went to three, and then it went to two, and then it went to one, and then it went to actually none. At, didn't you get hurt at Pontiac? Um, yeah, the one year. I remember. I remember being in the grandstands with no riders in the main event. I'm like, this is from having three deep a year ago. Yeah, and that was in '87. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, but Ricky, and the whole thing, the type of injury that it was, I mean, it, I mean no one knew, really knew the outcome, but it looked nasty from x-rays and pins and yeah. holy smokes, you know, we mm -hmm. tried, we tried everything to make it okay, you know, thumb throttles off an ATV and... Oh, is that right? You tried oh, that? we tried that. He was designing me a left-handed throttle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you not left-handed, are you? No, but I figured it out. <laughs> and I, just, and, I, just, I couldn't hold and on. And it's it's almost like it started to work. He, Ricky came back to race and everything, but I remember there was a. It might have been in Anaheim, but he landed off a jump and something stuck. And that was you, in San Diego, the press day. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, I, I, I landed off the triple, and all. And they that's when they go figure triple jump. Whoops! Afterward. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and they yeah. were like, like first practice, and they're steep, where they break and do two, two, two. You know, mm. there's no blitz and no nothing. You had to like work your way through it. Well, I landed, came short. Well, it, my hand let go. It slid forward and re-gripped wide oh. open. And oh, I was no. hanging off the back of the seat, wide open in the whoops, and I hit and I go flying over the, the all the way landed in the dugout and wood landed. I mean, I like told Ron Heave, and I'm like, my throttle stuck, and he's like. You know, no, it's not. So then I didn't go back to Atlanta. <clears throat> went to Japan, the big egg. We did that. Go figure that. We raced San Diego. Then we all had to fly to Japan to race the Supercross in Japan and then come back. And so I missed my flight, which was supposed to be at a big uh, a dealer show and a, a dealer appearance in Atlanta. I'm like, oh, I missed my flight. I'll get the, I'll get the next one tomorrow morning. So I go, I'm going to go ride because my wrist was hurting. I landed off in the field. All of a sudden, I'm like wide open across things. And I'm going, I haven't had a throttle stick in me. And now I got two of them in like this. And I let go of the handlebar. Just, bah. I'm like, that ain't good. Because I never let go. In my mind, I never let go. But my hand was doing things that I didn't I had no idea of. So I called Dave. I said, I'm not coming back. So I flew to Wyoming, saw a bunch of different doctors. I mean, like I went to L.A., San Diego, I did, like I, all around the country to see doctors. And they're like, no, no. Everyone said, you're done. I'm like... So then I went to Daytona and announced my retirement. Hmm. But you came back, right? No. So well, what, what so, year so was I, that? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a year ahead. So this was in 1991. So in, in, in 1989, I broke it. Okay. And then missed a bunch of the year, came back um, in the 500s, was doing well, fell down and uh, broke some ribs and stuff like that, knocked myself cuckoo at Millville on the 500. Mm -hmm. Was that wrist-related or whoops. no? Uh, just, I, I, yeah, you just, you couldn't hold on and do what I, I couldn't, I was, I felt my strength was being more dynamic and hitting shit harder than other guys. It wasn't real smooth and technical. And so now you, to where I have to baby my right hand, my body position was off and then, oh, yeah. and, and off, so, I, I crashed a bunch. So it, it doesn't move this way, but no. it also wouldn't articulate like this, yeah, right? It was, so, so you lose the ability to do yeah, left so or you're right. Letting, you're letting go of the handlebar and doing all that kinds of weird stuff. So then I, oh. so then I came back in nine, in 1990 and, um, did decent in Supercross, um, had that race with in, in 90, Atlanta. Yeah. In oh. Atlanta, 90 back, back and forth. So I was close. And then I beat, I beat Stanton. What, what felt the best for me besides beating Bale in 89 when I came, you know, after after that, because he was undefeated, was beating Stan one-to-one -one at at, uh, 
at Gainesville. So, mm-hmm. the, so the year, the year to date, mm-hmm. I beat him head to head. My man, man, we were going back and forth, and then like you see a picture, I hit the finish line, and he jumps over the top of me, and but I did beat him head to head. And then the next week, I broke my hand at Daytona, and so yeah, so things, so things, and I was pushing it too hard. So I don't blame anybody on on that on my career being short. I blame it on myself. I did not let myself heal because I thought I, I, like when I, like when I was hurt, I was immediately going, I got to be ready for 500 nationals. So with all that stuff, I, I rode 500 nationals that year. I should have done nothing that year, but I was kind of bold. The, the sports and teams were guilty of that. I mean, still, I mean, still, still, I don't know about still, but I remember <laughs> Stanton somewhere knocked himself out and he goes, do you remember you driving me around <laughs> Simi Valley? Like, are you okay? You feel okay? Okay, we can go. You know, it's almost like your understanding of how bad some of this stuff was and how long it takes to recuperate yeah. wasn't accurate sometimes. Well, this, this sport is gnarly in that your window is so short and it's like here today, gone today. Yeah. yeah so you, the minute you're hurt, you're going, okay, six weeks, you're marching that out or however, many, however bad the injury is and you're going, okay, I can be back by here. If I hurry, maybe here. Instead of going, all right, mm-hmm. I'm going to get healthy and make sure this is corrected. Yeah. And then we'll have a look at the calendar, you know. But that's the thing, though. And you know. I mean, I remember the hardest I cried when I was a kid, not when I got my leg broken by Jimmy Hawley, is when the doctor told me I, was, I couldn't do anything for three months. <laughs> yeah. I, was in the, I was in the doctor's <laughs> office going, I got to be cussed for three months. Well, I'm like, I can't race. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think, you know, I guess normal kids would be like, <laughs> I get to go away from the dog that bit me, you know. But yeah. but, ra- but racers yeah. are just like I got to get back as quick as I can. We're a weird breed. Yes, the, yes, no doubt. Um, I want to just touch back on that 1990 Atlanta. I, I watched it again the other day, prepping for all this, and I'm what a race, man. What, a what race. were you? What were you thinking of there? I well, can't I even imagine it was, being just, alive. it was just a crapshoot. I didn't know it was almost a race for. No one knew how to act after he got injured, right? It was that race, right? Yeah. yeah. Where I think Jeff finally. He finally won. Wardy won, but no, no, no. It, oh. no, that, no, we're talking the next year. So we're we're talking the year, the, the year before. That's when Cooper went flying off. Oh the yeah, track right, right, right. And, and, I and was then, thinking of that. Yeah, that yeah. you're thinking of. You're thinking of '89. Yeah. So '90, yeah. like all of us. Like, oh, I that's think we're true. trying to give it Cooper, to each other. I think Cooper was leading yeah. early. Yeah. Yes. Then he stalled. But then you were up there. But Bradshaw, Kadrowski, yeah, yeah. Chicken for a minute. Yeah. Uh, Stanton. Stanton came in. Yeah. Didn't Wardy win? Wardy won. Yeah, Wardy won. That was his, like, triple, quadruple pumper. I hated those. (laughs) (laughs) What what a race, man. Yeah, that was a good, okay, that was a good race. Single, in my opinion, single best race our sports ever had. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. Two-man battle at Anaheim was um, best two-man battle ever. But if you're talking about, yeah, it was until, like, lap 17 or 18, there was seven, eight guys that could have won. Yeah. They never gapped out. It was crazy. Anyway, yeah, if if you want to... I know I'm sure you're pissed off because you were right there, but yeah, and Coop did some been. Coop did some wild shit on you. I forgot. <laughs> exactly come bombing yeah. inside of you. I, I well, remember that thinking, was oh, the thing you didn't like. Coop. Like I said, I didn't like racing against him or Magoo. <laughs> Coop <laughs> always looking out. Coop didn't mind to fly. <laughs> oh, he was wild, man. Yeah. Um, okay, ninety-one. J and B won everything. Yep. Um, what was that season like? And I mean, no one else has ever done that in one season, have they? No. I don't. Not that I call. No, no I, don't even, I, I missed don't, it. I missed it by this much. Every I, time. I don't even think that that. Uh, I mean, JMB wanted to win 250 Supercross. You know, that was his goal. After that, I don't even think he cared. But then um, he went into. We went into 
um, the first outdoor national, I think it was at uh, Hangtown, and that was the year it rained and the flood, right? And, oh, yeah, washed and then, everybody down the and, hill. And, and, and it was, <laughs> yeah, everybody DNF'd. And they, they were like, not going to run the race, going to run the race. And then they said, was it double points or I don't know what. But finally, it was like the, they run the race, and he puts the card on his head, and he played it safe instead of bonsai in it, would stop at the water crossing, watch some riders go down the river, and then cross when he could, and he ended up second, I think, to John Dowd, something like that. Right? Henry, I think Henry and Dowd. Henry, yeah. Henry and yeah. Dowd, the two New England guys. So yeah. then he was way up in points, and then he was like, this is going to be a cakewalk, right? So he just sailed out the rest of the series. And then literally the 500, and notably, he took the suspension off his 250, which was his, 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 his suspension components were the same for 250 Supercross, 250 Outdoor, 500 Outdoor. Not only the same setting, the same serial numbers. He wouldn't let same us change. Shock. The same shock, the same fork. Did he change spring rate or anything? Nothing. You're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Think about that. Three championships on one, one set of suspension. Wait, he didn't one. revalve it? Nope. No. Supercross suspension. Nope. Yes. That's awesome. He was so light, like I said about Craig being a BMX guy and stuff, and Johnny, like super soft, soft springs and stuff. Yeah, uh, but that's the thing. It's though. it's it's unheard of. It doesn't make illogical. But what the hell? Even for five hundred, it's like so. That that does not make any sense at all. Well, that kind of explains why he could turn so good on flat. Yeah, yeah. But no, but like how do you said, skim he, whoops? How, how are you? That's insane. Yeah, I did not know that. Wow, pretty pretty fun to be a part of that. I mean, Bale man, Bale was talented. I mean, you can't. There was he, there was the the dynamic of all the personalities. I mean that the drama and all that stuff was super uncomfortable. But talent wise, you know, we'd go. I, I remember I'm on a 500 outdoor. The same thing like we talked in Supercross Impact, and you know, Millville, Minnesota. It's got a distinct line. You, you come out. Well, you know where um, Reed threw it away that one yeah, year. So you come, come out of there, and then you go across the valley, and then you're on the right, and then you cross over the left. You go up the hill, and I mean. He would take completely different lines and go around mm. one guy, go around the other guy. And, yeah. I mean, you're just watching this like, I mean, it's it's good, right? Yeah. I mean, it's he's talented. That's incredible. And you, it's not like you don't like winning. You're kind of, that's what you're paid to do. Was there, who else was on the team in 91? Was there uncomfortable tension that year too? 91, 91. Well, Stanton still, still on the team. Yeah. Yeah. Was uh, Kudrowski? Yeah, Kudrowski was on there. Kudrowski was on until Vale resigned and, yeah. Mm. Kudrowski won, I think he was a 125 yeah. Supercross guy, and he won. And I think He, he might have won the title in 91. He might have won the title. Yeah, that's what it was. And then uh, then I think he got let go, and we had to say something like we weren't going to, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It was, Bale was pulling kind of a power play. They didn't get along, and he pulled it off. I, management shouldn't let things like that happen, but we did. Mm. So there was still... That was still awkward. There was awkward moments in the pits, huh? There was awkward moments between anybody. And yeah. Anybody that was going to take away uh, whatever that was that Bale thought he should. I, I mean, I think I, I had the impression after the whole run that he just probably wouldn't be content unless there was just one guy on the team, you know. But mm. Well, and, you know, to be fair, Factory Honda through that period had all the best guys, and all the best guys want to win. So yeah. there's going to be tension because yeah. not everybody can win. Yeah, but, Bale, but when Bale came over and, like, Mitch Payton made him a bike and he did really well and yeah. <clears throat> all that stuff. In fact, he won. 
the day I got hurt, he won that race on a production yeah. on a production yeah. bike. Yeah, and and, and in uh, nineteen eighty nine. That's right. Yeah, right. And, and honestly, Bale coming here was not a big strategy of ours. Honda Japan did not want Bale. They they did not want Roger and I to promote Bale racing in the U.S. They wanted to keep him in Europe because mm-hmm. he was their GP guy, right? But he had it made up, and he was going to come over here. Roger, then we were told, like, you don't want to do anything for the guy, but you don't want him to be on a competitor bike and start right. to get his feet, you know, established somewhere else. And then, Roger, I got a van, and I'll get you a bike and stuff. And, I mean, Roger and I were kind of in sync on all this stuff. We were trying to minimize damage to our yeah. effort and trying to keep him happy or even on the line. And, anyway, it was all Bale just wanting to be here. It wasn't, uh, yeah. and, then, and then it was us not wanting to race against him. Yeah, right. You don't yeah. want another brand. No. That's the only thing worse than getting in trouble for bringing him here on yours. What year did he hit the hay belt? When he landed, right off the start. Was it 91? Was that when he came over? Supercross? Yeah, it was in Supercross. He jumped up, uh, right off the start. There was a triple. Oh, he went, he went right and landed on a bale and just oh, I exploded it. I forget you know that. what I'm talking about? Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was, it wasn't on the the triple. It was the, the, the two single jumps. Or a double down, down, you go... First turn, home base, turn right, go down, and he went up, and then whew, and just yeah. like ejected oh, him. Yeah. It was like a highlight reel forever. I just I couldn't remember what year it was. Um, did you see McGrath coming? I mean, obviously, he was at, at Pro Circuit 91, 92. You get him in 93. Like, did you expect I, I that? Saw, I saw him as a solid, um, you know, possible repeat. I don't think he won that series before. 90, 93, he did. Yeah, for us. Oh, yeah, yeah. So are you? You mean you mean in two fifty? Did, yeah. did we see him transition from uh, one twenty five to two fifty like he did? Right. That's what I mean. No. no. Okay. No. And a matter of fact, I mean he he. I think him and his mechanic, but Skip Skip made a comment like, I don't know where when it was. I mean it took time for people to transition to go over one twenty five to be the same as two fifty to four fifty now, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, you're talented, but you're going to have to work into this, right? These guys are good. I yeah. mean, they've been doing this a while. Yeah. And I remember Skip saying, yeah, we're just going to ride the first one. And then, you know, basically we're going to ride the, two, the first two races. And then he's going to win Anaheim. And I'm like, I've... <laughs> really? Skip I, called that? Yeah. No. Yeah. That wow. was the plan. And I'm like uh, smiling and not, not when I'm not going to offend anybody. I'm like, you're ass. You know, yeah. like you're not doing <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you're kind of arrogant to even think that. Right? right. But that's what he did. Because he did do some 250 rounds in 92. And he did quite well. I want to say... He, if he didn't podium, he was top five. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't know that till later. I kind of went back and looked, and I was like, eh. So he was, he knew he had the speed to be kind of up in the mix. But, man, he was unreal. I was there that night at Anaheim when he won, and I was like, oh, boy. Yeah. That was unreal. Yeah, that was incredible. He passed Stanton, and just, that was it. Just when walked the away. The new guy was there. Yeah. What was that like that season to be a part of that? Anything stand out to you that year? Uh, Aside from Jeremy Skip was, calling it? Jeremy was, he's... You can't, I mean, it's almost like a, the one with, I mean, it's like a modern day Marty Smith. I thought everybody liked him. The fans like him. I mean, yeah. he brought, he took Ricky's show and I think. Elevated it and he, sure. and he elevated it, you know, and I mean, he was pleasant to work with. The only time he ever, we ever had any, um, he didn't really like outdoor like he liked indoor. And I think he felt his marketing and his sponsors. I mean, he, I think he felt Supercross was enough and it was, that's what was fun. And outdoor looked like a lot of work, you know, and the speeds were higher. And and so then I didn't like us being as vulnerable outdoor 
but I love this being dominant indoor, yeah. you know, so then, but you hate giving people confidence and well, here you win this and right. then they're not going to turn that off like a light switch, you know? Right, right. So that part I didn't like. And so then I started talking to Albertine a little bit to come over before he ever came over for Roger and Suzuki and all that. And Jeremy didn't really like that. I don't know why, but Jeremy, I guess he understood it. I said, I wasn't really to be a threat in any other way than to be more competitive outdoor and and basically, it's like, yeah, all right, you know, basically forget that whole program. I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll take care I'll of do business. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do what it takes. Just shut up and quit talking about that crap. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that. I yeah. That no, that was exactly how it, it was short and sweet and quit <laughs> fucking around in my mess kit. So <laughs> we'll get this done. Yeah. And he did. And he yeah, did. And he did. And, yeah. and I, I was like, what's, and I was, I would say little things to him trying to, you know, I don't know how to have a totally direct conversation, but like, Hey, we got to do this or that. And he's like, quit saying little stupid things about me. You know, I mean, not in a nasty way, but he didn't like me bugging him about doing something he goes it's uncomfortable outdoor is uncomfortable you got to work harder and he goes in supercross I, I i study the track i know the track i have technique it's i have it it's under my control outdoor it's beyond your comfort zone you got to react to things that you're not controlling i don't like that yeah hmm. so See, that's what i liked about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was my if i had to choose i would choose that over rick ricky <laughs> watching working with ricky like you, you're you're testing. I mean, he's he had really good feedback for what he liked and didn't like in testing, and you you know you're bringing him to New York and you're watching practice and he wasn't the fastest and he's he clips a few of the jumps, doesn't clean everything quite the way, and you're like, oh man, maybe we need to do this, maybe we need to do that, but in a race, he's a dog on a piece of meat. <laughs> yeah. Like I go, there's something mentally like if somebody's in front of Ricky. He's not good with it, right? Like it's it's something in his whole makeup. I thought I I, I remember he's a, he's a great racer. Yeah, right. I, there's something about people's eyes, and I remember Jeremy would get this. I remember standing exactly at Pasadena Rose Bowl '93. I'm watching him come down the tunnel, and like in his eyes, I'm just like, oh holy shit, these guys are done. Like he is gonna. You could just see yeah, it. Yeah, you just, you know. And I've seen it in your eyes in, in different videos and stuff. You yeah. look like these shark eyes. Yeah. Like, you just go, oh, he's now, on. Like, it's it's over for these but, dudes right and now. And that's the thing. Jeremy, Jeremy, I mean, was so phenomenal. I remember watch, sitting there watching him going, man, this he doesn't make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like, I watched, I was, I, I was at San Diego before I talked to him back at Loretta Lynn's. So I'm like, because they're going, we started talking about that. This was, uh, you know, had Stanton there. We're mm-hmm. like, oh, we need to. To look at a 125 team and so i i wouldn't talk to i would sat there i'll never forget ty davis was kicking everyone's ass mm-hmm. but jeremy was just like solid whatever mm-hmm. 125 was his number mm-hmm. an amateur and so i went and talked to him i'm like this this kid is just so smooth and it's just so yeah. so like calculated and, and smooth and everything but then once he got like you said once he got the confidence in supercross he he went there just like and you said he knew yeah. like there was no I'm gonna win. Yeah. It was just I'm, I'm gonna win without it. Without even. It was like know. Carmichael at a national. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Yep. He said something. Gosh, who did we have on just the other day? And uh, oh man, I want to forget who it is. But Ricky made a comment to him. He goes, "I hope you brought a rope, <laughs> like to hang on <laughs> to me." Yeah. And whoever the guy was, I can't remember, but he just was like, "Oh, it was Lusk." He said it to Lusk. Oh yeah. And because uh, Randy Lawrence told us that story, he was his mechanic, 
And Ricky said that to Lusk, and he goes, I watched Ezra just kind of like, like just, just dissolve, you know, <laughs> and sure enough. Little Bob Hanna. But that's, I don't think I've ever seen another guy be so good at Supercross. And not that he wasn't good at outdoors. He won a national championship, but he really didn't like it, you know. He, he um, didn't like it. Guys like RJ, guys like Bailey, they were good at both equally, yeah. I think. I would say. Well, because Supercross evolved. When Jeremy got there, the jumps were like, they knew what they were doing. I mean, 83, 84, 85, even in 86, it was like, well, let's just put these things yeah, up there. Yeah, let's, see, yeah. let's see what happens. That's, that's true. You know, like the, the like now, it's like the triple jump is exactly like this, the takeoff. You yeah. watch those guys first, that burp. They know yeah. exactly what to do and how hard to hit. Now there's rhythm sections where you have to, to break it up. But Jeremy was very comfortable in that environment, mm-hmm. that, that that stall, 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 where he didn't like the mm-hmm. hanging off the back and sort of like say mm-hmm. where Magoo just was <laughs> unbelievable reacting mm-hmm. to to that kind of speed. What, what was your last year at Honda, 93 or 95? 95. Remember. Okay, so you went all the way through 95. Yeah. So yeah. those seasons with him killing it yeah um, i oh. actually i actually worked to sign you know to put together his second contract and then i don't know it was just uh you know i'd been it actually i, I there's a what it, what is it you get i think you get something for 20 i've been there 20 years 20 almost years. to the date yeah and the, you get like something came in the mail and i'm like yeah that's about it <laughs> but i think yeah, but it was also I really enjoyed the R&D, the technical, and I saw Japan was starting to back out of it a little bit, you know, as far as their engineering involvement, and that's what I enjoyed the most was mm-hmm. the technical stuff. I mean, and um, and I don't know, I just saw the sales thing, and I'm not, all of my buddies in sales are going to call me now, but it, <laughs> it's just a focus change. And part of that was also getting outside sponsorship. I mean, when we got the 1-800-COLLECT thing, and went, I mean, that the environment of the team changes too. You know, your your focus, who's controlling you, who you're playing to, who you got to keep happy, and it starts to change. Yeah. When sales sort of got that and controlled clothing, and all of a sudden, I, I used to spend eighty percent of my effort trying to make the bikes good, and then now I'm spending eighty percent of my time in a conference room trying to make some clothing guy happy. I mean, it's just all so well, t- but it, it was Jeremy's fault. You know, I mean, he that extra exposure brought all of those people, right? Yeah, and yeah. It, it became more corporate. At the same time, Japan was only in it for a certain amount of time. I mean, you know, they still continued support, but not at the same level. So, mm. so with, with the aluminum frame, where Jeremy's like, I can't ride this. Yeah, you know that new wasn't yeah. that the aluminum frame that? Yeah, that was ninety seven. Right. Yeah. So that was, that wasn't really the. I know I've heard. I don't believe that was the deal breaker, but yeah, he didn't like it. But. He didn't like it. I wrote, I I wrote some of them, and they were just so, yeah, just like hard to ride and yeah. just so twitchy and nervous and yeah. arm pump central. Did they not feel that in Japan before they? They, they, Would they them be a little guy. Somebody mentioned durability early in this conversation. Honda standards, and so there's a bible of an engineer if he's developing a product to be sold to the public, like. It's called HESS, Honda Engineering Standards, and it's everything. So the concept of aluminum, um, you know, they sort of believed in. They're tracking frame rigidity over a long period of time and customer usage and maybe what the tracks are like, Mm -hmm. and they thought they could get away with it. Maybe there's a marketing angle. Maybe there's a manufacturing angle. But in any case, here they are. They've made this commitment, but, but they were not going to allow that thing to break in the first year, and... Back to Jeremy, when Jeremy started winning a 93 bike, the 92 bike was a major model change, and there were some things about it that we had to compensate for in racing, 
chassis stiffness and things like that. So we had made 20 chassis, this engineer Surumi and I, trying to understand lateral torsional. And, you know, so we got Jeremy happy. And so, you know, Jeremy was this spec, Stanton was this spec. And I thought we were pretty smart right about now. And, and, I, and then I saw the numbers for that aluminum frame and I felt like the dumbest guy on the planet. I go, didn't fall in line with anything, but it didn't matter. It's almost right. like to them, I think to the, to the whole development process, they were kind of in this aluminum thing for the long run, and the first year the thing couldn't snap in two, and that's well, why and, that's why it's hard to ride. Well, and everything was going bigger. Kawasaki even had the forty millimeter conventional fork, and yeah. we were going upside down forks and all the so yeah. bigger and stronger is better. Yeah, and so like when <clears throat> when I was working with Suzuki with Sebastian Tortelli, he was he he ran the first year was the first one to run the four fifty mm. the the four stroke. He's struggling with it, struggling with it. One day on practice, he's just on fire, just ripping, just having. He's like, man, this, he goes, I want them to take this suspension off this bike and put it on this weekend. And we looked down, and the bolt fell out of the the headstand. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know the mounts yeah. the mounts to the chassis, yeah. and I'm like, holy cow. There's, like, a, there's a lot of that. I mean, yeah. Can you pick your headset yeah. there? Oh, oh, yep. Couldn't hear you. But yeah, so so that's what I'm saying is that they went so far, but. As you said, they once you commit to go to admit they're wrong, they'd I think they'd rather spend a couple more years making that work rather than than just go well. We let's scrap that and go back to metal because we how far how many years ahead is is Honda? They're, what's they're, on the they're going to back to they're going to do things from a theoretical standpoint. Now, you know, there's public opinion. You go this freaking thing's stiff. I mean. I don't know that that, if you went a two or three years without addressing that, then I think you got probably an issue, you know, but they, they started to address it after a couple, three years. I'm not defending them. I'm saying that's more right, how right, they, right. that's more how they think. Like, but if it broke, the deal's over, right? right. I mean, they're not going to. Yeah. You got to overbuild it to protect the, yeah. the, the, the asset. Right? Yeah. 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 I get it. At least that's what they told me. I mean, and they would. They they actually know, they I mean manufacturing is kind of their thing. If they got a strong point, they can produce a whole bunch of things and kind of control the spec. And they know exactly the robotic how mu how much penetration, how many are good wells and bad wells, and and then they'll make they'll make this frame worst case and they'll give it to you to try. And you're like, this is terrible. They don't they understand that right? But they're they're kind of I don't know. So oh. back I want to go back. Your last race was at um, your last 85. Band, 85. 95. 95. I'm sorry, 95. What race was it? Was it uh, the end of the ago? season? I went the whole season. I don't know if we went to Japan or Supercrosses, but so how'd that feel knowing that that was going to be the last time we did it? Or were you? I ready, don't know. Ready, I was. I, I was. I was. I was stressed. Like I was like uh, almost made myself sick. Like it's <laughs> almost everything that I had. You know. I mean, Roger had left a few years earlier. Let's say three maybe four, but loud three. And it was all, all on me, but it was, you know, winning was like everything. I was brainwashed. It wasn't, you know, I mean, I was a product of what those guys wanted me to do. And when I saw the ultimate process and goal changing, you know, it was hard on me, you know, I mean, I was willing to sacrifice a lot of things, but not winning. I right. mean, that was a big pill to swallow after 20 years of trying to build it, you know, and I want to swing back to one thing. You guys signed Pro Circuit to run your 125 team, 91, 92. Yeah. They cleaned house. Yeah. 
did a great job for you. Why? What happened in '93 that that didn't continue? So I thought that to me so that's like that the was a, that was a Mitch and I. I mean, obviously the company they're going do more for less, do more for less. That's why you're in management. You got to see if you can figure that out. You know, mm-hmm. so people had been talking about outside sponsor team and uh, and I don't. I guess now you can look back and the sport was sort of wanting to attract outside sponsor money to help subsidize factory. I mean, I guess in management, you were made to feel that they want you to feel bad about the money they're spending, not for the parts coming from Japan, but for what you're spending for salaries here. So then I kind of came up with that whole thing. I called Mitch. I'm like, can't we, you know, and then also we can't really control the clothing and we got pro level guys they are getting paid by Fox or whoever. And it's kind of hard to crack into that. Right. I mean, we want everybody to have a team look, but we also want to allow an independent for clothing contracts for the top guys. But with Mitch, I thought, you know, he could control it, which is maybe what outside teams want peak, right? So he made everybody look like a, like a mountain with a snow top and peak antifreeze. And, and um, it was neat. I think I signed all the contracts were directly to Honda for Jeremy and his mechanic and most of the stuff that mattered, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but when I set that thing up, um, I think he had Troy do artwork for what it was going to yeah. look like, and I presented it to Honda. Yeah, it looks great. Get their money and go, you know. But uh, I think uh, Honda had a maybe a slightly unreal. Uh, you know, they were pretty hesitant to get in bed with anybody in a relationship like that. And they go, it's going to work out really good for you, and you're just lucky to, you know, that we're even doing this with you. So I think what they did is it's worth X amount of money this year. And then next year it's going to be worth substantially less. So you got to offset by all this other outside industry money you're going to bring in. And I think it was flawed. It was great to set it up. It was a great first year. We had four riders. Um, But the second year, I don't think Mitch was able to, he wasn't able he didn't offset it with, those resources so it went to a two rider team anyway there was nobody that i was talking to that was willing to to budge on the the relationship as as it was originally established with mitch so do you think is there regret now i mean not that it was your decision it was probably honda or whoever but man looking back now that sure would have been a great relationship to continue with oh i would have thought so but I don't know if Honda regrets a whole lot. I mean, yeah. I'm not bagging on Honda, but, no, you and, know. They're... And they've made some questionable decisions. Yeah. Getting, letting Jeremy go. Um, yes. Letting Ricky Carmichael go. Yes. Those, everybody kind of scratches their head That's at That's a decisions. direct result of, you know, you sh- I don't really think race teams should be run by corporate offices, you know. I mean, it's just, you're not the same as, you know, it, these aren't corporate people. Right. You know, he doesn't yeah. sign up to race a motorcycle because, you know, dress a certain way, nine to five, you got a whole bunch of rules. He's trying to break that mold, right? Mm-hmm. He wants the short, he wants the shortest path to freaking get all the money and get the recognition and, you know, and take some risk. And so it's just oil and water to me, you know, mm-hmm. that, that racing ever got that close to our job. I would say with Roger and I, we, our job was to buffer the team from really what the corporate the environment was and vice versa you and know you guys did a great the job. corporate guys they don't want to know that johnny's mooning people going down the highway <laughs> yeah. in japan you yeah. know i mean and yeah. and bale's throwing yeah. his clothing out of the seventh floor of you know <laughs> so but but and, and i know this for myself is that 
Honda is very much, we're hiring you for this job, you know. And I've, I've come along with some, I have some friends this way, that when you're with them, you're, they're 100% of, your, of their attention. Mm -hmm. But when you're not, you're not. And so it's like when I was done, you know, I pissed off Ray Blank over the, the Honda line clothing thing and this and that. So he had a thorn in his, I think, his, his tail with me on that. But when I was gone, and this is, has nothing to do with you, I was gone. Like, I was exercised from the from the deal. And, and it, Honda's, Honda's has, doesn't seem to, to hang on to people, you know, and like with so, Smitty as well. So that's very true. And that bothered me, like, a lot, the, the warm touchy-feely thing, you know, that we actually had as a team, including Japan, you know, and I mean, when, when all that happened with yeah. you and you, and, and then within six months, you're doing a book about how Yamaha always felt like your family. I mean, the Japanese are going, what the hell is that? The people that help you develop that bike and win all this stuff, they don't understand it. But then it's back to, I just think it was, you know, racing just got too close to the corporate the corporate's kind of a big cold black and white thing yeah. you know that, that's very much so very well said very black and white and and i understood it and i, and I got it because you know for one you, you, i shouldn't yeah. be paid a bunch of money if i'm not winning races they I, hired I me I to, be to win i don't know i yeah. look at it more sympathetic to your cause i i don't know that it was up to you to get i i just think that corporates shouldn't run race teams i don't think it's up to congress to run the cia you yeah, know exactly. i just think that if you're going to freaking run guns to the Contra and exchange them for, you know, it's, yeah, yeah I, anyway. I 100% agree with you. That's, that's a very well put. Um, what, so what brought on retirement? You were just kind of done, like you said, with, with. It was, it was just purely. changing at Honda. It was purely t 20 years of travel and yeah. I really thought this thing was going to crash. That, um, man, I, I, I'm not making this about me, but it was super hard on me that, you know, things with Ricky, it started maybe even with, you know, the falling out with Ricky and Honda. I mean, I don't like those things, you know. I didn't no. think those were right. I kept Stanton on. I think I ended up, because of your deal, and because Cowie did some kind of a um, kind of a goodwill relationship, I think, with Jeff Ward, right? Yeah. Like, why is it that we just, people start to associate with all these champions, right? They yeah. like these guys. And, yeah, they get over their peak or something, but why is it so cut and dry? And... So I think with Stanton, I forget what it was, but we put together some kind of a goodwill thing where he kept yeah. going to races. And I honestly, I'm not, I'm not paying for all this stuff. I'm just spending somebody <laughs> else's money. But I thought that should have been, look how many champions Honda's had. I mean, I think, you know, if it's not 30 or 40 or 50, you know, I mean, I think all those people are within some sort of a family. Yes, maybe they get a different contractual relationship, but it's still an accomplishment that everybody shared as a team, as a group. Yeah. And... I don't like the fact that, you know, they're not, but uh, it was mainly that when Japan backed out of it and I had really strong relationships with, and maybe a bit of influence with, you know, at HRC and I was able to go a lot of places on the technical side of the company and I don't know that I was such a perfect fit for the corporate side. Yeah. I don't know, that's probably my shortcomings, but it just for me and I, I just felt that this thing couldn't sustain this level of accomplishment, you know, and, and uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, I just, just, it wasn't going to yeah. keep well, you, going. You were right. I mean, looking at since Ricky got let go, have they, I don't think they've won a title. Have they? Uh, Honda? No. 
No. We so. did. So then I, this is not me. <laughs> this is not me, but I got, I, I, I started getting calls from uh, Ricky Zigfielder. So I helped those guys for a couple of years with Barsha on the team. And, and then uh, we won a couple of super cross titles with um, Tomac and Barsha. And that was kind of fun. But I actually had been transferred over to auto and I had some big mm. cushy thing over there. <laughs> not, it was more the fab side. And then, uh, then I started working more full time and then we got, Eli won the outdoor title, and that was against Kenny. And I'm like, damn, that was pretty good because I didn't really think those bikes were hard to get outdoor. Yeah. So, so that was felt like an accomplishment. And then uh, I really tried to reestablish some of the relationships with Japan, which are sort of still here today. I strike, come on, you guy, you know, let's get back and play and all that stuff, you know. And and then I was trying to get not just for Eli, you know, for a few guys, but trying to get everything kind of meshing and working back together and so we got eli to a pretty good place when he got to 450s and he was racing dungy and i remember riding bicycles after the first race with roger after hangtown and and uh, eli was incredibly fast that day and <laughs> roger's riding he's going david i don't know what you guys are doing over there but he goes uh you know they want to go testing this week I, I can make a bike half a second, maybe one, one second, maybe, but seven seconds a lap. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. There's nowhere I can go, you know, so. That's a pretty good coster. That's uh, coster. <laughs> Roger and I. But Eli, anyway, he, it fell apart. I was really trying to, you know, he ended up going to, it was, but again, why did it fall apart? You know, it, it gets back to. You shouldn't, I don't know. You got to have the right people handling athletes yeah. and racers mm -hmm. and it shouldn't have fallen apart. They shouldn't have, he shouldn't have been doing a book with Yamaha. Yeah. Jeremy shouldn't have got, how many resumes do you have? I mean, there was a small dispute with Jeremy riding jet skis. Jet ski, right? yeah. I yeah. mean, give me a break. Okay. You know, come on. We pay you a lot of money. You're in this, you know, it makes us look bad. Can you not do that anymore? And probably would have been over. Right. But you got to rewrite the contract to say you're going to get fined, and if you do it again, you get fired. And really, who's that going to serve, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look, take the logos off the thing, and you know that that's the end of it's it. It's just right or something. I don't know. It you can do that silly. to your employees. I mean, you can. Yeah. You know, that's a different deal. You know, they're getting pensions, 401ks. You can bitch slap them around, and yeah. that's part of the deal. Well, and and it's not. You know, I don't want to poo-poo Han on this, but if you look around, because and the thing is, our fans are the most critical. It's uh, so like now, I I went and bought a KTM a 500 EXC because I couldn't couldn't get I wasn't able to get a, a, a you know 450L, and <clears throat> I, I bought it, so I'm not putting any logos on. I put my own graphic stickers on it, my Johnson Off-Road logo, blah blah blah. And people are like, oh my God, RJ's on a KTM. I'm, I'm like, well, hold on a second. Villapoto, Yamaha, Ricky Carmichael, Triumph, Jeff Stanton, Triumph, Jeremy McGrath, won championships on Yamaha, Suzuki, or not Suzuki, um, and Honda, and he's on Kawasaki. And so the thing is, is that typically there's bad blood. Like I had bad blood with Ray Blank. He thought that I tried to do that last year just to, to get the money out of it, and whatever the case may be. He, he wasn't happy with me on that. I understood his point. But it is what it is. You I, got a contract. Exactly. You got an agent. Yeah. It's just business. So. Right. And so when I left, it was it, there. Was, there's bad blood. So you're not. 
that that resonates. And, and yeah, so, I don't know. See, yeah, I don't that's like the point. it too. It I don't like it, but it, sh- it shouldn't. But it is. Yeah. And that's why, like, why is Villapoto on a Yamaha? Not not to change the subject. I'm sitting here in a Yamaha jacket because I was cold. <laughs> <laughs> I was freezing my ass off back here. Well, they're the title sponsor of the show, so let's just. Uh, there we go. Yeah. But no, um, you know, like that, because you know that probably with Kawasaki, there was, when he left, there was some, some kind of little bit of friction. Oh. Well, so they're like, eh, we'll just do something else. And, and like a racer is like, screw you. I'm going to go with them. And that's what, that's what everybody mm. does. And yeah. it makes it hard. Well, and there's so, emotions involved. As a racer, you yep. you feel like, hey, I've won you championships. I've busted my ass for you. And they come back, we paid you very well. <laughs> Shut up. So, <laughs> yeah. so it is what so it is. So on, on the bright side, yes. not that you needed the, the Honda rep to come back. I mean, I feel like I got sucked into bagging on him. No, but, it's but just, yeah, Kenny, I'm not bagging on him. The no, team, let's say the team they, and the brand, they have worked to try to get back in the spotlight, you know, and the bikes are substantially better. Kenny's on a roll. I mean, you can look at it as a brand. They're doing much better. So, knock yeah. on wood. We'll see how the... I think their engineering has come massively because, like, Geyser is... He's, like, one step from death. I mean, that guy rides on the edge. And I'm watching how him and Kenny both, the bike, if it gets a little bit out, it used to, like, if they got just a couple degrees off, to, they were getting ejected. Yeah. Now they're able to ride it and, and be a little bit more loose, and it's, yeah. a, it's a much more pliable machine, and the power doesn't look like it hits as hard. It looks like, like, like when Kenny's yeah. on, I mean, he, he, he looks like he's just like Jeremy. That's, yeah. that's yeah. exactly what he reminds me of, just yeah. buttering the downside of every jump yeah. and just rolling through the corners and stuff. So mm-hmm. whatever they're doing over there, as far as, far as the manufacturing thing, they're doing a phenomenal yeah. job. A um, couple more questions here. I promise we'll get you out of here before it gets dark. Um, you're, you went to how many motocross nations events? I mean... I don't remember. Like a lot. A lot. A lot. Like which over of, 10. Which of those stands 13, out? 12. That That first one had to um, be pretty. In the 81 stands out. 82 stands out. Like they're just irreplaceable. 86 stands out at Majora mm. with all three of these guys. I mean, every one of them set a milestone for how dominant Americans were on the world stage. I mean, I know that we won, I don't know, all of it in particular. But 80, 81, 82, 86. Um, then... I would say down the road, and I don't even know what year, there was a couple of years where, man, we had a hard time pulling the rabbit out of the bag. You know, Stanton would be doing some hero run from the back of the pack and have to pass three more guys on the last lap. And so it started to get harder toward the end for whatever reason. But Well, I think they were getting better and, yeah. you know. It's I hard, guess you could look to keep at, that role going. I, I guess if you look back at how did we ever win in the early, in the early 80s, I mean... I mean, there was the, the the gene pool was pretty big for American riders. There was a lot of racers. Supercross was evolving techniques, and you know, I, I would say that Americans took that. I mean, Europeans started their careers a little bit older, and they didn't really have Supercross to hone their skills on. But mm. holy smokes! Well, uh, and I would then, say your development at Honda, because not only did you guys have you know develop those motorcycles, that means Kawasaki. Yeah, they had to all step their game up too. So mm-hmm. we. There was a big, you know, surgence of progression here with equipment and riding. And so yeah. that translated to better results Yeah, on the world stage. Look at the, you know, it's pretty exciting racing right now is watching some of the world GPs. Now they're not on right now, but yeah, holy get, smokes. Pretty I fun. mean, some of our tracks, I don't know all the details with TV contracts and stuff, but I think they've made tracks smaller. Some of the, you know, Unadil or Southwick or... But those guys over there, I mean, they get some really high-speed, rough tracks. And you're the MotoGP. 
Not the, moto. No, just, just uh, motocross jeepies. Yeah, motocross jeepies. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant to say. Motocross jeepies. Cor- Cor- Corolli and uh, Hurlings and Al Prada and oh, it's, holy it's moly, they haul ass. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's impressive crazy. to watch. Um, go eighty six major. Since the two of you were here and we're on that, I mean, what was that feeling like? At the end of that day, were, were you guys all kind of just like, I can't believe what just happened? I mean, that had to be, it, it, yeah. The finish with you and Bailey, uh, yeah. Johnny, what he did on the one twenty five, yeah. Holy shit! It, it was a. I mean, the, the story's been told a lot, but Johnny got let go, and, and yeah. I didn't know it. And then Johnny told David for the first time, and so then there was that dynamic. And so in the first race, Johnny's just like hounding me, and I'm like, "Would you just lay off? You know, <laughs> I'm not going to let you beat me, but uh, you know." And so we're gone, and then <clears throat> second motor, he pulls that off. You know, getting second. And we joked about it. Said, it would be cool if we got one, two, three, and then said, yeah, we'll start. We'll, we'll cross the finish line together. So what we did is for the, the, the start of the 500-250 of the race, I'm like, I'll start in front, Dave, because we had first, we had to pull. I said, so I got out of my rut. So I said, when I go, when I take off, I'm going to open up the door for you. And uh, I said, so I'm going to just, I'm going to keep taking them. I'm going to keep running <laughs> them into each other because I knew I could get over the gate. So if I got, if I got this guy into that guy, I could kind of do that. And I'm not shitting. I crossed the gate, and David was roosting me. <laughs> he was gone. I mean, he was. He shot out of there. I'm like, I lean. It's like, Choo! holy shit! You know, down here, knocked me down. So he goes blown by. He's gone. And then we're dicing. And so the last lap, we're coming around. And like, well, he slows down, waits for me because he. I mean, he was gone. He. If I didn't like, it looks like I raced and caught him. No, he's like was parked. Let me catch up. And they were doing cross ups together. And so then the last turn, it was a rut. And I go around the outside. I'm like, I'm going to just cut to the inside so we can kind of cross the line together. He stops to let me go around the outside because the line went all the way out to the fence. Bonk. I tip over and fall down. So I pick my bike up. I'm like, did he mean to do that? You know, because we've been going out. Yeah. So then we go across and then I grab his hand and I I raise it up and stuff like that. And um, after it was over, it was like, I can't believe we just dominated. But you know what? You know what the, the beautiful thing was of the whole thing? is that not one other country treated us like dicks. Like, they all celebrated us. They all yeah, congratulated us. Yeah. And they're all like, you know what? You guys won. You, yeah. you, you, you beat us fair yeah. and square. And so when I was at, you know, at Redbud, and I think it was, was it Netherlands or France? French, France that won. I can't remember. Anyhow, whoever right. won is that... Like we were all partying in our pits, and everybody was coming over. All mm-hmm. the all the Belgians, all the French, everybody was. We're everyone is, is celebrating. We all we all put our heart heart and soul to it. So they came and celebrated with us, and were very congratulatory. Our guys now on the playing gun. You know, it's like yeah. no, it's the end of the it's the end of the thing. Yeah, you you yeah. got to have some yeah. some valor. I don't know if it's the word I'm looking for, but you you need to respect. If you get your ass kicked, hey. Congratulations. Don't relax. I'm going to be back next week. I remember at uh, Majora, a Hawk and Carlquist was parked right next to us. And I don't know his transport or whatever, but but I know it's swearing in Swedish sounds like now. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah? Oh, my God. FIFA fucking 120. The fact that the world champions, him and Thorpe, got beat by 125, I mean, they weren't digging it. No, I'll bet. Yeah. No. That is awesome. That, that had to have been the coolest after party. If I could travel back in time... I'd be at the finish line of that second, that last moto. And then yeah. there was a big food fight in the. Johnny was throwing rolls, like bread rolls, and all of a sudden, 
one roll goes that way. And sure enough, it's like Kurt Nichols. <laughs> the, the Brits don't ever screw with the Brits. I'm just telling you. Just because yeah. you throw a you throw a, a, a dirt clod, they're gonna shoot a bomb over. So then another roll comes back and then Johnny will go like this. So you throw another roll. Like, <laughs> oh shit, here we go. Next thing you know, every piece of bread in the whole place was just flying. Fly, flying everywhere. But yeah, it was it was quite an honor to be a part of that. And that was the same thing. You it was a continuation of what we did all year long. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. brought you and Roger. And so we come in. I download with you. I download with Roger, and go back and forth. And it was, uh, it was it was a great feeling. Well, kind of the last question we ask everybody is, how do you want to be remembered in this sport? What do you want your legacy to be if you could write it yourself? Oh, I'm not much of a me person. I mean, I just I, I'm the luckiest guy to have the career I've had, and I hope it's not over tomorrow. You know, I mean, I'm still messing around with stuff in my shop and. And I still have some communication. I mean, I try not to be the guy coming in telling all the, you know, with the race team. I talk to Lars and Kehoe and Brandon every once in a while. So, um, you still still got a I'm just, got a toe in the water over there, huh? Yeah, I got a toe in the water and try to. But well, I saw I, you I, in a, a Rockstar Husqvarna shirt. Some yeah, that of. was after the Eli thing, and I know that was. But it was. Uh, when the Honda thing fell apart with Eli, well, then you know, there's not that many roles for racing. I wasn't really looking to get full-time back into a race thing. And then Roger asked me to come and do a job for him. It, it was really more of a it was really more of a consumer product job that I went and did. And then I ended mm-hmm. up helping Jason. He did semi-well that year. Not the year he won, but he did. But anyway, yeah, for a short period of time. Then I went to Europe, which was, I, I don't know, I was, I, me, I ended up starting looking at all the engineering stuff. And then I go, well, this is all screwed up. I was having a conversation with Robert Jonas, who's the president of Husky. And I'm like, nah, this stuff is all messed up. We can make it better. And he's like, you got to go to Austria. I'm like, don't have to ask me twice. So, yeah. so I went over there and lived for about eight months. It was great. It was just testing in Czechoslovakia and Italy and working with the factory guys and building new wow. stuff. And most of the GP guy or a lot of the GP guys um, ended up running. Pauline ran my stuff and, well, all the GP guys. Yeah. Um, is, do you have more of that plan kind of down the road, or what's your future plan? I don't know. Right now, I'm just running my brother's machine shop. He, yeah. he, he left us a few months ago, and it got dropped in my lap, so I've been, I've been doing that for, since around Thanksgiving. Okay. Yeah. Do you think you'll stay connected to the moto industry in one way or another? I mean, do you, do you still I, follow it really I, closely? I, I, and, I, I do, and I, yeah. and I still love it. And, yeah. I, and I, even today, or, you know, even recently, you look at bikes, and you're always trying to figure out how to make a better mouse trap, and I enjoy that about it. I mean, yeah. it's all about making the thing stable on the whoops and good in the rhythm lanes and still turning better than everybody else and getting a good start. So, oh, Well, it's a science to it. And you, yeah. You're the, uh, you got the big white coat on. You're the scientist. <laughs> yeah. so. well, I, I've, from my opinion, just watching from the outside, it, it, I mean, your history is incredible with, with Honda and everything you've done. Um, just, I... You're the most influential person, I, I think, as a team manager in that whole 15 years, 20 years. It's, I, it's incredible. I you appreciate were, it. I mean, I owe a lot to Honda. I owe a lot. There's a lot of guys I worked with. I mean, a lot of the racers, Ricky included, and uh, Roger. There was a chassis designer, Yasuki Surumi. Him and I got along really well, did a lot of fun stuff, figured things out mm-hmm. now and then. <laughs> I always thought that somebody should make a book of all the things you screwed up before you actually learned anything, right? So It would be interesting. Yeah. What are your What are your thoughts on this guy in closing? Uh, well, I mean, his, his legacy. He's got a. As I said, there was Mark Blackwell, and then, and I think Dave took it from there, 
have the same attitude. You know, you have the same attitude that whatever it takes. I could see you and you and Dilla in the mud in the worst corner making sure that if there was a lane there or anything like that. So it wasn't like, well, I'm the team manager and I do this and I'll, you know, it, it was having them having them as my team manager made made us who we were. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's like, because as an athlete, you think, well, what, the, what the fuck does a, a team manager do? This and Al Colby does it. No, it's but who? It's the team. It's the management. It's everything that goes goes into it. And and as you said, you 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 watched the rise and you felt the tide of how much how much you know Japan was willing to push and and to try and to get riders and to change bikes and you know like you said the the bike you you designed with uh, Donnie. Cut, you know, putting the radiators back and doing all this kind of stuff. It's kind of, it's too, it's so sterile now. But for you, I'm, I'm getting off track here a little bit. For you to have the innovation and the balls to push as hard as you did, it was, it was, I was honored to be one of your riders. Oh, I think, I appreciate that. There's no I in team, you know. Well, you've, you've etched your name into the history of this sport. And uh, I hope that this show kind of opens some people's eyes oh, to that been, who weren't around so it's been fun thanks for having oh, me thank you so much for coming on i can't thank you, thank you enough for your time thank you. and, and rj same to you buddy always it's always good brother. to see you and i appreciate you guys taking the time today we'll be back and thanks for the jacket <laughs> 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 all right stay tuned we'll wrap up the show here Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I want to thank Rick Johnson and Dave Arnold for, for making the time to come in today. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, you know, Dave is a legend. If you if you were around or followed the sport at all back in that era, all the way from Marty Smith to Jeremy McGrath, which I think uh, the vast majority of us kind of fit into that window somewhere, he was the man. He was the man at the helm. And um, just, man, super thankful he can't, took the time to come in today. Uh, I do want to plug Ricky's, uh, his, his most recent venture. If you guys are into adventure riding at all, he's doing schools, SoCal Adventure Academy, it's called. Uh, find him on Instagram, at the Ricky Johnson, or at his website, rickyjohnson.com. Pretty straightforward. But he's doing adventure riding schools, off-road schools, just coaching out here. And he is just the coolest guy. I mean, he is genuine. He is super knowledgeable. Um, and <laughs> You know, you're going to get not only coaching from him, but just get to go hang out and ride with Ricky Johnson. So easily worth every single penny. Uh, but I really appreciate him coming in today as well. Uh, that brings us to our SKDA Q&A. We just have one question today, I hear. So uh, drop it on me. All right. So our first question is from JLV106. And he would like to know if you could go back in time and manage any team, would you do it? And what team would it be? No. Short, fast answer. No, absolutely would not. That is a, it is a brutal job. It consumes you. I'm stunned that Dave is still married after all the years that he did it. He must have a, a, a saint for a wife. Um, if you are someone who likes family, it's just not for you. It's not a good job, um, period. And, and, you know, I love motocross, but it's like it consumes you. you. You don't get anything outside of it. So that's that answer. If I was going to... I think I would go 96 Haunt Team Honda, 1986, you know, uh, and I'd quit right before Bailey gets hurt, you know, that, that's what I would do. I mean, that was just such a cool era, you know, 80, 83 to 86, man, 
incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, the bikes, the just just the, the development, yeah. the the progression of the sport, the the riders on the team at that time. It's like Hall of Fame, every single one of them. So, I think that's got to be it. Although, Team Kawasaki was pretty cool for with Wardy Dogger, you know that era. That might have been fun, or uh, Team Yamaha when you know when you had Hannah and Glover and and all those guys. That might have been pretty fun too. <sighs> that's an interesting question. I like that. Um, but I think I got to I think I got to stick with Honda in 80, 85, 86. It's got to be it. So anyway, that's our show. Thank you. Uh we don't have a whole lot of time today. We we went really long with Dave and so we want to just keep it a little bit short. But uh thank you to SKDA for uh sponsoring this segment. You guys, if you're looking for graphics, there's just nothing cooler than what these guys are building. Um go check them out. I just tell everybody browse through their Instagram or or go to their website and just look. Um I, they'll sell themselves. The stuff that they're building is amazing. And uh, everything from their shipping to their customer service is top-notch, completely just excellent. So um, stoked to have those guys involved with the show. And I want to thank all of our sponsors as we close out here. A uh, big thank you to Yamaha. You know, those guys have been supporting this sport, supporting our show. They are involved in every level. Um the Blue Crew program is incredible if you're an amateur and you're looking to, to get some support at the races. Uh, these guys just do a fantastic job. Absolute top quality and top performance. PowerDot, again, these guys are amazing. They've been with us since day one, and, and there is just uh, – I just had Jimmy Button hit me up this past week, and Dylan Ferrandis was trying to chase one of these down. I mean, they're, they're, they work, and this is the best unit you can buy for muscle stimulation. So – Check those guys out if you're in the market, and you should be in the market, even if you don't have an injury. Method Race Wheels. Listen to RJ. I mean, my man goes and does truck racing, and uh, these are the wheels he relies on. 20% off using our code, and it's the same with PowerDot. 20% off if you use the code Whiskey Throttle. That's no spaces, no capitals, just Whiskey Throttle. Uh, Troyly Designs, we appreciate all of their support. I always have. I, I feel like it's family over here for me, and um, uh, like I mentioned earlier, all their 21... 2021 stuff's finally starting to trickle back in. They've been sold out of a lot of stuff for a while. It's been a, a kind of an issue throughout the sport. It's not just them. Uh, so it's trickling back in. Get on there and, and uh, check out all their new stuff. SKDA, Dunlop. Man, just so stoked to have Dunlop as, as a, a partner in this show. There's not, a, there's not a better tire out there, period. And I love that this brand just does not leave the sport. They, they hang in there no matter what. They've never left. They've never pulled support. Um, they're a permanent fixture, and I, I love that. I, I love that Brock Glover's involved with them, and he's you know pushing that development and the uh, pushing the brand forward. So, MX fifty three front, thirty three rear. If you want to try something, give that a whirl. It's my my pick. Uh, Nihilo Concepts. These guys are making amazing products, and they just keep coming up with with new and cool stuff. Um, carbon fiber billet stuff. Uh, Man, you name it, they're they're really on the gas right now. And they do have a cool, if you're an off-road guy in particular or somebody that, that does long rides, they have a device called a secondary on switch. Uh, just connects to the battery and hides somewhere kind of under the frame. But if you have a crash or something fails on your electric start, this is a sec, you know a secondary on switch. It's just another way to, uh, to get your bike started so you don't get stuck somewhere. So it, all kinds of amaz amazing products those guys are we're building right now carbon fiber is their latest and it's this stuff is really trick seat concepts amazing seats i know i know you 
some people just think, ah, seat's a seat, no big deal. Not true at all. These guys literally custom fit the foam to your height, your weight, your whatever, uh, to all of your personal specifications. Uh, they make covers, they make the whole deal. They're, they're awesome. It is next level, especially if you're an off-road guy or an adventure guy that's spending a lot of time in the saddle. I cannot tell you how much more comfortable these are. It's game changer. So check them out. Senna Bluetooth. Look, take your riding to another level. If you're coaching somebody, uh, if you're riding with a buddy, mountain biking, snow skiing, it's so much more fun when you can communicate just easily without screaming or shouting or shutting your bike off. Uh, you're just laughing and talking in the headsets. It's so much fun. Uh, never mind the safety aspect, which I think is huge, and I think we need to continue to push for in our sport and in, in amateur and professional racing. Uh, but Senna leads, Senna leads the way in that. These guys are awesome. Their stuff is incredible. Pro X, we're stoked to have these guys on board. I'm I'm using a ton of their products on my Vital MX builds, uh, chain, sprocket, air filters, cables gaskets, all the engine internals that need to be replaced, uh, pistons, uh, the whole bottom end rebuild kits. And this stuff is OEM grade, OEM quality. Uh, a lot of times made by the same OEM manufacturers. It's very, very high quality stuff at an affordable price. So get over to ProX and look at all the things that they've got going on. They supply a lot of parts to the Pro Circuit Race Team, uh, GP teams in Europe. So it's very high quality stuff. Motul Oils, really hyped on these guys too. They've got a couple of race teams now they're sponsoring. Uh, these are, they've been massive in uh, off-road world, adventure world. Uh, Ricky Brabeck won the Dakar Rally, first American ever to do it using Motul products. So uh, they've got a pedigree, and they've got a really cool brand and amazing products. So we're, we're psyched to have them on board. Stasic, I'm a big believer this is um, a, a platform to build our sport back up to where it needs to be. You're getting kids on dirt bikes at the <laughs> earliest possible age, sometimes before they can walk throw them on there and, uh, and it, it sort of ignites that passion that these kids are going to carry on forever. So I'm, I'm so stoked. I, I just, like I said, I, I, I preach this a lot, but I don't just al allow anybody to come partner with us. It's gotta be a product I really believe in. And I'm hundred percent sold on these Stasic bikes. They're incredible. And they've got something new coming out. They're going to launch it at our May 8th live show, uh, which I may not have even announced officially, but May 8th, we are going to have another live show. It's going to be in Murrieta, California, at the Blackmore Ranch. Ryan Villapoto is confirmed. He's going to be our guest for that show. It's going to be a lot of fun. And our buddy Grant Langston's coming back to be the co-host, so it'll be great to have him back in the co-host seat. And uh, we're going to have a good time. Uh, I can just guarantee you that. So save the date, Saturday, May 8th, if you're interested in coming out to that. And uh, we're going to have a Stasic Kids race there as well, so a lot of good things going on. Uh, OGO Power Sports, if you're in the market for a bag, I just saw they got a new, uh, like a hard case backpack for street riding. And I got to hit up my buddy Pilo and see if I can get one of those coming because it is dope. But if you're in the in the market for a roller bag, a gear bag, helmet bag, boot bag, hydration pack, toolkits, they make everything, and it is the highest quality you can get. It's amazing stuff. Uh, specialized bicycles, they've got new models coming out. In fact, uh, we're going to be announcing one here pretty soon. Uh, just there is no better bicycles. Period. I I don't. The rest of it is. Uh, that's just the bottom line. They make the best cross-country, road, mountain, e-bikes, period. Um, you just can't even argue it. These guys are the top, top shelf, and we're stoked to have them on board. Pro Circuit Products, uh, be sure to get over and check out all the things they've got going on. Amazing aftermarket products. And that is our show, folks. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. 
Sorry we went long, but uh, that's the way it goes. Got to get that whole story in there. Uh, we've got some neat guests coming up soon and, and uh, some amazing shows as well to, uh, yeah, just, I'm not going to give it all away. I don't want to announce, but great guests coming. Stay tuned. Thank you guys for watching and supporting the show. See you next time. Thanks for watching the Whiskey Throttle Show. Don't forget to like and subscribe and click the bell to get alerts for all the latest content. Follow us on Twitter at W underscore throttle underscore show. And on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at Whiskey Throttle Show. We won't stop.